Greetings from the Seventh Circle. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the next episode of Seventh Circle of Film. I'm your host Kieran, as always, and as always now, until the end of time, is my co-host Ty. Ty, how are you doing on this little foray of our own trilogy of depression? <laughs> Pushing end through. Of- <laughs> choice words um i'm doing all right actually i feel like uh i feel good what that says about me uh <laughs> not too sure it's keeping up the foray into um personal indulgence in the filmmaking into those little indie projects that people desperately want to get done starting off with uh, alice august underground mad god probably ending with this because by the looks of it, we've got Blood Fart Lake next week, and I, I've never seen it. I'll be fair, I'll hold off judgment until then, but current feeling is that it's not totally inspired. Watched uh, Clerks 3 last night, the new the new Kevin Smith film. It was only playing like one fucking cinema within a 50-mile radius, just nowhere, and I was the only fucking person there. Okay. It, it, it had a kind of a morbid tone to it if anyone fan of the clerks films i'd recommend that it had a little joy pushed in there but i felt satisfied at the end of clerks 3 and i enjoyed myself characters i knew and love were there they frolicked about had that little borderline gay bromance uh, with an element of melancholy just injected in for good measure for kevin smith's post heart attack world and it, i think it works as a nice juxtaposition against some of the Lars von Trier stuff which is truly without humanity in most aspects and whereas Kevin Smith I think is someone who's very intelligent and a very good filmmaker who's hampered by his own weed let's be fair by his own fucking need to be funny and need to push on the fucking marijuana the Mary Jane Uh, Lars von Trier in the same way I think is a very intelligent very good filmmaker in the right circumstance, who's often hampered by his own need to push his own, not his own um, opinions, but his own mindset and his uh, his own, I don't want to say pretentious, it doesn't ever feel pretentious to me when someone has it, a worldview and just throws it in. It does, Only I've only watched three of his films, all right, which needs to be said, he's done a bit more than that. But all I got from these films, in terms of that kind of stuff, is his main issue seems to be plot. <laughs> like... No, I don't, I don't think anyone would have a go at you for that. So the, I've only seen two others, um, including these three, obviously. Uh, Dogville, which is very, very character-focused. It's a decent plot line to it but incredibly character focused all the way through and uh breaking the waves which again very character focused through a chunk of it these are probably the worst three at least of the five i've watched through in terms of having very little plot and just being focused on the interactions between two uh, maybe three characters mostly you know you've got conversation between two in all three films the sisters uh, Defoe and her, and um, Jack and Virgil. In the latter, but yeah, no, I, I don't think anyone's gonna have a go at you for saying it lacks some element of plot. The, the biggest issue is the actual plots of the films. Um, less so 
house that Jack built simply because it's very simple to plot. But stuff like Melacone, uh, Melancholia, just a, a planet smashing into the Earth, okay, sure. Oh, because at the end of the day, at least personally, the films aren't about their plots. Or is that uh, too douchey? (laughs) No, it's character-focused entirely. All the way through it. It's character and emotional focus. Unfortunately, uh, Lars Rung True is a sociopath. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) At least in my opinion. It doesn't quite fully understand either of those things. (laughs) Uh, He's got something wrong with him. That's definitely... He's autistic. I'm not going to go through buzzwords. I'm not a psychologist. I can't diagnose the poor fucker, but there's something in his head that ticks just a little bit wrong. And he lives on a fucking military base outside of Denmark, for God's sake. Who the hell does that? If you want at least a little fox or a secret Nazi. It's like a fucking supervillain. I'm fucking done military base. Fuck's sake, man. Might as well jump into Von Trevis. He's he's kind of a a circle around all of these films, their problems and their strong points. So Von is a Danish director who's, as I said, just fucked, a little little fucked in the head. I I quite like the guy after reading some interviews, or at least I appreciate what he does, what he tries to accomplish. Uh, He did an interview with Mark Commode, when Mark Commode went onto his compound, presumably under-armed escort, after, I'd imagine, James Bond tried to fucking put a stop to whatever villain he was going on that week. From from Mark Mode's own mouth, said that Von Trier was more of a trickster and a jokester than people think, less sociopathic, more tr- trying to have fun and not quite understanding where the boundaries are or basic human interaction half the time. Fucking nutter. You, you can't take anything as seriously, really. From interviews, he seems like a nice, if incredibly eccentric person. A couple of the films, especially Melancholia and Antichrist, a certain anxiousness that neither would be finished off due to his own depression, his own problems, pushing on all this stuff. He was um, put in a facility, institutionalised for quite some time before Antichrist was around. And uh, because of his health problems, I think he was on some sort of drug, he couldn't actually operate a camera, which is what he usually does in a lot of these things, including House of Chat Bill later on down. And so was very off-kilter, off-piece for the entirety of the filming of that, Um, which is good because Antichrist is a very easy film to film. No uh, harsh fucking themes or imagery in that at all for a recovering mind. Jesus Christ, that's what he decides to film during his low points and I'd, I'd go for something more like I don't know Winnie the Pooh remade Do have a fucking fun yeah, one for a minute we will inevitably end up watching the Winnie the Pooh horror film you know I can't um, I, I can't sit through it because I know one of the actresses and she's a bitch it's the, in oh okay so fucking, yeah like, one of the actresses in Winnie the Pooh I'm not going to say which one because that would be douchey uh, interviewed for my short and <laughs> she was an arsehole Complete arsehole. <laughs> so yeah, uh, you can have fun speculating which one of those pricks it was. Don't don't fucking ask for clues or anything. I'm not. I'll send it to you, Ty, later on. Some of the messages, but and 
the fucking oh Jesus Christ, some of the stuff. Hated it. Yeah. Either way, uh, we're going to start. So we, we, one thing, we're not going to touch on Nymphomaniac um, within this today, at least. Might eventually we're going to have to. I suppose eventually, or I'm going to have to at some point. Uh, I won't drag any co-host who doesn't want to do it through this kind of stuff. But for the sake of completionist, for the sake of the point of the fucking show, I'm going to have to do it at some point. But for today, at least, we're going to go through the more horror-y side of things and Melancholia for a nice little jump in. Uh, Antichrist, Melancholia, and The House of Jack Built. Three uh, films, uh, fairly solid films all the way through, at least, in terms of production. What you actually think of them and what we both think of them definitely differs, I know, on a couple of them. Um, there is going to be some contention later in. They're, they're very contentious films, though. Can be expected, and um, possibly for different reasons between me and Ty, but and the world, yeah, it's certainly very contentious. I think the only one we properly agree on is House of the Jack Built being pretty solid, generally quite fun. Yeah, all in all, it's uh, a decent film. Okay, so Antichrist, uh, director, writer Lars von Trier, who, uh, so the only other two I've seen, Dogville, which is very good, Nicole Kidman set in the Depression era, incredibly good, probably my favourite, I think, of the four, actually, um, Breaking the Waves of the five, I should say, my favourite of the five I've seen. I also did Dance in the Dark, which um, is fucking miserable as well, from what I've heard. So, uh, generally speaking, Lars von Trier is a miserable person, not in terms of character, but in terms of just being fucking sad all the time, which really comes through in his films. He's a perfect personification of his own films, an air of pretentiousness, depressed as fuck, uh, with a very, very loose tongue, very problematically loose tongue, which I'll get into later. There's a little quiz that you're more than welcome to join in at home because we're fucking Blue Peter here, apparently. Um, next film he's working on is The Kingdom Exodus, which is soon to be released, I think 2023, possibly 2022. So, yeah, go watch it if you feel like it. Cast-wise, we've got Willem Dafoe, one of my favourite actors ever, I think. Um, yeah. up, up there with Jeremy Irons and Nicolas Cage as people who I don't think have ever given a bad performance in anything. Certainly uh, not a... Uh, a boring one. Yeah, the very least not a boring one. I don't, I, genuinely, I don't think he's even a bad performance. He's performed in bad films. Um, th- there's a quote about Tim Curry that I think perfectly encapsulates Willem Dafoe as well, which is, for every one-star film Tim Curry's been in, he was the reason it got that one star. Yes, yeah. It's 100% true. After watching Tim Curry in, um, was it Red, Com- Red Commander? Con- Red Conqueror? Red Conqueror. <laughs> That that's fucking the one place escape the one place that hasn't been touched by capitalism. Spells, yeah. fucking beautiful. Um, yeah, uh, Willem Dafoe, The Lighthouse, which was my second favorite film of 2019. The Florida Project, which was my favorite film of 2019. Uh, Platoon, which was one of my favorite. It is my favorite Vietnam film. I think going American Psycho, classic Boondock Saints, fucking brilliant. Spider Man. The best iteration of the Green Goblin, best iteration of Spider-Man. Just so much fucking stuff. Um, And as I'm just discovering, he was on a Scorsese flick uh, who needed to cast for a Dutchman. And uh, Willem Dafoe learnt the Dutch phonetically and pretended to be Dutch. And Scorsese asked him to improvise and he said, I don't know Dutch. (laughs) 
Uh, that, that's how he got his kind of push into the industry. It's just fucking perfect. And it does. He fucking does look Dutch. To be fair, that's 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 my uh, allowance to be a, a tiny bit xenophobic. He looks Dutch, and Scorsese and himself thinks so. So I'm allowed to say it. Charlotte Gainsbourg, who plays she, the only other, well, not the only other um, actor. There's, there's a doctor at one point, and there's a few people in a funeral procession, and there's a few faceless women at the end. But um, yeah, the only other major character, or even minor character by far, uh, also in Nymphomaniac, the Lars von Trier film that completes the Depression trilogy, Melancholia, the film we're going to talk about later, she plays a sister in that, uh, Samba, I, I can't remember that one was now, uh, Jane Eyre, the old Austin stuff, and The Snowman, which was a shitty thriller, came out recently, she is a good actress, she's unfortunately been in a lot of crap. Uh, budget box office wise a budget of 3.4 million dollars and a box office of 7.4 million dollars domestic in America that is uh, 400,000 this did far far fucking better on the European continent than it did in America fucking light years better Um, including the UK, UK did pretty well actually here's the thing I'm not surprised Right, I'm not sure why. Are the British just naturally more welcoming to depressing shit? I think we're more welcoming to um, low budget indie stuff. Well, the weirder stuff. Generally speaking, we've got more dense film communities. That, that sounds a bit. In America, it's just so spread out that the, the small stuff doesn't tend to hit them quite as hard. It doesn't shake the land. Right. Okay. So, example. Right. In music. If no one's ever seen the the Billboard chart, um, America is fairly standard. Like nothing weird really jumps into the American music charts at any point. You have the odd thing like the fucking um, oh the Convoy song in nineteen seventy four. But generally speaking, because it's just a, such a big country, you don't get huge populous waves. Because England is a much smaller country and much more densely packed, it only takes a couple communities to really jump on something to make it fucking popular which is why indie films just do better here. I mean, Evil Dead's the famous one, right? Evil Dead, we saved. 100% we just saved. It would have died a death if we hadn't jumped in there to help it out. In terms of music, if you were curious, Bob the Builder's got three number one hits in this country. Mr. Blobby's got a number one hit in this country. And oh, uh, Bagpipes, um, Something Grace, uh, was a number one hit for nine weeks in this country, which is just wonderful. The sound engineer, to go down to trivia, sound engineer uh, swallowed a microphone and recorder to record the inner audio of his body in order to achieve certain sounds in the film. It uh, presumably came out a day later in an interesting fashion. Apparently you can do that. Lovely. It was originally scheduled for production in 2005, but executive producer Peter Ablek Jensen uh, accidentally released the planned ending in which it would be revealed, spoiler alert, as always, that Satan created the world, not God. Uh, Lars von Trier was furious and decided to delay the shoot so we could rewrite the script. Would that be a more satisfactory oh. ending for you? The ending of Antichrist. If it ended with it being revealed, Satan created the world? I mean, I guess... I, it. I wouldn't have 
honestly, the current ending's a bit shit as well, so it, it's... I don't think I would have changed my opinion much. Say the truth. No, that, that's fair. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the ending to it at all. Might, might as well get on that, to be fair, just very quickly, briefly, before I forget. Uh, so the ending, obviously, you have the women coming up from one side of the hill, uh, both both sides of the hill, towards uh, he... Oh, I'm going to call Willem Dafoe. Charlotte Gainsbourg and Willem Dafoe, just to make it easier. I'm not going to use fucking like basic pronouns to push this stuff. That's going to get confusing as shit. It's a shame they're not like non-binary or something, and I can't start using they them stuff. That would actually be less confusing through this. Fuck it. Who said that the trans community aren't bringing linguistic benefits to the world? Um, <laughs> I I don't think Lars von Trier is misogynistic. I don't know if that's a controversial statement. I don't think he hates women. I think he just can't communicate very well. No, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's like I said earlier. Like my. When I watch these films, I get the intense feeling of one of those people. Have you ever meeting someone that is intelligent, is an intelligent human being, but has absolutely shit at articulation and is just not good at talking to people? You know, a lot of people who are autistic tend to have those kinds of problems. And these films are the equivalent of that. I can see what he's trying to do. They're well written, you know, to the a point. You know, they're well shot. They're well directed. You know, he, he it clearly has a point, has a purpose. It's not meandering. They're not boring, personally. I didn't, you know, they're decent films, regardless of my personal opinion on them. But there's just something a bit shit about <laughs> No, yeah, I, I think you are right. I mean, um, in Dogville, at least, Grace always felt slightly like a character was always the problem. When Nicole Kidman, she didn't feel like a person. There was just something stopping it. And I can never quite tell what. I still love the film, I really do. It's one of the you know, up there best depression films going. But there was just something there where it it made it felt it made it feel like a film. It doesn't help that the whole film's set on a soundstage, um, for that one at least, which is really interesting. To be fair, but no, yeah, there, there is always something. And weirdly, I think the best character he's ever done, uh, the most realistic portrayal, is probably Jack, which says a lot about him as a person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think he might. Uh... Sympathise with Jack a bit. And he did say openly that it was a bit of a push. Or someone said that it, it was like his works, his magnum opus in showing what his, what his actual career is, a mirror image to what he's done so far, which I'm not. Yeah, that, that works. <laughs> Unfortunately. But, um, yeah, the, it, it's, it's how he's... Uh, the way I see it is he, it's how he sees the world. And he sees the world as a very different place. Which is why I think so many people gravitate and so many people hate at the same time. So, are you talking about good filmmaking? At the very least. I know I said earlier, before we've started recording, that the problem I have with melancholia and some of the problems I have with Antichrist as well is if, if your direction, your visuals are interchangeable with a perfume advert, 
you know the fucking adverts I'm talking about. Like, it's got one girl who's riding a black horse down in slow motion. And you've got a, a low voice from either a guy or a girl, either or, but it's always low in pitch. That's talking about um, frills for life and the, the coolness of how you must persevere and then it shows a perfume bottle at the end as if that had anything to do with fucking anything you've seen up until this point I swear to god like half these (laughs) half these fucking adverts I would prefer if like there's just one twat standing next to another twat he sprays a bottle in his face so that's alright fucking miles better advertisement I'd fucking get that no one's buying shit for this watch commercials clothing commercials car commercials and perfume commercials are interchangeable along with Lars von Trier films. Any five of them, you could splice scenes from them, place into the other, and you wouldn't know the fucking difference. Don't tell me you would. <laughs> like the, the first five minutes of Antichrist, it does work in retrospect when you know what's kind of coming, sort of. It's, okay, it's well shot, but... Yeah, it's... I've never laughed so hard at a baby dying. <laughs> <laughs> This kid climbs out of his fucking cage, which already is like, a okay, he should not be in a cage then because he's too old for it. Then sees his parents banging and then yeets himself out of a fucking window. Uh, you, you know what, if I was in that kid's position, anyone seen their parents fucking, it crossed my mind. It's like, can I continue living? I mean, seen that. And I know my dad tells about seeing my nan and granddad fuck. Just hearing them banging on the table, walks in the door at seven years old and just goes back upstairs to curl up into a ball and cry. Maybe if we were in an apartment, but, I wouldn't exist. But, like, this kid is, like, three years old, yeah? Yeah. If that. And has enough intelligence has enough like awareness to know that he has to push a chair to a specific point at the table climb up climb over a gap of from the table to the window and then fall off like this kid is fucking suicidal like this kid has been waiting for the moment to do this it has a plan it executes that plan like immediately Given what we know, do do you think that Charlotte Ginsburg might have been teaching it what to do? Given we know she's abusive later on, that she possibly not trying to kill the kid, but I mean, maybe, but it's never said. I'm I'm always of opinion of like a two-hour film, hour and a half, two-hour film. If it's not fucking said in the film, even if it's like a throwaway line. It's not happened that way, if that makes sense. If they're bothering to fuck about with showing her seeing the kid fling itself out of the window, then it would show um, like a two-second flashback of her showing the kid to push the thing. You know what I mean? No, I don't think it's necessary. You've got the feet that she was doing, putting on the wrong shoes to the point where he's deformed by this point. I, I could fully see her character have an implication that she was like leaving him knives or leaving him fucking meth and telling him exactly how much to shove in. <laughs> Giving him no, detailed instructions that he could fly. I would agree with you with normal films, but not with Lars von True. 
I don't think they're good enough <laughs> or subtle. They're not subtle enough. He does have a habit of under-explaining shit, though. Massive habit. Like, in this, you've got the three um, strangers unexplained. You've got the women at the end who aren't fucking explained at all. You've got Melancholia, the uh, premonition power, the divination for um, Kirsten Dunst's character, which isn't explained. There's, there's a lot kind of left in the air. Again, House that Jack built is the one that's really solid, actually, with what's said. It's grounded. Oh, I can't believe that's the fucking one that's like, sound plot-wise, but yeah, it's, it's the only one that doesn't really leave anything open. Really There's a difference be between it being open and it interpreting something. So, for example, the three strangers in Antichrist. So the whole point is like, when three tra- strangers arrive, someone needs to die. Some bullshit like that, right? In terms of relevance to the plot. That's what I meant to say. That's what I mean. If it's relevant to the plot, it will be shown. So... Relevance to the plot. The three strangers. What are they? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter to the plot. Just that when these three arrive, someone needs to die, and that's why this bitch is trying to kill him, right? Um, She was being abusive to the child. They showed that. That is, you know, watch, uh, that is um, useful to the plot, because that's how the bloke finds out she's insane, right? The kid dying, her being shown that she saw the kid dying relevant to the plot anything that is relevant to the plot is shown everything else is removed if she had taught that child to kill itself that would be relevant to the plot and it's the same with melancholia as as much as i like spoiler alert i didn't like melancholia anything that is relevant to the plot is told as little plot there is, but anything that's relevant to it is shown, is given, is told. Anything that is not told or shown or all that isn't relevant to the film. I can I can stand by that. I completely forgot, by the way, um, just to add to the comedy of like him chucking himself out a window, opera music wasn't the right choice. <laughs> and the slow fall, the multiple shots of the kid falling, and then the obvious shot of a doll hitting the floor. I need to add like cartoon sounds onto that. Just a little boing at the end, a crash, an explosion as he hits the ground. It takes like five minutes to hit the floor, <laughs> and it's like it cuts to the child's face and this very uninterested kid is clearly like being dropped from like a a foot high, you know, thing. And it's this kid was like. An un- just this most plain-looking face. Yeah, this kid ain't an Alan Rickman. He's not that fucking good. The kid, the kid's <laughs> dead inside. Like, even if it was a smile, like it was laughing, I could, I could understand that. Like, it's flying through the air. He's having a whale through the time. You know, he's having a whale of a time. But no, just the most blank weird human, weird adults are doing weird things. The exact expression I'd imagine Lars von Trier would have if he killed himself at three years old. <laughs> Just dead inside. It's a matter of fact. Oh, this is happening now. 
Just wonder, does he need to explain it? Is it relevant? Yeah. <laughs> With that, um, that that's kind of the, the catalyst to kick off everything. Can we... It takes a while to probably push into the mainstay of the film, like 20 minutes, I think, before they hit the cabin, or half an hour, maybe. Uh, about that, I mean, like, an hour goes by before anything really interesting happens. So I didn't really fuck the time when they go to the cabin. I don't mind that so much as first third, second act. Pretty def- pretty well defined, actually. Um, I'd say like the first act ends when they get to the cabin. Second act ends when she hits his cock with a plank of wood. Who? Well, are we going to do a play by play for this game? For this game? For this film? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I'm I'm happy to yeah. rather than like with August I'll Underground be- and Mad God to an extent. I'm happy to go proper play by play. Sweet, but I'll mention this when we get to that scene. But um, something bothers me about that bloody scene. <laughs> And it's not just him getting hit in the dick, but, you know. Not just, let me clarify, that does bother me a lot. He gets hit in the dick, that looks like a fucking hurt. Actually, no, later on's worse. Far fucking worse. What she does to herself. <laughs> oh, God. That, that, that gave oh, me goosebumps. Yeah. Well done, sir, for that one. That you, That's fucking worse than anything that was in August Underground. The, within this, uh, she ends up in hospital for months, collapsing over grief for the kid. Eh, I said grief. I, I don't quite know. She's a narcissistic, insane person. Um, I'm not. It, I need to clarify it, this. As well. I'm not a psychologist, <laughs> so this is all speculation on what Lars von Trier wanted to portray, not me trying to diagnose the character. Just have that in your head now. That I'm not. Saying if I say someone's depressed, that's what I think Von Trier was trying to portray. I'm not saying that I can diagnose someone with depression. I'm not trying to um, say how you can have depression. Neither of us are. We're not trying to say how you can be narcissistic or how you can have mental health. That's just what I think Von Trier was trying to portray with this. So don't try to get I'll, all in arms about I'll, it. Don't worry about it. Melancholia, I'll have something to say about mental health, but because it, you know, uh, but it, apart from that, yeah. If we do, we'll explicitly say we're doing that. But if there's yeah. like a casual thing that we just throw out there, it's what I think Lars von Trier is trying to do. And don't blame him either. It, he, it's his interpretation on it, I think, except for the case of melancholia, which is far more overt. Um, and we have different opinions on that, obviously, but we'll get to that when we get to it. Yeah, at this moment in the film, in the plot, that it is, she is portrayed by being incredibly depressed and grief-filled um, in a hospital bed, dosed up to the nines by medication. The foe, you'd say he's the main character? Uh, yeah, I would for this, or at least he's the audience's in for most of it. Yeah, I'd say he's protagonist, she's antagonist. A lot, and it's yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely would. Um, but yeah, he he is a psychologist, uh, I believe, or at least you know something along those lines. Um, and he doesn't like the fact that she's in hospital for something that needs to be a, you know, um, she needs to see a psychotherapist. And in the worst possible thing you could do 
right, for someone who is grieving in that way, is to do it yourself, which is what he does. Wait, they even say, oh, outright, this is a bad idea, I know, but I'm, I know better. Um, he has that air of arrogance about him throughout the entire production of all of it. Yeah, I think I think he is a psychologist. He says a, a note at some point where she says she's not even a doctor, and he says, and I'm proud. And I'm fairly certain you don't need a doctorate for psychology. You need a doctorate for um, psychiatry. There's, I think that's there's, there's a few more differences, but yeah, the clinical stuff. There's a I know for a fact you can have a master's in psychology and still we call it a psychologist. It's not nutritionist, dietitian stuff. Both are useful. No, in, yeah. I mean in this film he fucking is. He's, he's the worst fucking therapist I've ever seen in my life. He's terrible. It gets about the results expected, to be fair. He fucks her too many times. Well, actually, no, that's bad. It's more more accurate to say he allows her to fuck him too many times. Because she is very aggressive in that kind of manner. There's there's a load of mistakes. And again, I'm not a psychologist. I can't fucking tell you the ins and outs of everything that he fucks up on each and every word. But I I can tell you that exposure therapy... It doesn't work when you're grieving over your like three-year-old kid a couple months later when you're still in the hospital for it. That that's a bad idea. Just yeah, I. That is a point. Why did they go to the cabin? I don't know. For like to fears, right, and to like help with anxiety. It's classic exposure therapy. You show her that she doesn't have to be afraid of it because it won't hurt her. When in reality, I mean, this happens, so clearly it doesn't fucking work. And I benefit of hindsight and all that, Captain fucking hindsight over here, but bad idea to start with. Well, it's also the fact that it's grief. Her kid's died. What does dealing with her anxiety have to do with her kid dying? He should have taxidermied her kid instead. (laughs) Exposure therapy just followed it around on a fish hook, chased her. If we go through exposure therapy, it's a general idea. That's actually a point. What was the what the fuck was the purpose of that? Um, I, I think he wanted to do something very extreme to just shove her and shock her out of it, and he he didn't want to go through the ins and outs of standard therapy. He had an idea and he wanted to instantly push on it because he, he thought he was right. So that's a, a steady theme for it. He thinks he's right in every circumstance. He's very, that, very fucking arrogant. It's even something she shits on him for, which is fair enough. Yeah. You yeah. always think you're the smartest person in the room. You're diagnosing rather than actually engaging. Uh, we get the proper beginnings of therapy which uh, starts with the uh, flushing of medication down the drain. And this woman, FYI, needs as much fucking medication as possible. She could overdose herself. It'd be good for the fucking world, frankly. But we don't know that yet. Uh, I would still agree she needs fucking medication. She she, she needs something to help her not be fucking manic. (laughs) Like... (laughs) <laughs> minimum fluoroxetine don't get me wrong yeah like she she has outbursts she obviously I understand fucking why I'm not a machine she's lost her fucking child you know <laughs> like so yeah 
she's not going to be very happy. Um, but that's you just need something to help with that rather than just oh no we're going the natural way we're going to a cabin in the forest yeah it's far away so in case she does anything to herself you can't do shit oh god yeah i'd say either way generally speaking flushing all her medication is a bad idea um if the doctors recommend it i i tend to go with them to push on that again, Defoe in this film is uh, a moron. Out and out, an arrogant prick who fully gets his comeuppance by the end. Well, no, I think the thing is overwrought. The justice by the end. Poor fucking guy. Eh. I mean, guy, guy in that. He's arrogant. He deserves a slap and a bit of a, a sassing, but not what happened. Not his dick getting caved in. His becomes a bit of a misnomer by the end of it. He loses his own pronoun. <laughs> Fucking tragedy. As she does, to be fair. Fuck me. Well, yeah. The, 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 just a bit of a pillock, really. <laughs> I love that trying to come up with something and then just, you know, it's a bit of a pillock. A nice and straight <laughs> down the middle. I mean, it's, it's perfectly fucking... It, 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 Pushes onto his character pretty perfectly. To be fair, Pillock, bit harmless, a prick, possibly means well, but a Pillock. Uh, I mean, she is yeah. a host- she is a hostile patient. To be fair to him, I mean, no, actually, not to be fair to him. This is why he shouldn't have taken her on in the first place. Uh, I've got a couple quotes here and there. Um, you're indifferent as to whether your child is alive or dead, which, yeah, it, it kind of is in a sense. Or seems to well, be that I actually would defend him on because it's shown them walking behind the coffin, right? That that wake, right? Yeah, he is in bits. Oh, he is. He's yeah. not dealing very well, as you would expect from your kid dying. Um, she collapses during the wake. And then it's said that she's been in hospital for, what was it, months at that point? Or like three, a month and a half? Like three months, I think it was. A long-ass time. Now, obviously, I would still be upset that my kid was dead three months after. <laughs> but... As he is a professional, or at least, you know, as professional as you can get being a bit of a pillock, having to look after his wife, who's clearly not doing well, right, and trying to help her, trying to stay strong, I can understand. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I I, I understand that side of things. Um... He doesn't defend himself, which is like... Come on, like, <laughs> she just said you didn't give a shit about your kid dying. <laughs> it's like. Well, it's him treating her more as a patient than a person and him trying to um, <laughs> scientize it. Remove the emotion and all that shit. Yeah, but they, don't they, like, fuck, like, five minutes later? <laughs> you can hate fuck. Go for it. You can, uh, you can fuck without any emotion. You, you really go for it. He can he can decide the scientific method on how psychologically damaged she is from the number of thrusts that she pushes forth. 
you can do that shit different methodology i'm what? sure <laughs> can i get their number <laughs> which actually might work with some people bang autistic for i couldn't take that pressure Reason I know for a fucking fact after the fact, oh, you, you went for the suck. Within five minutes, you're clearly a Freudian nightmare. I, I know for a fact <laughs> that that's exactly what comes of that shit. I'm never going out with a therapist at the time stuff. Oh, do, 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 do. So, yeah, I, this goes on for a solid, like, 15 minutes where they have basically minor... Well, she's passive-aggressive through it, bordering on aggressive-aggressive. Like she says shit like um, he thought her subject, her uh, thesis subject was glib, which it kind of was from the, the surroundings of it, and it turned her into what she becomes. So, yeah. Yeah, very easily influenced she is. Yeah, there's not a lot of research cabin, and she turns into a fucking gun. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing too glib about the film. Wait, um, there's. Uh, stuff that she says later, uh, nature is Satan's church. Um, it's like the juxtaposition built up between nature being a safer place and an incredibly dangerous one, as we see throughout this film, there's safety found in nature and complete danger. Yeah, they, they go back and forth, uh, create pyramids of fear pushing forward, which he tries to kind of gauge what the top fear is. I think it was herself by the end, if I remember rightly. That was the, the final decision, that she fears herself more than anything else. Um, yeah, I think like right before he gets the dick smashing. Yeah, and then nature is presumed at one point, and that's taken out. Uh, the cabin Eden is placed in the top. That's removed eventually with her herself. Because, yeah, I... I'm not, I'm not sure it says she's... No, she is. She hates herself. She she really does despise herself. Mostly through the research, which was about persecution of women, I think. And she somehow takes that to mean that women should be persecuted and are evil, inherently. Um, which interesting interpretation. It's, 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 it's like she agrees with the persecutors and tries to act accordingly. Hence, you know... A lot of um, sexual aggression, a lot of aggression, period. Um, yeah, like I, at one point I almost thought she was like um, like a split personality kind of idea. I think it was all building up to this, eventually. I mean, there's, there's clearly but... s- something supernatural-esque going on with the three strangers as well. I don't know if that kind of properly set her off. Um, and the women at the end, of course. Yeah, that's the... that's I, I didn't like the fact that it was kind of... Like, she was right? Not right in the, in the persecution thing, in the fact that there's supernatural elements. I didn't like that. And I forgot about that the first time I watched it. I, I don't like that. It would have been... I would have... Okay. Like if it was just an uh, in a cabin, and her husband, that would be scarier as well. Yeah, I mean, um, there are plenty of films out there with no element supernaturally that are 
fucking fun. In fact, there's a weird thing like with um, the films that are put up there as the most grotesque and the most horrific, rarely supernatural. Really rarely have any elements of proper like ghosts, goblins and gremlins. Well, no fucking goblins. There's, there's never been a scary horror film with fucking goblins. In. You, you get what I mean? No, I, I refuse to believe that goblins have ever been fucking scary. Uh, Goblin Slayer. They're fairly fucking horrific in that. They're still fucking goblins, though. Goblins aren't scary. Yeah, but when raping a bunch of women, it's kind of... Oh, right. <laughs> no, I can't, I can't find even... them. They're always scamps to me. It's fucked up. <laughs> I just see them as annoying more than anything in any pop culture has been ruined but most of them like the horrific horror the the real push on the far side tend to be human more so I mean um, Eden Lake this August on the ground Hostel uh, they, they tend to beget a lot of the supernatural side of things has Jack Mill in this there's I mean some supernatural elements but it doesn't add to the horror really uh, yeah, that... Jack's not it's more spiritual than supernatural. Yeah. You know, it's like God and Satan and hell, heaven and hell. I mean, they could have, I suppose, cut like 10 minutes or five minutes and just removed all instances of the three strangers. Still had the animals. Um, yeah, you could have still done something with that. Find carcasses to show that, I don't know, nature's scary. Blah, and had the crow. Oh, yeah, because fucking brutal. Like, she's right about that. <laughs> oh, 100%. Fucking bitch. I mean, she says later on, uh, nature is Satan's church. Which... If someone said that to me, if someone, act, like, said that to me and, like, with a full serious look on their face, I would be like, okay, love, okay, all right. Sure, love, sure it is. <laughs> like, I would not take them seriously. It's not only that she said it with a serious face, that she says it out of the blue. Just looking at nature's Satan's church in the same way that you'd say, oh, it's raining today, that's a shame. <laughs> nature's Satan's church. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm gonna go. Fuck, does that <laughs> That should have been the fella's reaction. That that should have been the fella's reaction, just looking at her like, What? What yeah, do you mean? far more fucking, <laughs> far less profound than she thinks it is. Glib might, yeah, glib's a perfect fucking word for a thesis if that was the centre of it. About the persecution and the witch hunts. <laughs> humanity's, one of the shittest moments in humanity's history. Nah, the bitches deserved it. What? <laughs> That's your thesis. <laughs> I don't think they ever give a reason either that they deserved it. And it, it's ever extrapolated on, it's just they did. No, I'm just imagining that's your thesis, them bitches deserved it. <laughs> Watch just a really <laughs> just... awkward fucking meeting with three other doctors. Just Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> Whatever like the how you get past or whatever like that, just um, at another point, you wrote uh, another thesis. Uh, Hose mad. Um, <laughs> are these connected in any way? Uh, oh Christ! It's a shame she uh, 
she died before the invention of TikTok. She would have done amazingly on that. Oh shit! She'd have been followed. Land aside. Jesus, should give this bitch Twitter. Let her have at it. She'd be sitting there with the uh, skull vodka glass. Don't diss fucking Dan Aykroyd vodka. I won't hear anything about that I'm... comparison. Through, I love Dan Aykroyd vodka. I'm not dissing the vodka. I'm dissing the people who drink it. <laughs> I fucking drink that stuff. It's great vodka. <laughs> Dan Aykroyd's actually got his head screwed on much, much tighter than she does, which is saying a lot. Dan Aykroyd believes in crystal skulls and fucking wizards. With all that, we the back and forth between them, fairly faux-hostile, at least from one side of it, eventually come towards Eden on the church uh, called Eden. There's a lot of religious allegory through most of this clearly intentional given the original ending if you're surprised about that from a film called Antichrist <laughs> fair enough yeah <laughs> think the broken crack in your skull and then come back I forgot about the name I, I probably didn't need to say that now that, that was a pointless fucking sentence Antichrist got religious allegory who would know it's going to be about fucking <laughs> wizards in space and shit. For fuck's sake. <laughs> Walking forward towards Eden, the, the place that she's terrified of, where she abused her child, for all this, and discovered her hatred of womankind generally. Um, the, it's originally done in a, a kind of... I don't know, it, it was kind of like a 2D drawing-esque thing. That was kind of nice, or it was done with a little filter over it at the very least. Which you want for it. I can't remember now actually how it was done. Um, but it was done with something else as she does it in her mind's eye, kind of projects herself through it for a little bit in a kind of, oh, you, you've done it now, however this goes. Yeah, it, it almost seemed when she's imagining uh, Eden in her head, it's almost like there's a, a petrol fog machine going on. Like, there's a lot more mist, and there's a lot more, like, shit obscuring the view and stuff. I liked it, pushing through, giving kind it's of a, open to the scene. It's a good sequence, yeah. Oh, nice. It's, uh, yeah, it, it it shows you kind of what she thinks outside of it, and obviously you get the, the complete different approach when she's actually going there, and um, which should be expected, to be fair. She's running in through onto this. She, she can't cope very well, but you get the foxhole, you get kind of the major set pieces that are all set up quite nicely. Um, the bridge, the water, mm. probably the foxhole's the big one that really comes into play uh, later down the hill as well for the ending uh, you get a glimpse of. And just the, the general forest um, itself, which looks quite beautiful actually from that. Slightly sinister with the fog machine going on, hey. but it's got a nice aspect to it. It's just a nice little woodland path, really. Hmm. Pretty much. Pro- pro- properly English looking. I don't say so myself. That really reminded me of uh, growing up around Waisley area. It really reminded me of walking around there. Nostalgic. And the cinematography um, with that, and the rest of the film, to be fair, is beautiful. Uh, genuinely, it's some of the best stuff out there. I think Von Trier, whatever you say to him about a write, say about him as a writer... Uh, his direction, his cinematography is masterful, I think, in a lot of senses. Oh, yeah. uh, especially for Melancholia. Melancholia is 
truly a, a work of art if you take it purely aesthetically. Uh, and I think writing-wise as well, but again, get to that when we get to it. But this film as well, pitch perfect. Proper Birth of Venus style. Lovely to look at. And when... I'd agree. I, I, that it, the visuals are the best part of this film. Um, in Metacolia as well. It is... A... Vance Van Drew has a wonderful eye for visual storytelling as well. Wonderful, basically. Like you said, it's beautiful. I don't know if it'd be any better taking on someone else's direction, uh, taking on someone else's writing, just doing all the directing and everything else. I'd, to be fair, I wonder if that'd end up Tim Burtoning and he'd just completely fuck it up beyond reproach, having no connection to it. Probably that, to be fair. I don't see this as a guy who could actually take on someone else's work. Yeah, I get the distinct feeling that you'd have to find someone who can work with him. He definitely... This isn't even shitting on him. This is not like a uh, an insult. He definitely seems like the kind of person who is focused on his thing. You know what I mean? No, I don't think it's an insult. I think it's praise. I think someone who is so focused in their own art, someone who knows what they want to produce and produces exactly what they want to produce, I think that's um, something to be looked up to, to an extent. I'd love to be able to do that, to have my own vision and just 100% go for that without caring what anyone else thinks or pushes on it, and only being able to do that, really. Um, Well, not the exclusion, obviously, of other creatives, but yeah, you get what I mean. Hedging myself yeah, hedging myself there, like a pussy. You know, they you know, get towards the location. Oh, the fools, not the strangers. Sorry, the fools. That's my notes bringing us back. Uh, we get one of the three fools, which is a deer um, with another deer pouched in its ass. Pleasant. Uh, I. It's uh, stillbirth. Oh, I thought that was what it was. I'm going to assume. I thought it was Mama Deer with Baby Deer dead sticking out of it. I'd imagine it's that. Yeah, it, it's probably not just a deer that shoved another deer up its arsehole. <laughs> a, a deer that sat on a baby deer. Birth imagery and like a lot of female-centric kind of story and all that kind of shit. <laughs> it's just like, nah, this deer just shoved another deer up its arse. <laughs> It's got fuck all to do with birth <laughs> and the cat. That's why they're called the three fools. The fucking idiot. Oh, that that just shows where the uh, part of my lit degree went to. Transitioning, talking about not coping well. Uh, she doesn't cope well at all in Eden, which surprises um, no one. Possibly Willem Dafoe for some reason, a little bit. Arrogant uh, dick. And she, uh, yeah, she just runs. Hasn't helped you getting over your dead child. I would love if if Willem Dafoe got her over being scared of Eden, and she still needs the hospital. It's just no, I'm still not over my dead child. You've done nothing to fucking help that. Yeah, thank you for helping me with my agoraphobia. <laughs> now I'm still fucking depressed because my child's still dead. Moves on to arachnophobia. Just throw spiders out of this will help you. I'll, I'll draw children on the spiders, one fear at a time. Yeah, but it doesn't cut well. She just runs to her own bed, falls on top of it, um, and then 
Yeah, we, we get basically a lot of back and forth with he and her, and she and him, Willem Dafoe and Charlotte Ginsburg, for the next like thirty minutes until we hit the real climax. Uh, a lot of therapy and stuff. A lot of esoteric language from Ginsburg that kind of skirts around her own thesis. And it, as I said, like Nate, nature is Satan's church, um, provocative for the sake of provocation. There's a lot of stuff kind of thrown in that provocative for the sake of provocation sounds like Lars von Trier kind of encapsulated actually. Talking about um, plot, I know it, I know it's kind of got a mother um, child thing associated with it, but what, what was the point of the acorns falling against the roof then? Was that just a nice way to disturb and to keep tension high? Honestly, I think so. That or just showcasing nature being a dick. Well, that's fair. I mean, you get Willem Dafoe wakes up with God knows what in his arm on the morning as well. This fuck is that? I don't know. That like lichen have grown on him overnight, spun over from the sea. Um, my best guess, you know, actually, I don't know. I was going to say some sort of leech, but clearly unless not. There's, unless it's some kind of like American insect that we have no idea, or American bug or plant. Yeah, uh, if you could let us know what the fuck he had on his arm there. Yeah, why not? Oh yeah, that that was another thing as well. There was something uh, that someone wrote in an article I was reading about the whole thing, which was um, that they're travelling through Eden in the mind's eye, the perfect Eden in a sense with the fog world, but having eaten the fruit already, um, to take from some level of religious metaphor, the place has already been corrupted and broken uh, which is why she doesn't cope later on down the line. It might not have been. I, I might have just wrote that while I'm thoroughly pissed. It does sound <laughs> like something I think is smart at the time, but doesn't work later on. I don't, I don't think she was ever happy within the area. I think it's, to say from earlier as well, implied, I know. Um, but I, I don't think it's, it, it's ever shown. I think she says outright that she didn't like it there. She heard the sounds of screaming. There was other problems. I think they just broke her. Little, I mean, she was already broken, she was already fucking nuts, but I think this really went to just finally snap her into uh, the previous. And we see that like through a lot of the exercises that she has to go through in just the area, going stone to stone, which was kind of fun, actually. You know, I won't lie, that that was a nice way of kind of visualising progress, which is, is, is nice to see actual progression as opposed to melancholia. A lot of it, it's... Like you said, back and forth. She seems to be doing well, you know, because at this point we don't know that she is actually a cunt, right? We just think that she's, you know, incredibly... She's still, you know, coping with the loss of her child, right? And just kind of not doing very well with it, basically developed bipolar disorder. Um... Where she seems to be doing okay. At one point, she, you know, wants to go for a hike and is like, "I'm okay. I'm like, I'm, I'm doing okay." But, you know, as per usual, Defoe goes, "Nah, you're not. <laughs> She's too quick." Repeat for thirty minutes, and that's much the part two of. Uh, oh no, there's a, a bit with a fox just talks to Willem Defoe. Uh, one of the other three fools, a dying fox, legs fucked, 
it's back done in uh, no animals harmed in the making of this just very very well done uh, models throughout and fucking mm. congrats on that side uh, yeah I mean that, that is pretty much it I mean a couple of the a couple of the quotes I do actually quite like um, it's what it seems like this is just fucking r slash fedora quotes a lot of the time <laughs> so, some of them are decent like fear is thoughts distorting reality not the other way around I quite like that because that that's much of what she is doing she's distorting reality with her own fear she's believing that the persecuted were in the wrong and not realizing it's her fear that's doing that i can i can, I can see that that speaks a lot like paranoia and stuff like that yeah it's basic but i think it kind of works um she does sound like a lunatic for all these portions as well i should say when i say we find it she's insane she sounds insane in a lot of the stuff she says, you kind of put it off to grief on the first viewing, or at least I did when I was watching it in hindsight. And again, it might all just be down to that. Defoe's a little bit to blame because he keeps prodding her, but she is mental. You you can tell there's something very, very fucking wrong with her. Even when she says, like, I'm cured, which I, I gather as she wants to be out of the fucking situation before she starts slamming his dick into, which, good. She's not fucking coherent at any point. I mean, if it, I, mean, I suppose it properly culminates when he finds her book and it, it goes fairly standard from um, the more rational women are evil and the witch hunters were right, kill all witches, burn them at the stake, to more irrational women are evil, witch hunters are right, burn them at the stake, but more spaced out in the page. <laughs> it's just a fucking mental book about free fools and shit. She's she's clearly insane. Just a misogynist from hell. I don't know if there's a term... I, I suppose it's just a female misogynist, isn't it? I don't think it was a term for, like, self-misogyny. Grained? Yeah, ingrained Maybe. misogyny. That sort of works. Yeah, she... Um, but yeah. She's nuts. Fucking bad shit. She's balmy, right? He gets a letter, previously as well, from the mortician... About his son's, like, um, examination, like, after he died, cause of death, all that bollocks. And his feet were fucked up. Like, the child's feet were fucked up. Now, as it turns out, it's because the uh, mother was abusing the child, right? Yeah. But no one brings up the fact that the child went out the window feet first... Surely that's what could have fucked up the child's feet, maybe. <laughs> it's slamming its feet into the ground at 20 miles an hour. Not even 20. Like he's going, like, what, four or five stories? You, you, you're pushing on a solid fucking 60 at that point, I think. Like, I've, I've done skydiving. You, you go, you pick up speed very fucking quickly. I mean, you accelerate most in the, the first, like, two seconds, don't you? Yeah, so it would kind of make sense. <laughs> yeah. But no, it was a woman uh, tying shoes on the wrong side. Presumably like thousands of fucking times to manage that. And the dad never know. He was a piece of shit. Defoe, if he never noticed yeah. that for weeks on end. He must have been so fucking distant. My kid's walking funny. Hey, he's a kid. He's just learning how to walk. Might be part okay. of the point. Might be part of the point as well. To be fair, just to show that he is that distant. To clarify it. Yeah, that's the point. Did he never? 
he never looked at his kids' feet. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> now, take, don't get me wrong. Taking on the basis that they to. are right, that's the problem. He never put shoes on his kid. Based on that, um, and he never looked at the feet. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, my defending him earlier is a bit. It's uh, going down a bit. <laughs> oh yeah, creepy tree sex. Forgot about that scene. I don't know what it's about. It's just creepy tree sex with hands coming out of the tree as they fuck against the roots. Hot. Uh, probably people are buried there. Like, because are we going with this film being a metaphor for something? Or I don't know what it's a fucking. Me- yeah, it's definitely a metaphor for something. I'm not von Trier enough to or, know what it's a metaphor for. Or is it like Melancholia, where it's all it's not a metaphor. This is just what's happening. No, I think there is something at work with, with all with so much left completely unexplained. There's clearly something. The the allegory, the religious side of it, and there's something he's trying to push. I can clearly have the creepy tree sex alone. That's you know a weird thing they they said I watched an interview where um they, they had they said they had great intimacy on the set, but they didn't know each other like at all. They knew their names. Uh, they kissed in front of the camera when they kissed the first time it was in front of the camera. I don't know why that needs to be clarified. Of course it fucking was. They're not not every fucking Hollywood actress is hooking up with an actor. And they got naked would, for the first time yeah, with the camera rolling. I would kind of hope so. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know why that needs to be clarified, to be fair, that this is pure pretending. Um, acting's a job. Not every, like... Like, Cersei wasn't fucking Jamie's actor in real life. She wasn't also fucking Robert Baratheon's actor. They weren't all... in what the Game of Thrones, it wasn't... The actors weren't also having one big sex orgy. It's acting, but it was very good. To be fair, that there was a certain intimacy, and I think to an extent, with a film like this, when there's not that actual like um, relationship in real life, and there's an element of tension there, um, which does it does come out a touch, it element of hesitation to an extent. It really helps, um, kind of set the scene at least in Defoe's side of things. For me, I, I don't know again if it's just watching back benefits and all that but I think there was some element of hesitation in all of these interactions at least from his side reluctance eventually and then she overpowers him and just goes for it she's um she's very sexually active sexually aggressive yeah girl needs to get her uh, 50 shades of grey on monetize this shit get out on the road maybe that's what would have happened if she was rich she'd have just turned into Christian fucking grey <laughs> Tell me you can't see that shit happening. Well, the whole sacrificing someone... No, actually, yeah, 100% I can see that. Unfortunately. (laughs) So, uh, we've gone over the feet being deformed, um, and then he finds out about it, and that's where the act... Uh, we come into the third act. That's where everything culminates into an explosive concophony of castration, forced castration, genital mutilation of both genders, uh, and abuse, just generally. All of which is shown in uh, complete 
openness. Um, I know Von Trier mm. spoke of uh, the house that Jack built. He said, often it's said that showing a person's eyes uh, when they're being mutilated, nothing more is more powerful uh, bullshit to that. They're just cowards that can't show the whole thing. And um, yeah, I th- he wasn't wrong, at least in terms of no, this. They, like, there's. Well, I just wanted to bring up one thing, though, before we get onto the full dick crushing. Yeah. The the moment where he reads to her book, right, and it's fucking obvious that she is insane, and he also knows by this point the feet are fucked up because she is fucking insane, right? He never... He still treats her like a patient. And I wouldn't. <laughs> well, I treat it like a patient, a fucking psychiatric patient with no capacity. I'd run. Call the police. As a as a human being, right? If you found out the woman that you loved or you thought you loved had uh basically mutilated your child, right? And was a massive fucking nutcase, would you you still go oh i need to still treat them like a a, a patient i mean doesn't that again speak to um defoe's character him being distant from his kid he emotionally distanced himself and everything else if that doesn't make him furious that she mutilated him so thoroughly i mean to be fair there's not long between him realizing she mutilated him and him being hit in the head but it's long enough <laughs> he doesn't immediately walk down them steps and go, right, yeah, no, th- this shit is... <laughs> I'm leaving. Bye. Fuck you, bitch. This is... Gone. This is... Just, I'm out. <laughs> so do you think that that's what made her flip? Him finding out about all this and her kind of figuring out that he's, he's worked out she's insane? Or do you think she was always going to flip? Oh... She was always going to flip, because she had already fucking flipped. It was just when it was going to be his turn. Because I think the whole... Because a lot of the time she is screaming, you're like you're going to leave me or don't leave me, that kind of shit, right? Um, to quote exactly, you're leaving me, aren't you, you bastard. Which, uh, uh, yeah. you fucking remember it. She says it like the same way every time, over and over again shrill yeah it's not not fun (laughs) but she she says stuff like that that made me think is that why she did that to the kids but then it just showed her watching as it sucked himself out of the window so it's not that i think she's just fucking nuts like there's (laughs) yeah i mean pretty much she's insane she's absolutely fucking batshit that's that's the be all and end all of it really as far as I'm concerned with a lot of this, I'm sure there's something about motherhood, something about, I don't know, fucking witchcraft and eyes of newts in here, measuring ducks, if they can float. But as far as I'm concerned, it's just showing that she's mental. She's taken a piece of literature way too fucking far. And uh, she's killed her own kid for it. And she's down killing the foe for it. Because she's just fucked in the head. There's not much more to be really said about it. No, I I know, but it's just I always find it disappointing when that's the case, you know. I, mean, I should clarify. But it's just there's, oh, 
Yeah, there's nothing more from my perspective. I'm sure someone could give you an explanation of what what it's a metaphor for. Well, I mean, the animals do turn up at one point, and the fucking um, appearing witches from the forests later on. <laughs> like, so it's yeah. I just don't like it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's perfectly reasonable. Um, but I mean, either way, finds out, knocks him down, knocks him out, more or less, um, and then proceeds to. And I'll be quite, I'll be quite clinical, going through for those with discomfort, for those who've eaten. I won't. <laughs> Well, I'm going to say exactly what fucking happened. I'm just not going to go into the spurious detail. Um, so she gets a piece of wood and knocks his dick in, um, pushing it upwards, I believe. I said clinical. I didn't mean I was going to use fucking genitalia. No, he grabs his dick and just fucking knocks it up with a bit of wood. She smacks him in the head a couple times. Then she impales his foot onto, I don't know, like a turning wheel, a wheat stone. You missed a bit. Yeah. I will. It is a lot worse. So basically, she does her usual thing of being overly sexually aggressive and tries to fuck him on the floor. Oh, right? no. Oh, that's why. Oh, God. I brought um, that out of my own head. I forgot about that. Oh, oh I'm going to just no, deafen myself it. for a minute. To kick her off. At which point, that's when she just kind of like screams, grabs a bit of two by four, and slams him in the dick with it. That's what knocks him out. And I would just like to say, I would just like to say, if someone was coming near my dick with a piece of wood, I would do more than just go, no, stop. I would curl up into a fucking ball and kick that bitch in the head. <laughs> but no, he doesn't. But depends on the. Depends on what kind of wood it was. Gonna... In this situation, Phil, in this situation, if I was lying on a shed's floor and my insane wife was coming at me with a bit of two-by-four, aiming for the dick, not even aiming for the dick, just aiming at me with a bit of two-by-four, I would get in the defensive position. You know what I mean? Especially if my dick was out. Especially if it's this fucking uh, woman as well. Yeah, like... He he barely tries to defend himself in that moment, <laughs> but either way, he gets his dick rocked, right, and not in the fun way. Um, and then what happens is, oh. uh, he climbs aboard his unconscious body and um, jacks off his still hard dick, which I think is bullshit because if I got hit in the dick with a two by four, I wouldn't I I wouldn't be hard still. Um, I suppose it depends what you're into. And he comes blood. Oh, I fucking despise that. That's that was the second worst. I I couldn't watch it. I watched obviously I watched these twice. Once, no, I, I did watch it twice, but fucking with eyes in. And ladies, have you ever watched this with your husband or boyfriend or brother for some reason or whatever? Um, just watch them and guarantee you 100% during that scene they touch their dick. They like hold it in place, just cushion it. 
with their hand. Guarantee that's what they're going to do, and they're going to grimace. Ah, oh, oh, that that is so horrible. Just the the jacking off motion and seeing all the blood. Ah, oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's in full in full view. It's it's just there, right in your face. And she gets blood all up her blouse and I'm starting to see what Von Trier meant when he said um that you don't you can't show the eyes because how fucking comedic would it be if you just showed one of the five making faces for this? Yeah. <laughs> eyes bulging it... up and out just <laughs> the thing is with this it's obviously horrible because you're watching someone get their dick shoved in and then jacked off, right? To the point where they're pissing blood. That's obviously horrible. But that's it. The horrible thing is that you're watching it, if that makes sense. Like, that's the worst part. And it's clearly a fake dick as well. Uh, no, it's a dick, uh, it's a dick double. Yeah. Because um, famously, Willem Dafoe has a giant fucking Johnson. Uh, yeah. And Lars von Trier thought it'd be too unrealistic to use, which is... It's... That is the best. <laughs> I would use that as a pickup line if I was Dafoe. Hey, my dick is unrealistic. <laughs> <laughs> what an opening line that would be. Smile he gives. I might just pay a fucking oh. director because no one else is gonna know. If I pay some director to have me in a film and just give him an extra ten grand to say, "Hey, mate, can you get in a dick double?" and just say mine was too big, no one else would know. <laughs> <laughs> just use that for the rest of time. <laughs> and I have a feeling, right? I. I could be average. I'm not going to tell you what size I fucking am, but I could be average. And a woman in her head is going to say, well, people are saying it's big, so it must be big. I get the benefit of uh, doubt on my side. Fucking thinking with my dick. You want you want to give a director enough money so you can gaslight a woman into believing your dick is big? When you put it that way, it doesn't sound quite so charming. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Oh fuck, where were we? Oh fuck. Okay. Oh yeah, bastard and all that stuff. Right. So, um, following the dick mutilation, the general bashment, she goes off to do something. Oh. Yeah, the cock and after the cock and ball torture, she grabs a uh, hand drill, um, like a just a kind of crank one, and puts it against his leg, and drills a hole into his leg. Right, then gets the grindstone from a uh, like a, a knife sharpener, I guess, um, and attaches that to his leg. Yeah, pretty much. Now, the ingenuity, because she immediately does this. Like she, like after the, um, well, after the blood gets sprayed on her, she immediately just stands up, nude from the waist down. I'd like to add, by the way. So this is already so, with the pretty daunting scene and haunting rather scene 
uh, playing out. She then, naked as the day she was born, starts drilling a hole in his leg <laughs> just immediately. And, um, yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, then kind of twists it up using a um, a jack. Um, wrench, that's the word. Wrench. Yeah. To stop him being able to take it off, basically. You just harden it so much that he can't do shit with it. And he has to just drag mm. it around, which, again, pleasant. He's going to dive in infection fairly quickly after this film's over, I feel. Oh, yeah, he's dead. Like, blood loss alone. I do have a feeling that at the right end of the film, he is dead. That That's where they're oh, yeah. walking from. That's... I was going to wait until we get to the actual end, but yeah, that's that's why. I think he's just fucking dead. If not for the leg injury and just general blood loss and trauma, um, because he eats some fucking berries on the floor for no reason... Yeah, I can't imagine what the, the aftermath of that is when they find it. Just, Jesus, he was the shittest psychologist ever. He took some woman who was just depressed, and God knows what happened. They find <laughs> him in the middle of a field with a hole in his leg, and his dick crushed him. It might be his balls, though. It might be his balls that were crushed. That makes more sense. What, crushed but... balls and a mutilated, bleeding penis? That's that's better. Yeah. That's a lot better. And then, then they get him into the mortuary and they're like, um, turns out the actual cause of death was poison from <laughs> berries he ate. <laughs> hmm. What a fucking idiot. Uh... The more we talk about this bloke, the more I realise that he's just a fucking idiot. He's just a pillock. Fucking perfect for each other, then. I don't know. An idiot and a nutcase. <laughs> be fair, sounds like a fun TV show. Basically fucking any American sitcom. Well, the idiot side, basically any American sitcom. Really, the nutcase. Neurosis. It's like the fucking end all of Simpsons episodes where Marge has finally had enough, snapped. Homer decides to be a psychologist. <laughs> Actually, this would work worryingly well as an American Treehouse horror episode. <laughs> <laughs> Could you fully fight like Marge fall, uh, Maggie falls out a window Marge goes insane Because she's just cracked from Homer's stupidity Over the years and then Homer Who's a distant dad and doesn't know anything about his fucking kids Puts off And uh, Marge eventually kills him Plays him apart as Homer fails To fucking psychologically deal with her I can see that happening I could I could actually see that working quite well As a Treehouse of Horror episode Antichrist. <laughs> oh, fucking. This one wants to do that. I'll give you fucking money if you want to animate the whole one. Have you. Uh, crawling through the forest away, um, home of fucking Willem Dafoe. <laughs> Homer! <laughs> really close to, yeah. Okay. Is it, the character's name is Homer now, so Homer crawls into a foxhole. A class with his little um, fucking wheel on the side, his ball and chain. But not to be confused with his wife. Ah, 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 there's a 50s fucking sexist joke for you. Uh, pushes in and um, I suppose in arrogance fucks up his own hiding place at one point as he, he decides to explore it for some reason. 
in all fairness, it's not the greatest hiding place to begin with because his feet, his fucking feet, are sticking out of it, for one. But also, he just kind of crawls further in and finds a bird. Yeah, and then fails to kill it over and over again, which I can is fairly realistic. I've, my cat's brought in fucking birds, and they're uh, worryingly sturdy creatures. Yeah, animals don't want to die. They're not going to go quietly into the night. But why Why did he just carry on hitting it? It's not, not working. Pick it up and throw it away. <laughs> The yeah, ball's right there. I could have just grabbed it and just chucked it. Let it fucking fly and died happily in his hole. And that's it's what gives away you know, curiosity. I, I like to think it's kind of curiosity leading to failure to some extent. It's keeping him with character. But yeah, I suppose to an extent it's trying to not have a giant fucking wheel sticking outside the hole to give away his location. Um, And, and with that, she, she finds where he is, follows the crow crying looks in the one place he could possibly be fucking hiding. Realistically, I think he should have just tried to just crawl in one direction constantly. If he was going to do it and hope for the best, I think mean, that's the best chance you've got, realistically. He isn't going to give up. He's going to keep fucking trying. What I've done is wait for her to come back and then brain her with a hammer. That's not bad, actually. But, like, <laughs> wait behind the door or something. Yeah, I mean, it's weird. Because you're not, you're not going anywhere with a fucking grindstone on your leg. Those things are fucking heavy. <laughs> that was basically plan P. Just get a guard down and whack a one. Comes around towards the end of the film, to be fair to him. Yeah, he, yeah, he does eventually just go, yeah, this isn't working well. <laughs> but it's like, she finds him. She hits him in the feet for a couple of times with a spade, right? And then just straight up digs him out? From the top, yeah, eventually, because she caves it in herself while hitting him on the feet. I mean, she's insane. Digging him out, uh, fair enough to her. Strong fucking, I suppose, she's insane. She's just willing to go at it night and day. It's not really said how it takes. She's got that insane strength on her side, I guess. Um, we get some more of the fog effect through some of this, which again, really damn nice for a lot of it. Uh, eventually, he's dragged back into the cabin where I suppose you took on the, the bloody wanking. That That's the thing. That's the thing. She kind of comes to her senses in that moment. Like, as she drags him out of the hole, she's like, starts apologizing, doesn't she? Yeah. Starts apologising, like, and helps him, rather than dragging him, helps him back to the main cabin, rather than the shed. Yeah, just helping him back to there. And he just is okay with that. (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to pretend to understand the ins and outs of why she's doing what she's doing. I think she's just nuts. I think he's he's the real, yeah, as you said, like, he's okay with it. He's the fucking problem here, that he never does anything. He never, like, tries to fucking strangle her through this. Which is exactly what I'd be fucking doing. I'd be grabbing that pickaxe and slamming it round her fucking back. If anything, you save her pain later on, as she, oh, as I said, you took on the bloody wanking. I'll 
take on uh, fucking female genital mutilation, self-inflicted female genital mutilation. She uh, cuts out her clitoris. Lovely. Yeah. She uh, has. A, they have a bit of a moment together. He's asleep, which I would not be a fucking sleep. I would not shut my eyes around that bitch. If only Just the pain. Yeah, if only to keep an eye on her trying to have sex with me. Is uh no, that ain't fucking happening tonight. Oof. Not to please. <laughs> oh. I've got a Yeah, she she cuts out her own clitoris. Um which is horrendous to watch. It's I don't know why I feel it's worse than watching him wank himself off, you know, watching her wank him off into a bloody pulp, but this is somehow worse for me. Uh I think it's because the the actual wound with the dick crushing is implied. It's obvious. It's but you don't see it. You see his blood coming out of a dick, and you go like, "Oh yeah, that that's bad." But with this, it's just a shot of a very realistic-looking vagina, and then snip. And her reaction is very. Well, I, I don't want to say realistic. I've never witnessed someone <laughs> Yeah, we're not uh, fucking Doctor Kellogg. I don't take any pleasure in that. Her, her reaction is exactly what you'd expect it to be if someone chopped off their own pleasure center, the area on their body with by far the most nerves in the body. Yep. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I I can I can understand why that's worse. <laughs> Hundred percent. With all that, it, it kind of eventually culminates, and I, I, I can't remember any of the conversation back and forth. I don't think it's of massive importance. It's just there isn't really conversation, is there? Just a lot of shouting, screaming, and pleading. Pretty much. And eventually, culminating in he killing she, Homer killing fucking Marge. Are we going to continue that for the last ten minutes? Well, he 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 does find the wrench to get the thing off of his leg. Oh yeah, that happens as well. Um, Which somehow enables him to stand up. Again, he he's got a hole through the leg, bone and all. He's not standing up. Again, I don't know if he's just dead at this point. If that's if that's what they're trying to push, and she's fucking dying inside. I don't fucking know. But yeah. D- I'm trying. I think I'm trying to make excuses, um, but he, but no, he, yeah, he kills her. Which it's it's rough saying, but rightfully so. <laughs> I don't. I don't blame him. I don't think anyone I, yeah, I, can. I I personally wouldn't have waited for someone to break my dick. Stand your ground. Uh, uh, stand your ground works here. Proper defense. What's the word? Um. Proportional. There we go. It's proportionate, I think, to kill her about yeah. five fucking dick smacks ago. I'm sorry, officer. She went after my dick with a two by four. <laughs> They'd be like, "Yep, yeah, that's fair. Fair enough, mate." Well, it's fair. You see a cut Tried. off. See a cut off her own clitoris. No pain stopping this bitch. Kill her. <laughs> Jesus, kill her. This is a kindness. <laughs> Also, still happy that you went to the fucking cabin, mate? <laughs> I mean, in all fairness, I don't think she's scared of the cabin anymore. 
She was happily like walking no. around shouting for him. She's got over that. So many sacrifices have to be made against the horrors of agrophobia. <laughs> of nature. Why did that? Why did you go all Cornwall on that one? Because it's such a specific fear. <laughs> like, this, if I showed her a plotted plant, would she, like, fit? <laughs> because they talk about grass a lot. Literally touch grass. <laughs> That's the immersion therapy. Go outside and touch grass. Could they just have astroturfed her garden or some shit and just left it like that? I don't like AstroTurf, but I think in this case, if that would have sold everything, yeah, that's, that's worth a sacrifice. Uh, so, pushing into the ending, um, we got stuck going around in circles. You, I mean, you, you've said already you didn't massively like it. I didn't mind it. I, I take it kind of with the rest of the film. It's alright. It, it fits in with everything else that's happened. It's very... Um, Take from early vernacular esoteric. It's just confusing. There's no real point to most of it, and you have to interpret really, which I'm never a huge fan of. When I can't tell what the director wanted, um, I I don't like it to be entirely left up to interpretation. They're yeah. not really you're being kind of completely thrown into the deep end with no context at all. And I know there is some context, but if you get what I mean, like films like um, there are some mysteries out there where you still don't know who the killer is. Those I don't mind, where there's like one or two options and you can kind of discuss it. Oh, what do you think happened? This that. When I mean, there's some open-ended mystery, most of those I'm okay with and really like. That's deliberately, it, deliberately done, so you can discuss it. Yeah, when it's deliberately set up by the director, that's the intention for you to later discuss and trying to think of the foibles ins and outs. I, I suppose Von Trier knew what he wanted to do and he did it. He he went for what he wanted, but it, it's left so little for the audience. There's no real care for the audience there, I don't think. It's just him thinking of himself, which to an extent, again, is it's not a massive detraction in retrospect. Now I'm thinking about it, but... It's also when... It also makes a lot of sense with what you said about how it's not the original ending. It makes a lot of sense that it would be a bit I don't want to say rushed but definitely not good <laughs> like it's just a, it's a bit of a there ending if that makes sense it's just there like he's probably just dead he's hobbling around on a crutch that's another brilliant idea. Go to a cabin with no form of communication with anyone else. Not even a phone. Not even fucking Morse code. Smoke signals. Brilliant. Probably not one in range, I suppose. But, yeah. I, I, like, even if you weren't mentally ill, I would say that would be a bad place to go to. Because, like, what if you fall? What if you break your leg accidentally? You're fucked. <laughs> That's the point, actually. They've not told anyone about this plan, have they? Oh! It's, it's fucking um, the descent all over again. Just bad ideas piled on, one on top of the other. This guy's a fucking retard. 
<laughs> this guy's gone from pillock to fuckwit very quickly. But, like, yeah. And then... Bitches? I, I say with a question mark. Are they all female? Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to remember. I think they were. They, they were all, I think, implied to be witches. Um, or at least victims of uh, misogyny and past killed for one reason or another. Because I, I just thought there were spirits. Just the dead of the forest, maybe. I think that there's no real interpretation on it. Is uh, It just shows that there was no push in one direction or another. I don't think you, yeah, you I... can really decide. Because they... Because the four, what are the four falls is that the three falls three is falls. that the prophecy? Yep. Yeah. So he basically kind of completes the prophecy, or whatever the fuck it is, spell prophecy thing, um, that she was talking about. So maybe those people, maybe that's got something to do with it. Maybe un- maybe he unleashed the demon apocalypse upon the world. Yeah, maybe that's what it was. He unleashed a Bateshtu, destroyer of worlds, through the free fools by having your dick caved in and a clip being chopped and strangling someone. Very I mean, bizarre <laughs> ritual. I mean, honestly, if we're talking about the devil and we ain't pussyfooting around, yeah, that is the kind of ritual I would create for true demon worshippers. You know what I mean? It's more in its specificity. Yeah, the ultimate pains upon humanity. The ultimate pain that you could bring upon someone. And this might just be me, but watching my dick get caved in would be pretty high on the list of pains you could put upon me. That'd be a fucking shame, wouldn't it? He goes through all that shit and then a demon just kills him. Or he's now the, the, the Lord Protector of the Demons. Well done. Welcome to the fucking demonhood, mate. Bye-bye to your soul. That's a real shit. Yeah, in, in terms of... Uh, in terms of rituals go, that one makes sense, personally. More sense than Old- some out there, to be fair, where it's like, bring me 14 candles, place them in these places, do it at 3am. Fucking... Devil ain't got time for this shit. Yeah, that's what if you summon something with that incantation, it's gonna be the most it's gonna be the biggest pussy demon in the entire hell. It's surely. A demon that wears fedoras. Is what you're gonna you're gonna get the fucking yeah. nice guy in cell of demons. Have you brought the scented candles? <laughs> that smell of the goop. The smell of the paltro. What do you wish? I want pain upon my enemies. I cannot do so. I can bring slight awkwardness. <laughs> I can bring 30 chads. They will pursue her. They will fail and be mildly annoyed. Then leave. <laughs> she will be uncomfortable for several days. Oh no, it wouldn't be that. It's, I deserve your worship. No, I will not do anything about it. <laughs> that would be the demon you summon. But no, sacrifice an immense pain upon the person you're sacrificing. Yeah, that's going to summon a demon. Come on. We're not pussyfooting around here. Yeah, that's, that's right. But out no, the, that's... Right out of the Sineshi handbook. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's yeah, exactly. All these people, I would want to be Sineshi worshiper. No, you fucking don't. <laughs> no, you don't. No, you really fucking you'll don't. Get, you'll get eaten, raped, and then killed. Maybe in that order. <laughs> Join with Papa Nurgle. Enjoy Papa Nurgle. Your dick will fall off, but you won't feel it. You won't feel it. He's the only one that I would say actually gives a shit about you. Oh. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that, that's Antichrist. A film with incredible imagery, looks beautiful, directed very well. Like, both of them did a great job, in my opinion, personal opinion. Yeah, yeah absolutely, with what was given. Um, I just think that the writing wasn't fully there for me to make it a proper, like, good or brilliant film it did solidly at like a 6 out of 10 for me yeah I'd say so I I didn't get I wasn't bored I would say I wasn't but I, I, I'm not going to watch it again you know yeah yeah that's fair I mean I watched it for the first time for this specifically I know you've seen it twice now once because I forced you to once um <laughs> He's, I think, uh, your sister owns a copy, I think you said. Yeah. Which my is... sister just had it, and I watched it one day. I don't know why. I don't, I don't see her as the type. Actually, no. She, yeah, uh, she watches weird stuff. She loves horror. She loves... Um, actually, I wouldn't exactly say horror. But no, no, no. She went through a period of time when she was just really into horror. But not, like, gore horror, if that makes sense. Not just not like hostile and sore and all that. Yeah. But like Night of the Living Dead, Antichrists, more artistically ones. I thought there was Artist. some douchebag who coined uh, uplifted horror or some shit, and I want I want to kill that person. Fucking uplifted my ass. It's horror. It's a film. Fuck off. <laughs> I've always been of the opinion if. Everything in film is a product. All of it's a product. And if one film is art, then it's all art. Yeah. It can be shit art. It can be a bad fucking piece of art, but it is still art. It can be a four-year-old's fucking vague drawing of a lion with fucking stick legs and a shitty little tail, but it's still art. It's still in the same classification as the Mona Lisa. Yeah, um, Antichrist. Not misogynistic, as far as I'm concerned. If you hear that, if if that you come to that conclusion, fair enough. I could see why you would. Uh, just watch it first before you push on this. I know a lot of stuff is thrown about with Lars von Trier, um, and we'll get into that in a little quiz in just a moment. Uh, particularly that he's a Nazi. He isn't. Look into it. But yeah, how are you? I I don't think he's a bad man. Like, I don't think he's sexist, I don't think he's racist, I just think that he is incredibly inept at talking to people. (laughs) It's a wonder that there aren't more people in the industry like that, frankly. Either because he has got some kind of learning disability, or he's just fucked. (laughs) (laughs) Like, from years of not talking to people I don't know on his, his little life. compound in the middle of nowhere it's a wonder he isn't yeah. so well put together that is very telling <laughs> when a human being 
locks themselves away from the world, for better and worse, it shows that they're not very good at dealing with people. <laughs> so, before we jump into Melancholia properly, um, I've only done this once before, a little quiz thing. It was with Steph and Brandon last time, talking about areas within the UK, shitty tourist traps, uh, the UK and outside in Spain that I've been to at one time or another. Still not talking about the fucking known world experience. Stop emailing asking me to say about the known world experience. I'm not fucking responding. I've got uh, a little quiz and I'm going to do the whole fucking... I might, might not do um, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire music. I might do something a bit more low-key. Deal or no deal? Tipping point? Go really shit? Bullseye. Oh, there we go. I've got bullseye music. Bullseye. <laughs> 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 fucking something no one fucking remembers that's listening to this. <laughs> I can actually I can get a I prize. Wanna... I can get a bullseye level prize to be fair. I can get that together. Let me go to my fucking shed and find something to get together. <laughs> it's not still running if that's what you're about to ask. It's fucking dead no, in the no. water. America have bullseye. No, no, not a chance. Did anyone was I wondering if anyone who is British listening to this has any fucking idea what bullseye is? Ah, dude, Bullseye was shit, to be honest. Bullseye was terrible. It was a darts trivia game. Pretty much. That's all you need to know. And the prize was like a fucking... The best prize you could get was a yacht for some couple in fucking Milton Keynes who couldn't use the fuck... Not a yacht, sorry, that that's taking it too far. A, a shitty £200 speedboat is what you fucking get for a family landlocked. Crew, <laughs> that's where they'd be from. But from fucking crew, and they can't afford a car. And they they've got a speedboat now. That they've got to leave. It's fucking rot. But anyway, um, quiz. So, it's very simple. I'm going to give you some quotes, and they're either going to be, and these can be from a modern day Nazi, self-proclaimed Nazi, or from uh, a Nazi during World War Two. Or they're from Lars von Trier. They're from one of the two. And you've just got to tell me if they're from von Trier or if they're from an actual Nazi. Let's, uh, let's start with something fairly easy. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a bit of a Nazi myself. I know that this one is Lars von Trier. <laughs> right. I'll go into the context at the end and I'll tell you if you're right or wrong. Actually, that one, yeah, that one you are right. Nice and easy to start off with. Um, Lars von Trier said this during Cannes during the... Uh, press tour for Melancholia, which I went, know that because that's what you told me that one before. Went, went down so well, so fucking well. Okay, um, next one. Um, I'm happy that I'm alive. I feel like someone coming back from Vietnam. You know, I'm sure that later on I'll start killing people in a square somewhere. But right now, I just feel happy to be alive. Oh shit. Um... <laughs> I'm going to go with Lars for that one, because I know he was in an institution for a while. Okay. I'll I'll say at the end. Um, Next one. Um, You know, I really do have some morals. I do actually care about people, and I do have a political standpoint. That's a Nazi. It's got to be. (laughs) And finishing off, nice and simple, actually, quite concise, this one. Uh, Political correctness kills discussion. Is there a like a both option? <laughs> you you like... know what? Some of these 
like even if they are said by von Trier and very well way yeah very well may have been said by anonymous nazi but like openly but, like you can search for these easily so they're, they're, they're... if this i'm going to say von Trier, right but if it if it is von Trier, a nazi has said that before <laughs> you know what i mean right well you did well um i've been a bit of a douche because those are all von Trier. <laughs> From start to finish, they're, they're, they're all Von Trier. He's done. Oh, fuck me. He needs to keep his mouth shut so badly. Uh, hi, hire me, Mr. Trier. Von Trier, hire me. I'll speak for we'll you. Be your, we'll be your editors. <laughs> Just speak it. Pretend you can't speak English. Speaking Dutch. Don't take fucking Dutch speaking journalists and will translate properly for you quite happily <laughs> but yeah he's um he's, he's quite the person quite the individual on which um i suppose a nice kick off the melancholia interview so basically just for complete context for anyone listening during melancholia uh lars von Trier had found out he, he was raised jewish for all his life um this is relevant Raised Jewish, raised by, I believe, a rabbi, like proper, was given the Torah, all this shit, synagogues, all the way. He's an atheist, as a lot of Jewish uh, members are. But yeah, he was raised very, very Jewish. And then found out at some point that his dad wasn't Jewish, but was a Nazi, turns out to be. And not like one of the, the Wehrmacht, not really a Nazi, just part of Germany. No, he was a fucking Nazi. His dad, absolutely 100%, like the fucking Abba fathers that that fucking level um and then he, he thought it was quite funny and it is kind of funny being raised jewish and i think if he put it in the right way it would be quite funny uh to be raised jewish all your life and then find out your dad's like some fucking ss officer uh i think it would be funny like a couple of years later you know <laughs> <laughs> to look to look back on that he's yeah no i, I think that is quite funny push forward um not when you just blurt out in cans with no context i'm a bit of a nazi <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't work <laughs> you know you got banned from cans for like seven years like even as a like don't get me wrong i wouldn't say i'm a pc kind of person for a lot of things but if i did not have that wasn't a punchline for a very good joke. You shouldn't say it. It's not something you casually say. <laughs> no, you have to really craft that well. I, I, it needs to be a punchline for something, not just yeah, I'm a bit of a Nazi. Even in cans, I don't think it'd have it'd have got away with that at any point. I'm not saying he he shouldn't have got away with it. I think if you'd have done it well, it could have been very funny. But in Cannes, in in France, I don't think they've ever have they've ever gone down well. Not the place at all for that kind of stuff. But that's what happens when you bring a guy from his fucking military compound. <laughs> Just like make his films in peace and leave him alone. Poor Kirsten Dunst was sitting next to him the entire time as well, just cringing awkwardly. I no, I see the face of a woman who's like, yeah, now you know what it's like. <laughs> this is him on screen. 
Imagine what he's like off. Well, people fucking go back to him. Charlotte Ginsburg's worked with them twice. He's got you in something, right? I mean, I guess. Maybe they appreciate his vision. Three times, actually. She's, she's worked with him three times now. She's um, pushed back and forth. Good for, good for fucking her. So, and the Stellan Skarsgård has worked with him God knows how many times. Played an arsehole in pretty much every role. Played an unpleasant individual in Dogville, which you'll see immediately and it gets a lot worse. Cast-wise, beyond the director writer, obviously, last one, true again. Uh, we've got Charlotte Ginsburg again, um, playing Claire, who, same sort of, Nymphomania, Melancholia, Samba, Jane Eyre, Snowman. Uh, playing a very, very different character, you'd be uh, happy to know. Um, a much more well-rounded individual. She's still a bit... Bad mental health problems. <laughs> Just less psychotic. She's she's a bit paranoid, maybe. She's kind she's of... got she's got anxiety. She's got quite severe anxiety that gets a lot worse as time goes on. Yeah, for good reason. I will say that. I, t- I I probably wouldn't be able to deal with the world ending very well. I just get really fucking high. Nice and simple. I would. Actually, yeah, let's start this off right. Getting high, what would you do if Melancholia was coming and you had, like, a day, like, final day, you know it's going to hit the earth? What's what? I have got enough of a supply on me that I can make myself forget the world's about to end. I've got enough with me that I can just wipe myself out pretty nicely. That's exactly... I get a bottle of whiskey, um, a shitload of coke... This isn't a recommendation, by the way. Don't fuck. You know what? I, I, I do something really stupid that I haven't done for years. I do mocaine and forget everything. Uh, and if, if you want to know what mocaine is, Google it, you prick. I'm not telling you. <laughs> fucking look it up yourself. You're not getting your advice from your local fucking podcaster on how to do drugs. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I do. I get fucked up beyond a shadow of a doubt. I would. What would I do? Probably, <laughs> what I would do is I would, if it's coming like we know for a fact this is the time it's going to impact. So what I would do is I would edge myself for the entire day so I'd be able to climax as soon as the planet hit the Earth. <laughs> Just go into oblivion. And might be careful, <laughs> fucking Von Trier might come back to film you if you push that stuff off. <laughs> Because I'm just thinking, if the afterlife is real, right? If the afterlife is real, what did you do before you died? I was... (laughs) I was painting my wall. (laughs) (laughs) Better than the classic fucking answers of, like, row into a lake and lie down. What a pussy answer. (sighs) Fucking hug my loved ones. Listen to fucking music, you pussies. No fun. I just no imagination. You fun in life. <laughs> that or try and kill like a politician, because <laughs> you know, because I, I'd want to see Tony Blair's head on a spike before I died. You know, <laughs> that's probably the bit more realistic answer. The realistic. More, that's more realistic oh. than climaxing <laughs> against the wall. Oh, he'd be dead, 100%. I suppose that'd be my only it's worry, a... that I'd be on someone's list somewhere. 
if it was everyone's last day on Earth. I, I very well could it's be. Literally, everyone will die tomorrow. I won't have the satisfaction of being alive when some of these cunts die. So I'll be like, right, the police aren't going to be a problem because, like, they give a shit. The world's going to die. So I could probably just go to this fucker's house. You know what I mean? I think he's best mate for the BG. That's your biggest worry. I reckon I could beat. I reckon I could win against Boris Johnson in a fight. <laughs> as long as you want a ten-year-old Japanese boy. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, shit going on. Uh, Kirsten Dunst, uh, Justine, who uh, go through some of the things I've seen her in first. Um, Eternal Sunshine spots mine. She's very good in. Plays um, one of the technicians. Uh, interview with the vampire. I didn't fucking know she was the little girl until now. I, I don't know why it Wait, took me so what? long. You, you know, Interview with the Vampire, Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, Kristen Slater? Yeah. She's the little girl. The, oh, shit. The little girl vampire, yeah. Huh. Yeah. It, it, fucking, to be fair, I didn't know that until I like, looked it up and went, oh, shit. Well, it's like, if she's a little girl, <laughs> it's not like she's going to look like her. I mean, she sort of does now, in retrospect. You can kind of see it. I say you can kind of see it yeah, because it, it's the same fucking person. Clearly, you can kind of see it. But you know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, otherwise, uh, Spider-Man, obviously, Mary Jane Watson in that. Marie Antoinette is a big one, uh, starring, I think, before Melancholia, really. Melancholia really hit the big times properly in terms of the artistic circuit. Uh, Power of the Dog as well. She won Best Actress at Cannes because of Melancholia, which she fucking deserves. A hundred percent, and got the role because uh, Paul Thomas Anderson recommended her. One of my other favourite directors, going, uh, who, who's done a load of really good roles with, just a great same kind of thing actually. He does personal projects with a set cast to some extent. Um, used a mm. lot of oh, what was his fucking name? The guy who died, uh, the actor who was in Almost Famous, and ah, the master. It's Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, he did a lot of stuff with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Very, very good stuff. And Daniel Day-Lewis, of course. Alexander Skarsgård, who's playing Michael, uh, who was in The Northman very recently, the uh, Robert Eggers film, Tarzan, the originals. Uh, True Blood, a series in America. Zoolander, the male stripper thing. In Straw Dogs, good film. Kiefer Sutherland in 24, the show Stand By Me, Lost Boys, uh, the main villain, obviously, Flatliners, A Few Good Men, uh, Udo Kier shows up. Udo Kier, look him up, he's like the best B-list actor ever. He's in fucking everything. And the guy, I swear to God, you remember uh, Tropic Thunder, the trailers at the start of Tropic Thunder? Yeah. He looks like Robert Downey Jr. looked like in the the church trailer in Satan's Alley. Like, spot for fucking spot. Just looks fucking strange. I love Udo, but it's fucking weirder. And he's in everything. He's got something like a thousand credits. It's ridiculous the amount of films this prick's in. Just pops out like a cockroach. You can't get rid of him. He was in um oh Blood Rain as well. He's just in so much shit. Uh Hey it, I respect those kinds of actors who are just like, yeah, I'll do it. You're paying me, right? Yeah, 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 I'll do it. He's like been- it's like the the German equivalent of um, who's that guy from Machete? 
Uh, you know yeah. what about that, that fucking guy who's in everything? But like, it's um, oh, what was his name? The guy, the British guy who played um, Alfred in the Dark Knight Rises and the Dark Knight and all that. Uh, Michael Caine. Michael Caine, that's him, and um, he had a wonderful line in an interview where he'd done Jaws 4 and um, obviously shit film but uh, the interviewer said to him is like uh, have you seen the film do you like did you like the film and Michael Caine just went I like the house it bought me <laughs> yeah <laughs> I like the house it got me I think George Lucas had a similar thing remember rightly where he's like he was on his yacht at the time <laughs> And someone phoned yeah. in and said, "Do you like? Do you like what Disney are doing with Star Wars?" And he just sounded his yacht horn off and said, "Yeah, I don't mind it," and left it there. I do not blame people. I do not blame George Lucas either. I do not blame anyone who's like, "Yeah, I got paid a ridiculous amount of money to do this thing, and you're having a go at me." Whereas I've like, I've done fucking um, front of house work. Acting in a shit film is more, you know, <laughs> is more honourable, is more worthwhile than working a demeaning job. You know what I mean? Than working at a call centre. Everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, pushing in just two others. Uh, John Hurt, uh, rest in peace, obviously, uh, plays the dad. Put it down as Dexter, but the dad, basically, he was in... 1984, obviously The Elephant Man, uh, Viva Vendetta, Hellboy, or uh, recently pushing on uh, Alien. Just absolute classics. Great actor. Um, who does a very good job mm-hmm. in this, as, as he always does. Dogville as well. He was the narrator in uh, Dogville. Very good in that. Uh, and finishing off as uh, Stellan Skarsgård, who plays Jack, the, um, if you remember, the, the arsehole who owns the company, who keeps asking for the the line for Kirsten Dunst to give. Yeah. Which I don't understand. I'll get to that in a minute. I'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> yeah, um, he's recently in Chernobyl uh, and Dune. Uh, as in Mummum here as one of the dads. Remember rightly the douchebag one. Uh, Parts of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, where he plays. Oh fuck, plays the um, dad of Orlando Bloom in that. I think, and he was in. I think he was in the Avengers stuff as uh, one of. Natalie Portman's mates. By the way, yeah, he's been uh, bootstrap. Lost. Yeah, bootstrap bill. That's the one. Budget box office wise, he's in everything. By the way, in in terms of um, last one trade stuff, he's in Infomaniac as well, and a sh- and uh, Dogville has said a shitload of other stuff. Budget box office wise, uh, six point three million budget, thirteen point six million pounds. By the way, um, box office, so it, it doubled quite nicely. Uh, both figures were converted based on 2011 figures. The problem being, as always, is they're in Dutch and American. Dutch for the budget, American for the box office. Makes my job really easy. Thanks, guys. Nice for comparison <laughs> there. Uh, Trivia-wise, Kirsten Dunst replaced Penelope Cruz as the lead actress uh, because Penelope Cruz wanted to do Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. Which artistically excellent decision, monetarily probably a genuinely excellent decision. There, to be fair, 
I'm glad that Kirsten Dunst got the role. Penelope Cruz is a good actress. I don't think I've seen her do anything. I'm not going to say to this caliber, but of this type before. I might, I might just be lacking in awareness on some of her stuff. I'm trying to think of films mm. she's been in. The only one I can think of right now is fucking Dogma, where she played the woman who kicked the shit out of the shit demon. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of fucking anything right now. Um, oh, and Kirsten Dunst dropped off the radar uh, within the early 2000s, reportedly due to depression. Um, so clearly had to study very hard to work out the characters ins and outs. Going to scene by scene. This, um, just in terms of technicals and the like, this film is, I think, about two hours long. Two hours and 12 minutes, I think, if we're going precise. Uh, House of Jack Bill's about two hours and 30. Antichrist's about an hour and a half ish. This film has the least fucking notes by far of the three um, on my side of things um, for reasons I'll get into when I get into them. Starting off either way, uh, our character who Justine, our main character, is depressed. And that's that's the crux of the film really. That's the the uh. end point. That's the start and the end point. She is depressed. Um, however you think of the portrayal, that was the intention at the very least of her to just be depressed. And I think it's a very good portrayal of such. Even if I, I know we have disagreements with the ending, um, which when we get to that, can we at least agree, like, for the start, clinically, she's in the wrong environment, but she so, is definitely depressed. <laughs> the thing is, yes. Yes, she is depressed. My issue, because I didn't like this film and a lot of the problems were with the pre the, the portrayal of the depression it is an incredibly well acted right um portrayal of it the actress did an amazing job lovely well maybe not lovely but you know well done um the problem is they've <sighs> And it is my problem with the entire film as well. I might as well say this now, get this out of the way, and then we can go back to like the scene by scene. Is it's almost a like it's an emotional dissonance almost between the two. Like they're trying to have a story, and then they're trying to portray the depression. Like the amount of shit and depression and just scenes that just shows her as like miserable and like down and awful and miserable and just you know the lowest of the low that you can possibly be uh emotionally speaking happens like eight times in like 50 minutes at the wedding right and i couldn't help but think how does hell does this woman have a job how did she f meet anyone yeah, you know, we're in the space of like, how long is the wedding? Like, it's not even the full wedding either. It's like the span of a couple of hours. She has like five mental breakdowns. <laughs> like, it is like, and she has, there is no mention of therapy. There is no mention of getting help. There is no mention of any kind of, um, like, like 
what's it called um support structures in place because her parents don't give a shit her mama his her mom is an asshole who also has depression very fucking clearly the dad is just an idiot who's completely unaware the sister has anxiety she's the only one who tries a bit more um than the rest of the cast but even then it's like a stop being silly come with me come on come on you're fine you're fine you're fine that kind of support not actual understanding her husband is uh, as in the sister's husband is an asshole um her own husband is an idiot like in the more traditional sense less emotionally and more just a plonker who else is there the child is a child so he's not going to be able to do much really let's be honest here um the like staff at the hospital the staff at the actual wedding are amazingly incompetent and come up with the wrong shit at the wrong time it's constantly it's like- the bean counter is like brought up as she's coming back down from another fucking depressed episode the boss like yeah boss is an arsehole but that's just you know bosses in general how the fuck is he the best man like what um but there and obviously if there is mention of her getting herself help okay sure i i don't remember it and it's like it is almost like she has only just got on depression like literally day one and just has no idea how to deal with it because how old is she like mid-20s if we go by Kirsten Dunst, then she's about thirty. Like the character, um, but like yeah, mid mid, mid late twenties. Yeah, probably similar age. So this kind of depression has to have been from day one. Like has to have been when she was born, kind of deal. Um, because there is no mention of traumatic events. Like there is no mention of that. Just that she has that she is depressed. And she has been depressed for a very long time. Right? And none of her family understand, or at least show that they understand. They're all they all have the oh like eye rolling reaction to depression that all fucking films have. Right? She has no real help, like I said before, and she hasn't tried to get help either. So she hasn't attempted to do anything either. So it's like, obviously people feel different, period. You know, people struggle with depression in different ways. I have depression as well. My depression showcased in uh, self-harm and basically self-abuse. I drank, I did a lot of drugs, I hated myself, right? But... I got like, I got help. (laughs) Even if you don't don't get help, I've gone through this shit as well. I I was fucking homeless. Revivers, I fucking ran off for a couple weeks. I was just gone. That was me off the face of the earth. And you know what happened? People grabbed me and chucked me into a psychologist. That's what fucking happened. I was shoved in and told, "Look, you need fucking help. We're gonna throw you in there." Clearly, yeah, and um. Yeah, your whole school thing, don't worry about that for now because you're not functional. Yeah. What, fucking, how has she got a job? That's, how has she got a job? That, how the fuck did she have a job? And she's good at her job. You can tell this because the boss 
is there on her fucking wedding day telling her to get of a line. It's not... It's not that she wouldn't show in this fashion. And I, I know people who have shown in this kind of fashion, just kind of pushing yourself outside of society, just breaking down, going into a complete depression, yeah. to where the term came from. It's that you've then got such like the epitome of functionality behind that. She's got a family life. She somehow managed to get a husband. It is Kirsten Dunst, but still. Yeah. She's got relationships with people. She's got a fucking good job that pays decently and that the boss likes her within. She's got like a fucking protege ready to get her to give her line. She's that good. And I, I have a feeling, because again, this is Lars von Trier pushing his own story, his own person into it. I mean, we're both coming at this from the perspective of people who aren't on fucking millions. The one on hundreds of thousands who if, if if I lost my job I'd be in trouble. And same with you. If yeah. either of us lost our jobs, we'd be in fucking danger of losing the house fairly quickly after that. And everything compounding on. Uh, yeah. Whereas with Von Trier, if he loses his job, he can become a fucking nasty scientist in his army bunker. Doesn't matter for him. You know, he's got millions to work off, and that's the perspective he's coming at. I mean, he retained all his shit while being fucked. He's a director, and people are kind of coming to him for this kind of shit, and I know that's kind of what she's got, but that's not how the industry and advertisement works at all. Like, she is not functional. She is so bad at hiding her depression. (laughs) She is... Though, obviously, it's a film, and it's a film about depression, so I get I get that it is a film about depression, right? Not a film about a lady with depression, because the film isn't about her. It really isn't. It's about her condition. Yeah, at I, the end of the day, she is a complete blank slate. Otherwise, there is yeah. no personality outside of she sort of likes meatloaf, and um, she's depressed, which isn't a bad thing. You know, I don't want to put that off as a bad thing. She's that's what the film's about. That's what it's focusing on. She's a great catalyst for that. The, my problem with it is is that they don't go hard enough into that. I don't know how they would, and I don't know what I would do, but that feeling of, no, you go hard. They didn't go hard enough into it. They focus too much on the planet. They focus too much on the other characters. They focus too much on the fucking child. They, if the film was about depression, showcase that. Give me a scene of a five-minute scene of her, her just sitting on her own. Yeah, who agrees with you? Like, absolutely, 100%. Who? Von Trier. <laughs> to uh, directly quote Mr. Von Trier, um, melancholia is like double cream, too soft, commercialized without any subtext. He, uh, yeah, he hates it. He thinks it's the worst film he's ever done. Uh, I'm not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> Basically, on the stance of, and I don't, I don't not believe this for a moment. He thinks he didn't go hard enough into it. He thinks he he went way too soft on it. And for a man who made Antichrist and House that Jack built. And breaking the waves, I fully see you know where he's pushing from, um, and I can see yeah. why he comes to that perspective. 
it was weird how like like a, yeah I agree <laughs> like it's weird that he didn't given what he has done <laughs> but I mean at the end of the day we're not here to judge on what might have been we're here to judge on what he produced but it's just that I didn't like what he produced and yeah. it's such a shame I genuinely see this as like I love the idea I fucking hate the execution <laughs> the actual acting and stuff like that great <laughs> wonderful she does an amazing job but she just wasn't given the best thing you know uh, yeah that... before, we, before we do a proper jump in on that I, I would argue she was given something truly great just too much of it um, th- this film goes on too long at yeah. least 45 minutes too long I would argue it goes on for about two hours too long this could have been cut to like twenty minutes, and it would have been perfect. It would have been a beautiful uh, small encapsulation. Have a twenty-minute video of just someone sat in a room. <laughs> you you know what? Fucking now, now I say this: there's a film um, called A Ghost Story that I fucking despise. I hate every second of it, which is about a guy like dying a man of the blue, Casey Affleck, and there's a scene in that that's about seven, eight minutes long where a girl just eats pie while being depressed. Oh, I know that film. I, I hate it. I really love from the bottom of my heart to despise that film and everything it represents. I can't stand I, I the know, of it. Uh, I, I haven't seen the whole film, but I know what scene you're talking about. And I know exactly what the problem is with it. It's too clean. It's too well shot. <laughs> it's too obvious. Because that's not what depression is. He says that. Quickly going over the films about depression there. Both of us said, anyway, maybe that's what the film's about. Might as well go with a bit of context into this. Um, Manchester by the Sea is the big one, obviously. Came out uh, back in 2014 with Casey Affleck again in the lead role where his kids die. And he uh, he deals with that by basically being um, violent, he's unambitious, he's happy to live in just a one bedroom flat for the rest of his life um, and blames himself he's self-mutilating and that I, I think to, to an extent that film had the benefit of a of a plot to kind of bounce off because he basically has to babysit his mate's kid his brother's kid because his brother dies um, in the first like 10, 5 minutes and he has to babysit his brother's kid and the relationship builds off that and it, when, you, when you make a film that isn't complete artsy shit you need that characterization someone to bounce off of or you just become self-indulgent within depression just showing scene by scene oh she's depressed next scene she's depressed next scene she's depressed next scene she's depressed next scene the mom's a cunt she's depressed yeah like she the mother is such a bitch (laughs) like why the fuck was she invited to the wedding kind of level bitch like yeah. the kind of if I was the husband, I would have smacked the cunt by now. <laughs> Why was the mother allowed to come to the wedding? I mean, in fact, Kiefer Sutherland kicks her out or tries to, like halfway in, just throws her stuff outside. And yeah, I, I don't blame him <laughs> at all. She fucking deserves it. She like she comes down. 
she ruins a speech from her ex-husband, right? Because he had the audacity to call her controlling. And then she just proves him right. <laughs> and then she doesn't even stay. She just goes up and goes have a bath. And it's like, fuck you! Fuck you, bitch! <laughs> fuck off! <laughs> like, if you don't want to be here, don't be. Go away. Go and kill yourself in a bath somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's no That's... wonder that these two girls were turned out. An oblivious dad and a wife that is a complete sociopath. So start off with, and I hate to say it again, it, it's like the start of Antichrist. It, it is lovely to look at, genuinely really nice. But if your scene is interchangeable with a perfume commercial, you fucked up. It's what I, I refer to it as a ball-smelling opener, is what it fucking is. <laughs> I hate it. Are the visuals good? Yeah, they're good. Do they need to be here? No. Fuck off. They really don't. (laughs) This thing's two and a half hours long. Cut the fucking thing. It's also the fact that it's it's meant to be like a part of her precognition because some of the things she sees happens. I think. (laughs) There's an interesting thing on that, actually. Uh, there was a interview that Commode did with, I think it was Jason Isaacs for some reason. They were talking back and forth about it. Um, and he said that he believed that it's not premonition, but she's so depressed that she causes the planet to fall into the Earth. Like, she changes the direction of it, which is why the scientists <laughs> fuck up. Now, it's why Kiefer Sutherland says, oh, it's not going to hit. And in reality, like scientists would know if it's going to hit. The calculations are pretty set in stone. Yeah, it's kind of fucking obvious when a planet's going to hit yours. It only has to get, I think, within so many thousands of miles, and yeah, it's going to fucking hit. Either way. Um, but yeah, uh, she's so depressed that she just brings it down to end herself and everyone else's suffering. The planet the planet sees her and just goes, oh, fuck. He becomes so depressed. He fucking kills himself. But yeah, it... But yeah, basically, that's the first hour of the film. I know we we were talking about scene by scene, but that is it. Main character's depressed, badly tries to hide it from family member X, Y, or Z. Doesn't really work. X, Y, and Z family member kind of blows her off slightly. Main character remains depressed. Pretty much. The, the opening... Mother's... Of- the opening to the fucking film reads like that scene from The Graduate. I could always hear the fucking Hello Darkness playing in the background. My old fucking friend. Oh, it, it is a little, it's a little I am 14 and this is deep. <laughs> um, but I, I feel bad calling it that because it's too well acted for it to be truly that. You know what I mean? It's too, it's too professionally done. No, I'm going to push it. I do actually, I, I like how I wouldn't watch it again. It, it's very intensive. And I think the problem for me is just the runtime. It's just there's too much of it. And because of that, you, you just get the feeling that she is non-functioning. She's not functional because this happens within the span of a few hours and there's like nine breakdowns. It's It takes the piss. Within the span this of is about a... two hours, she oh. sleeps with the best man, breaks up the wedding... Passes out like twice, 
fucks off three times, has a bath. <laughs> Pisses on a golf course for some reason. Quits her job all within the span of about two, in film, like not not in film time, but in in the film um, chronology, about two hours. She does all this shit, and yet she's still, for one, fucking alive, frankly. How is this woman feeding herself? Like, she should be in an institute if she's this bad. Like, Jesus Christ. I think individually the scenes are good, really good. Like, the acting brings a lot out of them. The writing's decent, everything around them, everything's good, and it works well as progression. But to put all of them together, just pile on and on and on, and I'm sure that was the intention, but it gets to the point of complete unrealism and brings me out of it. I'm sure he, what he wanted to do was kind of create the the scene of just banal oppression, one thing after another, piling up and up and up, to create that feeling of incursion dunce onto the audience. The problem, when you do that so much, it doesn't become immersive. It doesn't become banal immersion. It just becomes fucking banal. It, it takes me out of it completely. It, it's unrealistic. I can't abide by it whatsoever, Jesus Christ. Unrealistic is fine, but the problem is with it being unrealistic is that he wants to focus on the depression. And depression, by its very nature, is very realistic. <laughs> You can't get me to feel bad for a character with depression if her depression is unrealistic. Yeah, you just don't know why she's not been checked into a fucking home at this point. The first couple hours of this, in fact, the whole film is basically a a long, two-hour-long music video for a Mazzy Star song. (laughs) If someone... If someone edited the film... For like a, a four minute music video. <laughs> for a full on, I would go Mazzy Star. 100%. I cut my life into pieces. This is my last resort. <laughs> I mean, my, my notes just go on. Like Justine passes upstairs. The woman is fucking broken. Mother's cunt. John's reasonable chucking her stuff out. Justine breaks down again. Jesus Christ. Justine breaks down again. Justine falls asleep with her nephew. Not that's not what it sounds like. No, no, it's just because the child is only not cunt. Like I know it's harsh. I would call the main character a one as well, because she has made no attempt to help herself. She has made none whatsoever. And now, obviously, some people can't. Don't get me wrong. There are some people who are generally so far out of it that they can't bring themselves back out. But those are the people who don't have a job, who aren't at a wedding. Who haven't found themselves a husband to latch to. This poor guy who leaves left at the altar, pretty much. I wouldn't call him an arsehole. I'd say he is just stupid. He's just oblivious. There is only so much you can blame on other people. At the end of the day, you're still choosing to fuck another man. At your wedding. I've never been so depressed that I would screw someone I love over. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's always been in in myself. Now, obviously, other people do other things. Other people lash out when they're depressed. Other people are cuntish when they're depressed. There is a line where it's like, 
really. Well, I again, it comes back down to she's so depressed that she's doing this stuff. Okay, so she shouldn't have a job. It's just that cognitive <laughs> dissonance of you want to say she has a job, she has a functioning career, and all friends and a fucking best man and a fucking husband with her. But she's also so depressed that she goes out and fucks her boss's lackey on a golf course. These things don't For add up. I'm reason. He's not even attractive. Well, as attractive as his fucking, like... At all. It's just that fucking narrative dissonance. That's the... why I feel bad. Like, I didn't feel depressed. Like, I've I've seen in um, reviews about this. Where it's like, oh, it's so depressing. Oh, it's so awful. And shit like that. It's like, no, it's not. It's silly. It's silly. <laughs> I won't, I won't call it depressing. Yeah, that, that's ridiculous. I'd say it's a great... If you take the scene... Again, if you take the scenes individually, outside of the whole, um, Kirsten Dunst's performance elevates them to absolute mm-hmm. magnificent status, for me at least. And I can kind of look beyond that problem of ridiculousness within that, within the whole narrative, and just go for a character focus on a scene-by-scene basis. Is that, that, that is all that fucking happens. I'm trying to think of anything else to mention, really. Um, fucking, ah. Uh, For the, th- the first of the film, it is literally just that. And it's dull, personally. After, like, a few moments of... Um, I I was honestly... Go from the play-by-play, because we've been whittling on for a little while. The film starts off with her and her husband uh, in the limousine driving up to the church. And it's a quite a cute, quite a nice scene of them like talking, laughing, kissing, because they're, they're running late because the limousine can't get up the hill, right? And when I first watched it, I was like, oh, I like where this is going because I know, for, I, I, you know, I know about the film. Uh, so I know she has depression. This is actually starting off quite well, showing off that, yeah, people with depression can still have a good time, can still be happy at points, you know. It's not a, you know, you're still a human being. You know, it's, she's having fun or a good time and she seems to be in good spirits. And then, of course, it's going to go down. And then, of course, it did. And I was like, okay, wonder where they're going to go with it. And then it just never came back up. It it never it never it never went anywhere else. It just stayed down. It, it feels like either she she was depressed in that exact moment. She became non-functionally depressed then and there, and just stayed there for the rest of time. Or she has bipolar disorder, fucking severely, like Jekyll and Hyde level. Like if if. It was said that she has bipolar rather than depression. I would be a little bit less um, shitting on it because some people with bipolar are just straight up that non-functional when they go down and are fine when they go back up. You know what I mean? Like, it is fucking drastic. Uh, yeah, not helped by any of the guests. I don't think it helps either, yeah, that everyone's a dick. Literally everyone, bar uh, the kid. You grow to hate throughout the entire thing, even the sister, you, you grow to fucking despise her as this film goes on. No one as much as the mum, and I think she overshadows a lot, but everyone's an arsehole. There's one point in the fucking uh, film 
where the wedding guy, after she's broken down for the 19th time, says, oh, the bean count is done. We've worked how many beans are in the jar. Who gives a shit, mate? Like, she's just left the husband. He's ran off. You're really going to phone up and say, oh, you've won a $5 voucher at the local fucking golf course. Congrats. You count how many beans are in the jar. It just gets so insanely ridiculous for all this. It's exhausting. It's yeah. the problem. Um, it is just purely exhausting. It just goes over and above it again. I think these scenes individually are amazing, but it's just that there are so many just packed in together. Uh, then a lot of it's just build up towards the planet coming in. There's a lot of confusion back and forth, uh, wondering if the planet's going to hit. You've got Keith Sutherland, the scientist-esque character. I think he's an astronomer, um, but just not within that field, or he's a generic scientist that knows a bit about astronomy. Or is he just a nerd who likes that kind of thing? Because I don't remember them saying what his actual job was. He's clearly very rich. rich. Yeah, he's rich as shit. And, like, I don't think astronomers earn that much. <laughs> like, he owns a hotel with an 18-hole golf course. Unless he's like a Neil deGrasse Tyson sellout astronomer. Yeah, I fucking said it. Sellout prick. Gave up How on dare you sciences make... for the bitches. Yeah. Unless he's that kind of type of guy. He talks about how the planets are going to hit them. The doomsayer, doomseer. I can't really have a go at her actually insult her because she's right. Spoiler alert, the planet does eventually fucking collide with Earth. That's the end of the film. Weirdly, I don't know why I've said it's the end of the film. No, that's the midpoint. After that, it's just black for a fucking hour. I would love it if it was it hit and there was more film. Don't know what it would be. I don't know what it would be. Like someone else, maybe. Oh, you know what it would be? Else is... It would be more artsy premonition bullshit. Is exactly what yeah. it would be. <laughs> oh, I would love... You ever heard that Frankie Boyle joke? Uh, if they built the Hadron Collider and the world suddenly went... Everything went dark and you just saw level two pop up <laughs> on the top. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you've got the, the back and forth between those two, uh, during which the sister's trying to give some life, breathe some life into Justine... Um, throughout, taking her for rides, going for walks with her, leaving her child in the vicinity. I'm kind of with Sutherland on this one. She's a fucking bad influence. I mean, don't let your kid see a woman, an adult woman, break down to this extent. Jesus. Well, the woman fails to have a bath, Justine, and yeah, it's it is a bit sad to fucking watch. And this happens for an hour and actually, like two hours. This fucking goes on for. To be fair, in the second half of the film, where the inevitability of the planet comes in, two characters almost, not switch places, but uh, what's the fade? The main character uh, gets more karma, gets more, well, not sane, but goes instead of just pure, unable to um, do anything, to um, just quiet, calm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas sister, her anxiety just takes over completely. Just, she does not... Things don't go well for her. Especially as the story... Yeah, as the story progresses, it gets worse. Far worse. And she does it. Can you get worse than, oh, we're all going to die? That's probably the zenith, I think, of bad. And then things get... himself. Yeah, slightly better. (laughs) They get slightly better from we're all going to die. In saying of which, it's still really fucking bad, but it's slightly better than we're all going to die. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know. My mum shot herself in the head, right? And I knew that because of something that was def because we were all going to die. I would feel worse about that than if we all died at the same time, immediately not feeling anything. Because now it's like, oh, I need to now comprehend the death of my mother rather than just allowing myself to die and not having to worry about that shit. It'd make it really, really difficult, granted, to wank off to the end of the world if your mum had shot herself yesterday. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) A hard wank. It would be a dick move on your mum if she knew those were your plans as well. A real dick move to kill herself before that. Could have just waited a day. That's that's mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, might as well go out. Right, so basically the planet's coming further in. They've got a viewfinder. Um, and, I mean, obviously the planet will get bigger in the viewfinder the closer it gets. It'll get larger and larger and larger if it's coming inwards and it'll get smaller and smaller and smaller if it's going out. Um, to quote Father Ted, small, far away. <laughs> and yeah, they, they go for the viewfinder, find it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, Kiefer Sutherland is constantly like dismissing it, saying, oh yeah, it's going to get closer, then it's going to go further away, because it's going to miss us and all this. And eventually he disappears, and you don't hear anything from him for a little bit. Uh, we'll jump onto that, but people, everyone kind of works out that, oh no, yeah, it's about to smack into the world. This is, everything's about to go to shit. Um, I think it's about the time when a blue tint kind of comes over the entire screen, which is really nice. You know, I usually hate this kind of stuff, but the blue tint here is... Fuck's sake, one second. No, I, I really do like it. I usually hate these kind of overarching um, tints, tones. I've said in the past, blue and horror, I fucking adore. Like, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Demons, I love the blue. And for Melancholia, do I need to say the connection there, really? Yeah. Not subtle, is it? That's about as subtle as Did the rest you know of the film. Like, sorry. You know this film's about melancholia? Because guess what the fucking planet's called? That uh, would be really funny if um, there's a planet crashing into us and it was called something like, I don't know, fucking oppression. And everyone here is thinking, oh, fuck, great, we're going to die with some artsy bullshit director's decided that he needs to hit people over the head with a metaphor, not even using a hammer to hit us over the head with it, a fucking planet to hit us with. Great. We're going to die in hipster bullshit. Oh, look how fucking final and destructive and (laughs) all-consuming melancholia is as it bears down on us. Oh no! Uh... I was just imagining they have like a remake of this exact film, um, but from you remember Futurama, the neutral people. Yeah. <laughs> Melancholia, mild inconvenience is coming down. Strike is out. The remake of Melancholia <laughs> by the neutral. Oh, what was it he said in that fucking clip? Tell my wife I said hello. (laughs) Silly. That's why I don't like this film. It it ends, in I think, quite a heartwarming way. Oh, I forgot to mention, Keith Sutherland, he hanged himself in the barn, which he just couldn't handle being wrong. Justine's the 
the one who handles it better than anyone, really. Um, which I think is what he was going for through it. People handle stuff in different ways. I think he wants to show that depression doesn't mean you're completely debilitated in every stance, which is admirable, certainly, and true. Oh, no, I got a completely different vibe from that. Oh, that she's just given up and she's ambivalent to the whole thing. Or she's happy that the world's finally ending. It's, it's in my personal opinion, it's almost portrayed as like a romantic thing for her. She has this love of this planet that is coming down. But it is the only thing thing she takes proper interest in, right? Otherwise, like, she asks what the stars are, what's that called? She has to look at it. Even in her stupor, she does, like, take time to look at it. I can see that, yeah. Maybe that's just me, because I was watching this at, like, three in the morning. So <laughs> I might have been a bit... But I, it, it, the metaphor itself, I didn't like, mainly because the planet did crash into this bars and everyone died you know <laughs> at that point it's no longer a metaphor no I think it still works in an all consuming ending way I think it's again very heavy handed um, but I think but... that's what's needed in this kind of stance I think she she is thoroughly depressed did it go on too long yes but you need something to show it is all consuming because that's what it is. You need a reflection of what she's going through. And given the state she was fucking in, a planet crashing, I think is, if anything, less fucking thorough. I just, now obviously, the whole point of the film is to. It's depression! <laughs> but the fact that that's it. You know, it's not even like a. I don't know. It's not even like a um, a story about someone who lets it overtake them. No, it's just someone with depression gets hit by a planet, and it's <laughs> that's it. <laughs> well, that's what it has to be. If... It's one person getting smacked down. That's just a snapshot. Is that the planet's irrelevant, really? I think. Yeah. The planet almost doesn't matter. You could have left it out entirely and just had a hang yourself at the end. Yeah, I guess if they had the balls, if they if they had the balls, but when the planet hit the Earth, right, over the credits, you just saw someone in a noose in a room leave it lingering on that shot, I would like this film. You know, from what I know of Von Trier, I think he would do that. Happily. He'd have the balls to do it. 100%. Because I'm not looking for a happy ending here. Right? I'm not, I would appreciate it. I like a happy ending, don't get me wrong. But... <laughs> this is probably the happiest ending a Von Trier film's ever had. Thinking about it. I, I, Everyone does. Yeah. Genuinely. It's like the happiest ending. Of his, of his big films, of his major films, I've heard about the ending of Dancer in the Dark. It's fucking dismal. Breaking the Waves is sad as shit. Dogville is miserable. Um, that's probably the closest to a happy ending, actually, a proper happy ending, and even then... Ugh. And obviously Antichrist. <laughs> horrendous. House that Jack built. <laughs> actually. That might be closer. Can't dies. I think that's pretty much the ending. Yeah. I wouldn't say happy. Yeah, it's yeah. coping until 
the end. It, it's a metaphor prune through, and I usually hate that kind of thing. I, I prefer showing actual characters dealing with the situation, not a stand-in for a mental illness dealing with the situation and pushing on set to the extreme. And what else can I expect from Bontrea, though? Um, he deals in extremes. Most yeah, like this... This is clearly this is like what I was mentioning earlier. He is it, he is someone showcasing what he sees, but he is not a normal person. I don't really have much else to say unless we go into the actual scene by scenes. But I don't it, see the point. It, yeah, um, no, for it, it's it follows along that line. It, if if you can, I think see through on Von Trier if you, if you like his work push on that then you're going to really like Melancholia um, if you're ambivalent or don't like Von Trier's stuff then you're going to hate Melancholia even then it's too long, it's like 45 minutes too long, easily there's a lot of stuff that should have been cut definitely um, for an audience from an audience perspective, not for Von Trier's of course but yeah, I, I, I like it quite a lot I think the individual scenes are enough to propel it out of the overall problem of inconsistency, for me at least. Because not enough films tackle the subject of depression. The, the best one I've seen is Manchester by the Sea. If you haven't seen that, recommend it wholeheartedly. One of mine is Train Spotting, but that, that goes into like addiction and stuff like that. Certainly, the, the fucking. Um, the, the guy who they put on it, he gets depressed before he dies in his own squalor. Um, the rest of them go through that during the baby scenes. Yeah. It tells it very well. Trainspot is less about uh, people with depression, but more, you know, showcases people with just awful lives. <laughs> Scott, Scottish people. Scottish. <laughs> the Scots during Thatcher's era. I'm just going to say the Scots in general. I mean, it's just be a dick. No one's going to get this far in. Uh, yeah. Unlikely. <laughs> so, basically, at the end of the day, more films need to tackle depression, but maybe not this way. <laughs> in my personal opinion. And with that, we move on to uh, what we both consider our favourite films, The Free. It isn't by far my favourite film. I do. I really like Melancholia. I, I, solid, like, high for me. House at Jack Bill is just... I, I, House at Jack Bill, I think, is the only one I'm going to watch again at some point. Let's put it that way. Um, it's, it's the only one I would happily sit down with someone and watch. Oh, I would happily agree with that. House Jack built, cast and crew, uh, directed again by Lars von Trier, written by Lars von Trier as well. Dogville, yada yada yada. Cast, uh, only going to go over a few because it's not it's not exactly a storied and storied cast, but um, it, it, most of them don't have too much relevance. There are only really two characters that form the epicenter of it, and everyone else kind of works around them. Uh, so we've got Matt Dillon, main character who plays Jack incredibly well. Uh, again. Lars von Trier, whatever he does, he brings out some of the best fucking acting in his uh, actors that I've seen today. Uh, he's in The Outsiders, Herbie Fully Loaded, 
There's something about Mary, which was the Ben Stiller thing years ago in Crash, which is actually really good. Um, Bruno Ganz, who plays Virgil, who uh, you might recognise him. I mean, I'll go through the other things quickly first. Wings of Desire, Heidi, and Nosferatu the Vampire. Vampire, I should say. Um, do, do you, know, you recognise him from anywhere, Ty? No, honestly, none of those ones really come... I'm not sure I've seen so, any of those films. No, not those. There's, there's another film I've like purposefully left out that you like you'll jump on the second I say it you'll know it um if I, if I say imagine the guy who plays Virgil in a bunker in World War 2 no still nothing what who like the guy who plays Virgil imagine him in a bunker in World War 2 as everything's crashing down around him no guy from what hey he played Adolf Hitler in Downfall oh never mind oh you've never seen it <laughs> fuck no, I haven't. I just didn't. I thought you were talking about Mad God. No, I fucking no. No, I did fucking bunker World War II. Okay, shit. Yeah, but no, you played Adolf Hitler in Downfall, uh, Virgil. Which, yeah, again, it's one of those I don't recognise it until I see it in the fucking credits and go, oh shit. Yeah, I do know that guy. Uh, talking about which, so what I did recognise before the credits came on for bad reasons. To be fair, uh, Sabone Fallon Hogan who plays Lady Two. Uh, they're all Lady. They've, they've got no actual names, which I think, except Jacqueline, um, which I think plays the film's strength, actually, because it's through the lens of Jack. Very uh, American Psycho-esque. Uh, Saborn Fallon Hogan, for those who aren't with the YouTube stuff, back in like 2010, 2011. She was in Rushed first, and she was in the Fred films, playing the mother. Yeah, she, she wasn't good in them. She was good in this. Small role, but yeah, she didn't embarrass herself. She did a very good job. I, I wish her all the best. After the Fred films, I wish anyone the best, except John Cena. He's a he's a fucking he's got a lot of dignity. John Cena. He's a prick. Uh, and then finishing off with Uma Thurman playing Lady One. Uh, the girl who gets smacked by a um, tire welding. Thing I know a lot about cars. I used to work for the RAC. I know my I know my stuff. They're called tire welding things, and they're weld tires. A jack. a jack, yeah. That that's another term that you can use. Otherwise known as tire welding things. Uh, obviously, Kill Bill, Pulp Fiction, Gattaca. It's Uma Thurman. She's got a fucking Fallout Boy song about her. She's everywhere. Yeah. Uh, no, that was Uma Thurman. Yeah, that's I... how much I fucking pay. <laughs> Again, I, I didn't fucking know until I got to the the end. Is it just doesn't look or act like a at all? I'm, I'm picturing Pulp Fiction. To be fair, I'm picturing like thirty years ago, bordering on. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Well, twenty five. I'm picturing twenty five years in past. Kill Bill as well. I'm picturing like fourteen years in past. Um, budget box office stuff. Uh, this is the only one to have lost money of the three so far. Budget of eight point seven million, the most, not by much, to be fair, and a box office of six point six million, all in euro, because I want to be a dick, and that's what was given to me. So you have to deal with converting that to pounds as well. Fuck you. If it helps the conversion, like times it by, um, zero point eight ish, one point two, I think. No, yeah, zero point eight times it by about zero point eight. That should get you roughly on track. A trivia, do, 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 the house that Jack built. Okay, so the nursery rhyme. I didn't know it was a nursery rhyme until I kind of looked into it. Um, 
I just typed it in, and that's the first thing that came up, like a YouTube video for the nursery rhyme. The house that Jack built, the nursery rhyme, is, is basically like a, a more annoying version of, if you remember the nursery rhyme back in school, uh, the woman that swallowed the fly. That, yeah. I, I don't know if this is in America, but basically it's a really stupid fucking rhyme, the woman that swallowed the fly, which the first verse I'll sing that, so, um, so like, I know an old woman who swallowed a fly. I don't know why she swallowed a fly. Perhaps she'll die. Like, this is like six-year-olds being <laughs> given, don't swallow flies, you might fucking die. Just hitting them over the head. The and spider. Yeah, then she and then a swallows a spider um, that wriggles and tiggles inside her to eat the fly. And then she swallows all sorts of other animals. Basically, it's that. Basically, it's very much like uh, a woman that swallowed the fly, but with the house that Jack built had a rat that ate some cheese. And then he brings in a cat to kill the rat. Then he brings in a dog to kill the cat and so on and so forth. It just extrapolates from there. It's very irritating and very nursery rhyme-esque. So yeah, um, nursery rhyme for all this. Uh, Von Trier planned filming it in two parts so that he could edit part of the film between the shooting. Uh, that's basically quite obviously like the first half, but not even the first half, the first like two hours he filmed first and then filmed the last 20 minutes that are in hell, more or less. I can't, off the top of my head, name a time that a director's done that. I mean, I don't know all the production backside, so it may very well have happened before. Um, and certainly on an indie project, I'm sure it's happened before, but I can't name any big stuff that's been done on. Kirsten Dunst was approached for a role in the film. Uh, Jacqueline, apparently, from what I've gathered, but chose not to move forward with the project. What a shame. <laughs> she could have played simple. I actually think she's done really well in that role, to be fair, thinking about it. But every, everyone has acted really well in this. So, Yeah, once again, acting, great. Cinematography, great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah, I won't even double back. It's just everything's technically amazing. And in this case, they, uh, we can at least both agree that the writing kind of holds credit as well. Writing is good. The actual plot, as I've bitched about it before, plot is Simple. Murderer is explaining himself to uh, an adjudicator or judge or like uh, an angel of some kind and goes through five key moments in their lives or five key murders in this case. And that's it. Nothing more, nothing less. Doesn't need to be more, doesn't need to be less. Yeah, that's it. And simplicity is often the best way of doing this stuff. It's just, how do you get from A to B? Perfect, don't add anything unnecessary to that. Um, and it it's, it's going to sound really bad. I mean, I know uniqueness is often used as a excuse for a bad product, but it is also very unique in a good way. It's a very good product and very unique in its setup. I don't think I've seen anything quite like any of these free, to be fair. <laughs> Von Trier comes from a, a, a certain perspective that I don't think can be quite replicated. Um, it's talking about which uh, I said earlier, I think, during Antichrist, but as it was particularly in regards to the graphic violence contained within this film, exactly says it's necessary to show it. Uh, the idea that the pain is worse if only you see the eyes of the man being stabbed is bullshit. It's an attempt at being tactful. It's an excuse. Um, he doesn't think anything in any movie requires excuses. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with him on that, personally. With yeah, you. I would agree that 
idea of not seeing the act uh, as being worse is I understand why because it's the imagination but when you see how bad it is with a visual medium that is different than let's say a book you see, I think I think the thing is we've progressed so far now that we can make it exact we, we can like make it look real you can't tell the difference now um, so there's no real excuse. I suppose the only excuse is budgetary, in which case I say, yeah, it's still better to not show it all. Fair enough. Yeah. It, it's the if old you're... don't show the horror monster before the times it's not going to be as scary. Well, yeah, because budgetarily we can't make Lovecraftian fucking monsters, but we can show human violence, and it's absolute at this point. Yeah, it, it, like, it, obviously it does depend on the product and what we're talking about, but in terms of just sheer violence, yeah. See it, and it'll be worse. Uh, talking about seeing things, or not seeing things in this case, we're gonna just, I'm just going to jump straight to scene by scene, and we are going to go through this properly, because I think it, it very much deserves it. The scenes all build on each other, and they're very interesting as individuals. And I'm not going to be repeating myself overly much, to, to an extent, but not quite so much as I would with Melancholia. So um, we start with Total Darkness, which is we're going to get a jump back to this at about the two hour mark, where Virgil, we don't know it's Virgil at the moment, but um, a, an older gentleman basically talking back and forth with Jack, saying very few make it all the way without uttering a word as Jack's asking him if they're allowed to speak. And we're given kind of the rundown of the film by Jack. Uh, where we have the two sections, the five incidents that occur over 12 years, and uh, with Virgil's exploration and disgust of those five incidents, really as more or less uh, the audience looking in to an extent, followed by the final trek down into the lowest circle of hell with Virgil and Dante. Uh, I've not actually read Dante's Inferno. Sorry, with Virgil and Jack. I've actually read Dante's Inferno myself. Is it's well, I've read a couple of pages. It's it's a struggle. The um, it, it's fan fiction. It's self-insert fan fiction from like a thousand years ago. It's not. It's uh, what's it's it? Not the, the something poem. Um. Oh, the blessed poem or something. I can't remember the exact name now. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I, I couldn't do it. I mean, to be to be fair, I was reading from uh, I can't remember what translation, but there's about five or six translations of it because it's in ancient Latin, dead language, and um, you have to interpret the words, which is kind of interesting in itself. But yeah, uh, yeah, the one I read was an Italian one that was then translated from Italian, which is far easier, obviously. Which engaged the interpretation of the uh, translator at the very least, and which was incredibly dry, very dry. I wouldn't recommend it at all. Uh, the one I read, I've heard there's some more emotive ones out there that uh, interpret the uses in different ways, which it sounds more interesting. But generally speaking, the idea of Dante's Inferno, which lo and behold, Seven Circular Film is what the fucking name of the show is based on. The, the idea of it is far more interesting than the actual literature. The ideas it inspired is better than actual thing. 
And you know, for that at least, I uh, salute it for bringing a lot of great and very shit media to the uh, nth. Fucking as above, so below, pile of crap. Fucking fight me. Stuff like the house that Jack built and various other things. This is a Scooby Doo episode with Virgil in. So hey, if you, if you inspire some Scooby Doo, I'll, I'll always be in your corner. So uh, before we jump in properly, before we go on, I don't want to repeat myself too much um, because I'll, I'll be going in circles if I don't just give an overview of Jack from the offset. And I think Ty is going to be the same. If like we don't both give an overview of the character now, we're just going to, have to repeat the same shit constantly. Yeah. Um, Jack um, is one of the best portrayals, and I said this during Northern Underground, uh, but he's one of the best trail, uh, portrayals of a psychopath that I, I've seen in media, properly done, like in a mm. film format. I'm not going to jump on what I said during Northern Underground. I think it does still apply to this film fucking viscerally, but in terms of actual physical portrayal, Jack is very, very well fucking done. Incredibly well done. He's arrogant. Um, he's um, artsy without the understanding of what creates real art. There's uh, a complete understanding that his psychopathy, not his OCDness, his psychopathy gives him uh, a misunderstanding of the purpose of art and a misappropriation of purpose in life that he uses art to fulfill. He's, he's a fascinating character. Absolutely fascinating mindset i would describe him as an art nerd who knows nothing about it like he's an idiot as yeah i there's loads of different um periods within the film we talked about cathedral at one point right so we talked about gothic cathedrals yeah. and jumping just on exactly the thing you said he talks about like the engineering and about archways being um Oh, fucking uh, not angled, not square angles, but circular above, like the classic Colosseum style, which allows for higher arch work. In the sense that art can somehow be, like, if you get a higher tower, that's better art somehow. Like, it can be quantified into words in some sense. It can be mathematically formulated to say this is the best art because X on the spectrum with y on the axis we can calculate through equation x equals fx g times nine you can't fucking do that with art and that's what jack's trying to do and i, I suppose it's opinion to an extent popular opinion i think um, low to me to fucking before to popular opinion but art isn't something you can just quantify into a mathematical equation. There's emotion behind it. There's constant emotion behind it, and that's what drives it. To quote Virgil in this film, love is necessary for art. I wouldn't necessarily say love, but emotion is definitely necessary for art, which is what Jack lacks entirely. And that's that's kind of the interesting side, watching someone who lacks the ability to create art try. Does he lack emotion? Okay, not emotion, but empathy. And the understanding of art, yeah, not emotion. He can get angry, obviously. He can he can progress on that, but he lacks the the connection to humanity, um, which is necessary in the creation of art. I think, even Dada, right? We were talking about last week. Yeah, even Dada, you have to have an understanding 
that the world is shit. You have to have that nihilistic understanding that humanity doesn't deserve art because we're awful people to create Dada. You have to progress on that. You know, art should be created by people who are greater than everyone else morally to create Dada, to create anti-art. And art's the same way. I think you have to have an understanding of the human condition, understanding of emotion, of humanity, empathy, to be able to create art. But it's like you said earlier, everything is art, though. A simple drawing is art. Like you said, a four-year-old's picture of a lion. Now, don't get oh. me wrong, I'm not <laughs> this fucker does is art. I'm more playing devil's avocado here. Okay, yeah. But... Um, oh, yeah, I'll retroactively say... To create meaningful art, to create art that has a purpose and to create art that should stand the test of time. I've always been of the opinion, if you want to quantify it, if you do want to push it into an equation and you want to get like a, a lurid statement, what art should do, and if you want to kind of take away from morals for a moment, be unmoralistic. Art, in my opinion, is a legacy for a person. So in the same way that you have children, they hold your legacy, they're your DNA. Art is the artist's legacy. And what you should be trying to do is, in the same way children, you progress the human race. But with art, you progress the human race in an artistic manner. I've said time and time again with this podcast, if one motherfucker sits down for an evening, listens to this bullshit, and is inspired to do something better with it, I'm fucking happy. That's, that's my <laughs> goal with all of this. Just one idiot enjoys this, and goes off to do something far better than I can do. I am more than happy, or even inspires his own children to do something far better than I can do, or inspires someone at the coffee shop to do something better than I can do. I'm happy if I do that. And that's what I think art should be trying to progress. It should be something that's created to make humanity artistically and moralistically, in my, my preference, but not necessarily, but it, it should be creating a better humanity, which Jack is incapable of doing. I agree. But what makes Jack such an interesting character is that he believes that's what he is doing. Oh yeah, 100%. He thinks he's important. Mr. Sophistication. Yeah. He thinks he's progressing humanity culturally. Which is the serial killer name he gives himself. Yeah. Which, which... tells you everything, basically. Oh, it's perfect. <laughs> It's perfectly. I, I don't even want to say the fedora stuff we were talking about earlier. It's not that. It's, it's almost a level above that. It's he's, he's the real deal to some extent. It's not that he's he's completely. It's not that he, he chooses to be oblivious. It, he is entirely oblivious. He's incapable of understanding. Not that he doesn't want to, or believes he is. He, he's just incapable of ever getting it. He believes with his entire being that he is important. Which is... I mean, after his second kill, um, where he drags... After killing a woman and escaping a police officer, he, ha he ties a woman, a dead woman, dead body, uh, to the back of his car. And as he makes a break for it, he ends up dragging it all the way back home to where he keeps the bodies. And then it starts to rain, right? And washing away all the blood. Basically, he gets away with it. 
he himself says something along the lines of, I have been like biblically given the go ahead to carry on with what I'm doing. Oh yeah, that that's a constant through the film. At no point does he ever say, Oh, I was lucky. No. Ever. Like there are times where he says biblically, as as you said with that, fuck's sake. <sighs> yeah. There are times where he says biblically I was saved, like what you said. There are times where he says his own skill brought him over, where you as an audience member thinking, no, you you're just fucking lucky. It's all that's happening. Like the scene where he's dragging the bodies back because he wants to retake pictures. He says, oh, so quick. No, you're just lucky. That's all you are. There's nothing to it. No one saw it because you were lucky. But he has to justify that by saying that, no, I'm so good at doing this that I managed to drag them in without anyone noticing. That's what it was. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. It's made all the better by Virgil. Just pushing him down to shit. Just giving him shit the entire time. I mean, if, if Virgil wasn't there, I'd, I'd fully think that Von Trude lost it. <laughs> no, it's good on him. Like, it's fully aware, obviously. Um, yeah, uh, I, you know, another thing I do want to say, and this is going to sound really fucking pretentious, this is going to really take it to the nth degree, um, the, 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 most of the film is silent. And I, I, I take this film as, um, oh fuck, an unreliable narrator going through his killings. Yeah, I had that thought as well, because every single woman he kills is really stupid. Yeah, I mean, Virgil points it out, I think. Yeah. He says something about, you never talk about men and the women in all your stories are really stupid. I think he says outright. But the, the thing that kind of tipped me off during it, um, at least I think, there's no music except for the points that Jack explicitly has a pianist playing. And Virgil yeah. um, hears the pianist and says, why the hell are we looking at a pianist right now? <laughs> um, the pursuit of perfection. Yeah. Yeah, because I don't think Jack understands the nuance of music in art. I don't, I don't think he gets it. He, he gets how it adds to it. I don't think he understands the emotion that it, it brings. It's the artistic, um, artistic tales with stories. I don't think he get how uh, music here and there within the killings had tension. I don't think he gets any of that at all, which is why it's dead silent for most of the film. Yeah, I like that interpretation of it. That's pretty cool. I mean, it might just be that it just really works, and it does. Um, but that's that's yeah. how I saw it because they they paid attention to the pianist, and I thought he chooses exactly what Virgil and we as the audience through Virgil see. Which is why during the last 20 minutes um, everything kind of flips and it, it's in Virgil's hands at that point. There's some music, uh, there's the fields, there's everything else and Jack's kind of out of his element suddenly. Right. Yeah, Jack isn't in charge of the scene. That he so would desperately want to be. So, is it just me or does he get more? No, that's just him growing more confidence as a serial killer. Never mind. Well, he says, um, yeah, his OCD recedes because yeah. he, he uses the killings as. I think 
like to to tide himself over to save himself is how I'd put it. Yeah, he uses the the killings as just a, a mechanism to deal with his OCD pretty much by the end of it. As horrific as that sounds. So I mean, yeah, getting into it. And if you have seen the film before, um, I I, I mean I watched it three times now. Uh, once once before with my mom ages ago, I watched it with Melancholia and Double Feature. Once for this, just to rewatch through it and remember everything, and then once to take notes and stuff. Um, I'd actually recommend watching it again, with the idea that it is under unreliable narration. It, it takes on a slightly different tint, if you didn't think that before. And mm. the women come out a lot better, <laughs> for one. You don't, you don't kind of think, why the fuck are you letting him in your house after he's been pretend to be a cop, then pretend to be a security agent? You, know, you don't, you don't yeah. push on that element. You, you kind of, and I'm, I'm going to be running through the discussion from that perspective, from the perspective I've seen it three times, and I fully believe he's unreliably narrating through all of this. And in reality, it was nowhere near as clean as he says it was, and he's nowhere near as good at it as he says it was. There's, there's a lot of shit, and I'll, I'll bring up nitpicks, which are going to sound a bit ridiculous, but they build up. Trust me on that. They build up. Go, going into hell, walking down, it's fully black into the last 20 minutes, but we hear the odd note, which is given context later. Uh, hell in this, uh, for one, looks really good. I like I like the description. I've, I've asked Steph before. I can't remember for what film it was. Oh, what what film was it now? Oh, yeah, I can't remember what series of films it was when I asked him what version of Hell he liked best. Do you have a favourite Hell in film tie or TV or games? Oh, God, a uh, favourite Hell. Or books. I have a, f- a favourite Hell. You know what, I couldn't actually tell you. I don't know. Probably probably my favourite, and again, there's Afterlife and there's like different... Because like, there's the Greek Afterlife which is fairly peaceful, basically. Uh, but it's not quite a hell. And then you have, like, uh, Grim Fandango, where it's not hell. It's just the afterlife. And it's basically like a 1940s noir film. No, I'm, t- I'm talking, like, not, not fucking... Um, what was that? The animated film that Disney did about Mexican hell? About the Day of the Dead? Um, I really liked it, actually. I can't remember the name now. Something in the sea. But I'm not talking that yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. Full on hell, hell, like the the worst fucking place that sinners go. All that shit. Yeah, I I think Steph, if I remember rightly, he said Hercules, two thousand and whatever, with um James Wood playing Hades. I think that's what he said. Um, uh, me personally, yeah, if, if it's of any help, but... me personally, I go for this. Is gonna sound a bit stupid, but Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. That hell. I don't know if you've seen it. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, where they're given psychological abuse from their own psyche. I, I like that hell, where death is shit at board games. And the robot hell, right. I really like. That, that's a classic. Robot hell. Love the future. Um, I like the hell from Smiling Friends. <laughs> but characters inside it, and that Satan's just a massive gamer who orders Uber Eats in hell. 
I do love the, uh, what is it? This is your only entertainment, your only friend. And then he just punches him in the fucking stomach. <laughs> do that again, I'm going to hit you. It's just like, if you do that again, I'm going to punch you, I swear to God. Uh, I love how he does it question. How is it now? Oh, yeah. Just, uh, Charlie fucking deserves it. Whatever he did. Oh, here's your recommendation for the week, actually. Beyond Lars von Trier, um, watch Smiling Friends. My God, it's good. <laughs> Fucking... If you've ever watched any kind of animation online from like Newgrounds or YouTube, old school YouTube, Smiling Friends, you'll enjoy. I think, I, I mean, I don't, basically... I don't watch any of that shit. It's still funny as fuck. It's fucking funny. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, the hell's generally, how's this hell then? If it's any better, How, how's this version for you? say it's fairly bog standard really um i like the idea of um the fact that you can see heaven like as part of your punishment but um yeah it's it's i've never really been interested in hell truth be told so it's it's fairly bog standard punishment cave network a bit um a bit steampunky Oh, fair enough. And then there's just a big round. Not yeah. much more to say. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of really good fiction around hell. A lot of really fun stuff. The Good Place is the, the, the really big one. The, the heaven and hell dichotomy and that. Um, yeah. Obviously, afterlife stuff. And they they kind of you know do some really interesting things. I'm not going to say anything. Because, uh, it's, a, it's a really great show. And in case anyone hasn't watched it, much spoiler alert, just ready in any way. For anyone, and a little timestamp. Um, yeah, we've we we see them descending into hell. A few conversations, and then Jack decides to talk about some of his murders and go through. Yeah, the the ins and outs of what makes him tick. We start with uh, Uma Thurman, who, as I said before, uh, in what I think is an unreliable narration, is one of the most annoying people I've ever seen in my life. I would fucking kill her. And this this sounds awful saying it, but she's literally begging for it with a bowl out. Like, literally, she is talking about how he could murder her. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like fucking, oh, you look like a serial killer, you could kill me now, and no one would know about it. Oh, you shouldn't have talked to the blacksmith. That's That, that gives credence to your... I, I fucking hate her. Well, I, that's... I, if it unreliable narrator i like the idea that she's not saying these things it's him he's saying these things like almost like it's to himself because think about it you could use that jack that could do a lot of weight you could do whatever you wanted to me out here you shouldn't have talked to the blacksmith you're a coward for not doing it and then he does it Oh, that's stunning, actually. Yeah, because he does it on the way back. I mean, she talks to him about like a coward. You know, I mean, I knew that wasn't what she was saying to him. That I, mean, I, I believe that wasn't what she was saying to him. But the idea that that's what's going through his head—that's fucking amazing. Um, I mean, for me, it was like the it shows the Jack just constantly, which I mean, foreshadowing about as subtle as being hit on the head with a Jack. Yeah. Yeah, the, the idea that this is kind of going through his head because it starts. She, she, he stops for her. Um. And then he's reluctant to let her in the van, which he eventually gets in. And then she basically harasses him, or his own mind in this case, harasses him in saying how much he looks like a serial killer. 
and how much I suppose he is a serial killer then. And then after they get to the blacksmith to Sonny's repair the jack, they have to go back basically just frustrating more. And then she starts talking about how much of a coward he is, presumably for kowtowing to her for this long. Uh, yeah, I, I suppose his own psyche kind of drills him into killing her then. If we take it down that route, that, that's fucking fascinating. I'm going to have to rewatch it again now, <laughs> just with that kind of mindset, <laughs> just that scene. It's uh, his own head kind of speaking to him. That's, that's great. Because uh, it, it makes sense, because the fuck is she doing saying that to someone? Like, what the fuck would you get into his car and say that to someone? Unless you are actively looking to get murdered. Like... I mean, not even that. Chances are, I mean, if you were in my car, I'd say get the fuck out fairly quickly. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't even pick her up. Like, as soon as she called me a serial killer, like, okay, nope, get out of my car. You know what? The more and more I think about it, the more and more I think you're right. Like, the serial killer stuff, I could almost get her just making jokes to try to buy the time and her being massively socially awkward, but her after saying he's a coward and he's too weedy to kill her. Now, that, that is him thinking about it. Because there's no way someone is that fucking abrasive, that harsh. And if she, if she fucking deserved it. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, from that interpretation, then she doesn't actually deserve it, I suppose. Um, she's presumably a fairly normal person. She's talking about the ride over, and he just loses his shit. That really fucking works. Uh, on the offset of all this as well, uh, we have the little cameo by Glenn Gould, uh, piano player, um, which is, in my mind, Jack trying to justify his own killings in the, the feel of art. Um, or trying to equate them to art to some extent. And I've said before, he's very factual when talking about art, talking about um, the functionality, um, more of an equation than um, personal expression, really. Uh, whether that's just through his mind as an architect or a psychopath, it's through his mind as a psychopath, what I'm saying is, it's because he's a psychopath. But yeah, it's, it's, it's psychopathic. In fact, he's psychopathic and an, a... Um... What is he? Uh, an engineer. Engineer. I've I've met engineers. Kind of... <laughs> they they can be uh, <laughs> yeah they, they can be very obtrusive. When it comes to that kind of stuff. They do work in maths. Fucking uh, Mike was on the podcast on Magyar the other day. God bless his soul. He can be uh, when it when it comes to discussions on uh, artistic liberty. He can be quite mathematical occasionally. Kind of pushing this stuff. He's got a yeah. fucking masters in maths. He should be. Not going to hold it against the man. No, not at all. That's just what you get on that kind of standard thing. So I'm fucking English language. What, what are you going to get? Clearly, there's going to be disagreements. Um, but yeah, Glenn Gould definitely though is is that side of oh this is artistic because it's so good at playing the piano. It's the best of the best. So that's that's what I use as a comparison. Um, and the, it comes out of nowhere, it comes out of left field, Virgil like, comments on it. Again, the audience kind of stand in. And it, it really is just Jack trying to, to push that justification on that and the comparison there, which I, I really do love. I think Von Trier, writing-wise, um, Melancholia and Antichrist, I do like, but he did nail it. He fucking hit it out of the park with House of Jack built. 
with the layering. This this is the best character he's done, bar none. I'm I'm happy to say this. My favorite film by him, bar none. Um, especially as well, like building his own house. Uh, with the is it a twist? That's sort of pulling the rug out from under you. The the expectation, the house that Jack built, thinking this is going to be the house, and then I'm trying to think, is that a twist? Uh, I wouldn't exactly call it a twist. Maybe dramatic irony, or <laughs> the opposite, dramatic irony. I think the film kind of knows yeah. where it's going, the audience not. Now, if there's a term for that, but either way, it's well done. You should kind of expect it in retrospect. Um, at least knowing, not not immediately, but halfway through the film, you should kind of see where it's going. Sort yeah, of. The, the build up. Yeah, it's not our left field, pretty much. Um, and I, I really, really love it. How it comes to the, the crux of the final scenes of the, the psychopathy. I, as I said at the start, there's always spoilers. Um, he, he builds a house made of dead people. I see dead houses pretty much, and it's in all its magnificent, horrific glory, and a kind of um, igloo of corpses. House, a shit house. Yeah, house of about sixty odd corpses. Yeah, it's a bit of shit. I mean, corpses. I'd say they don't really hold heat when they're frozen. Uh, when you heat them up, they're going to decompose a bit. It's going to smell. They're going to expand. It's not going to work very well. Just building material-wise, cannibals don't don't use natural material. It's not going to work amazingly. There's there's a there's your cannibal recommendation for the week. If you're going to build a house, still use wood. It's the reason we've been using it for all these years. Wooden bricks and shit. and then use the as a foundation. I reckon you could make a decent like teepee out of one. Yeah, you can make a boob purse. You forgot that. <laughs> laughed when I saw that. That was so dumb. You know, I think that was the the um the attempt. I think it was to be funny. To be fair to them, the intention is it was fucking hilarious seeing the boob purse, Ed Keen's esque but fucking boob purse with the nipple showing at the top. <laughs> yeah. What a shit purse. <laughs> 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 We've kind of got an off piece a little bit, haven't we? <laughs> I we'll jump back in then and beyond the house stuff. Uh we get the, the walking freezer introduced to. Uh, the on Prospect Avenue, um Pro uh, I think it's Pro S, but the the rest is knocked off and so they just call it Prospect Avenue. Um with row on row of future victims in the meat locker, as it were. Ready to be placed. Uh, currently within there, a load of pizza boxes that are stacked high up, which I mean, I'll, I'll give the benefit of the doubt and assume interpretation. So let, let's say, for the sake of uh, artistic liberty, that the pizza boxes are to represent normality, um, uh, complete blandness of art, and Jack's corpses add nothing to the proceedings. Let's go with that for an interpretation. Mr. Literature Major. That's off the cuff. You can appreciate it. <laughs> Bravo. Yeah. A little applause. <laughs> we get back to him in the middle of nowhere again. 
so uh, he wants to move the car off so no one sees it. He's, he's smacked Uma Thurman in the face with a jack and he wants to move the car away. And this, this comes back actually to what you were saying um, about the rain, I think, where he says, in a stroke of genius, um, cars parked on state lines can't be seen over by cops. Can't, cops can't see over state lines, which is bullshit. A load of crap. Cops can phone the other fucking side if they want to. They can fucking investigate this shit. Clearly they can. I refuse to believe that if a murderer is standing slightly over state lines, a cop has to look at it and go, oh, what a shame. Can't do anything, sorry. You've been stabbed. No, you're over state lines. You're in Wyoming. Sorry. Five way. Can you, can you get stabbed slightly further this way? Five feet. Just crawl. Crawl. I refuse <laughs> to believe that's the fucking case. It's just luck. No one fucking sees the car. That's what it is. His OCD brain is making him see this tiny glimpse of the car and he thinks everyone's going to see it. That's what he immediately jumps to because he sees it. But no one sees the fucking thing. No one sees the car. No one gives a shit about this woman who's been smacked in the face. No one says a thing. No investigations, no nothing. He talks about how Sonny didn't mention anything, all this kind of shit. Yeah, no one, just no one cares about this. That's what happens. He gets really lucky. Not that divine fucking intervention occurs. Uh, do you have a do you have a favourite segment? Out of curiosity, so I mean, they they take different tones, very different tones, very quickly. They go from mildly comedic to horrific very fast. I like the segments where uh, it's him and Verge, Virgil um, talking, because Virgil just gives him fucking sass, <laughs> like the 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 animated parts and the. Um, the stock footage parts um because it is just jack going spouting some pretentious bullshit about how him murdering someone was art and jack is just like you're a prick <laughs> just a twat all i see is some murderous perverted bastard who's getting off on this shit shut your face <laughs> it's like when he talks about um what did he call himself again? Mr... Sophistication. Mr. Mr. Sophistication, yeah. And you can hear Jack's eyes rolling. Virgil's like, eyes rolling. You can hear Virgil's eyes rolling like, I'm crying out loud. <laughs> really? I, he does say something, doesn't he? I can't remember yeah, what he it does. Is. Yeah, he, he like says what? outright, uh, what, the best name for the smartest person or something like that shit. Why, why are serial killers so fucking stupid? And um, I, I never understood a serial killer standing back and thinking, oh, I'm going to be the fucking, I'm going to be famous, I'm going to do this shit, and I'm never going to be caught. BTK, you know, he phoned the police department. Fucking moron. Yeah, I, I would say those were probably the bits that I, I, I like, found funny. I liked those bits. But, like, my favourite segment, because of how it was filmed and how it was um, started, like, just in general, was the family bit with the mother and two kids. I think the family bit was the coldest, definitely. The best shot. And it was the... That was the, brutal. Yeah, it was brutal. And just hard to get through. 
Um, that, I was only saying because Mike, who Magon and stuff, he he's not one for dealing with this kind of stuff. He doesn't deal with artsy stuff um, very well a lot of the time, or stuff that, in his opinion, wastes his time. Which fair enough. We've all got different perspectives on this. Uh, actually, no, he's full of shit. Fuck it. He won't listen this far. But we get to the the second segment, which he clocked out on, which. I think it's the funniest. I, I, I found it laugh out genuinely laugh out loud funny to the end. Um where he, he kills can't remember her name, so God help me, I'm gonna refer to her because I refuse to say Lady Two in Jack's vernacular. I'll refer to her as um Fred's mother from the Fred movie. I don't know, I think Lady Two's a bit nicer. <laughs> you know what? A bit more dignified. God help me, I'm gonna scroll up and look at her first name. Siborne. Saborn, there we go. Saborn, you get a name. How lovely. Saborn, who is an excellent actress. <laughs> don't don't at me. Jack talks about driving up, and this is where he's kind of going out to seek his victim. But you get the kind of feeling that the first uh, Uma Thurman was killed in a spur of the moment thing, irregardless of whose perspective that was from the story. It was kind of the first of many. Uh, this one is where he's starting to kind of come into his own. In Saborn, he stops in a suburbs area, probably about like, what, 11, 10 o'clock at night, 9 o'clock at night? Probably 8, 9, roughly. Um, it, it's dark either way. And he walks up to the house, knocks on the door, and proceeds to be the most obvious serial killer who ever walked the streets. Like, I, I would be better off walking to your house telling you i'm a knife salesman please let me in i'll show you my knives or walking at up... least with that probably get someone going oh that's too that's that's too obvious <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> you'd have better luck in real life going hello i'm a murderer will you let me in is it I yeah. someone especially nowadays i reckon i could convince someone to let me in if I went up to him and go, hello, I'm a murderer. I will kill you if you let me in. Can I come in, please? I'll make I'll make you a cup of tea first. You know, like, I'll make sure you're nice and relaxed. I've got some heroin here, so you'll go out with a bang. Um, and then I'll stab you in the face. But only with your consent. And I reckon I would have more success than fucking Jack in real life. <laughs> It says a lot, actually, that this is from his perspective, his telling, and he's still stupid as fuck. He's still shit at it. Um, that, this is... I'm somewhat unsure about the um, unreliable narrator in this one. Simply because, if it was, he would be a lot smoother. Surely. Oh, you think and he's building up, like, a proper um, narrative through it to go from, like, the worst to the best? Yes, I do, now that I think about it. Because I literally just thought that as soon as I said it. Like, he's not going, oh yeah, I've always been... Like, at first, I wasn't great with these kinds of things. That's why I learned how to pretend to have emotions, which is shown after the second kill. It's fair to say, I I think you did mention it, but Jack isn't an idiot. Um, that's that's clear. He's he's smart, very smart. He's, he's got an engineering degree. Uh, he's got all this stuff. He's, there's just something missing, clearly. 
on the the emotional aspect. But no, I, th- I think yeah, you are right that it, it is entirely unreliable narration, and this conversation went very differently. He was much better on his side of things, and this is all speculation, obviously, but he was much better on his side of things, and she um, was justified in letting him in far more. Or maybe he snuck in and bashed around the head with a hammer and didn't consider that up to Mr. Sophistication standards. Yeah, that's that's a real tongue twister. I could see him doing that. Or, or it could just be that's the one that's true. Because the thing is, with an unreliable narrator, there's nothing stopping them from telling the truth every now and again. Yeah, some of it has to be true. One of them has to be. So it's it's whether it's the the fumbling, numpty, is true, or whether it's the, the not suave, but. You know, that makes sense because, like, you know, the, the third one, the third aspect, the hunting one, um, he's a lot more competent during the hunting one than he is during um, the, the fourth one, where he's on a date with a girl. He's, he's a lot better in character in the third one than he is in the fourth one. I mean, even compared to the, the fifth one, well, I think... it's brutal. That's, it's not coercion. I think in the family one, well, I'm hesitant to use the term, but I, I would call that his peak. Like, he's definitely been killing for a while now at that point. You know, he's he's gotten used to pretending to have emotion. He's got used to pretending to be a human being, you know. He's clearly got a bit more confidence in himself. Um, whereas with the fourth and fifth, it's the decline. He is... Not maybe not getting as much satisfaction from it, or he is just devolving further and further into insanity. Well, you know, he was already insane, but now he's just getting arrogantly, his ego and arrogance is taking over. So with the fourth one, for example, he did say he liked the girl, to Virgil anyway. And he, you know what, I, I think he would lie to Virgil. I wouldn't put it past him at all. It's, it's so difficult True. to like push through. I, I fully think he was... I mean, he, he decided to climb around at the end. He's arrogant and in his own head to the, to the end. He doesn't ever admit he's wrong. He says as much um, on his descent down. I believe him on that. I, I wouldn't put it past him to lie to Virgil at some point, even if only to justify the killing to himself through it so he doesn't have to admit that there was no artistic liberty to it even if it's only on that basis by the way uh, going back to the second one in some detail um he talks his way in after i think he starts on saying he's a cop saying that he's his um, badge is being polished up again or some shit then he goes to security security expert i think alarm installer uh, no, he goes straight into a insurance salesman, basically. Something to do with pensions? Yeah. Uh, because he notices her husband is on the wall and asks how long, asks how long he's been dead, that kind of thing. And they, they get into talking, and eventually she lets him in, which 
I mean, first time watching it, I think anyone is just screaming, what the fuck are you doing? If it if it's, like, honest, all the way through, this is the dumbest woman in the film. This, this is the, the woman with no fucking brain whatsoever. This is the woman who you might as well have just stabbed a coma victim. That's as much power as we're losing. Jesus Christ. So this this one where I'm a bit like I'm not too sure about the unreliable narrator because he's an idiot, she's an idiot. <laughs> I suppose idiots exist. Yeah. No, yeah, that is true. Gullible idiots who are greedy, because she's not an idiot in the same way the first one was. The first one was taunting a murderer. You know. Yeah. Uh, whereas the second one was like. I ain't letting you in my house, dude. I could promise you money. Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, because that's what he said to her to let him in. Like, I could promise you, like, you would at least get, like, double your pension because of X, Y, and Z. Something to do with fucking insurance, I guess. Pretty much. And that's what off. You know, she's greedy rather than just... Well, she is a complete idiot, but... You get what I mean. Yeah, a gr- greedy idiot rather than a conniving idiot. It's, it's brands of idiocy. Greedy idiot compared to Lemming, which would be the first one. Like, <laughs> they should form a fucking a... Spice Girls band. That, like, that is someone who wants to die but is can't but can't kill themselves. Like, I'd I'd full on watch film about that. Some guy becomes best mates with a serial killer just by taunting them wanting to die. Yeah. 100% I'd watch that. That does sound like a funny film, but <laughs> beside the point. Uh, she, her death as well is you know, it, it rounded by incompetency. And he says later that he learns how long to strangle a person. Again, very factually, very uh, statistician-esque. But he fails to strangle her properly. He, and keeps like saying, "I'll have some water." Can you die already? It, like, it... yeah, he kind of is almost seems like he can't decide. I you know, he can't like, decide a... whether you should live or die. But yeah, like I said, it's almost like he hasn't made up his mind yet whether or not to be a killer. But then he just does it. Yeah, I mean that's what that's why I say it's it's funny. Genuinely, it sounds horrible, but it is really funny to watch him go through these foibles. Very dark humor, but it it is funny watching because uh, after he kills her, he stabs her right in the heart. So there's blood everywhere. Well, maybe not everywhere, but you get my point. Oh, like nowhere. And that's that's the point. You see the blood. It's like nowhere. It's a little bit on the floor. And he wraps her up, chucks at the back of a van, jobs good. And, but then his OCD comes in and, like, he thinks about all the places where the blood can be. So, like, under a carpet or behind or underneath a chair. And then it just gets... So he goes back in to clean it desperately goes back into his van, sits down, goes, right. And then he imagines, like, and it just gets into more and more ridiculous places, like behind a painting and underneath a single chair leg. And none of the blood's there. <laughs> he goes to check. 
None of it's fucking there. Meanwhile, like you can hear a police siren in the distance coming closer, and Virgil's mocking him endlessly over all of this. Yeah. Just OCD serial killer. Fuck me, you idiot. <laughs> he's having a laugh through the entire scene. He's going back and forth. Um, what really got me, like during the cop thing, and you feel free to like jump in if I if I miss anything. But obviously, he with the police officer. What really threw out to me was the arrogance of fucking Jack to say that he'd heard a struggle, and to say that he'd been in the area, and to keep adding shit that he didn't need to throughout all of this. Like he could have just kept his mouth shut at any point. He could have just said, "Oh yeah, she she's not in at the minute," and left. He keeps saying, oh, there was a struggle. Oh, the door might be open. Oh, have you checked in there? Oh, can I be part of the investigation? I'm going to make a complaint. Like, Jesus, mate, just keep your mouth shut and fucking leave. You'd be fine. I personally don't understand what that bit was. (laughs) Like, was he trying to go so far the other way to convince the cop it couldn't have been him? Or was it his OCD? Or was he just panicking and just a shit liar? I think it's the we, it, it, first one. Liar. Yeah, I think it's the first one, just compounded to ridiculous nauseam. He just has to keep pining on and not. He's a shit liar, and it's the first one. He's trying to prove that it's not him, but he's going so far in the other direction as to make himself hostile suddenly and to make the police officer hate him and remember him. It's, yeah, just fucking awful. Miserable, um, but perfectly encapsulated within his own personality. Uh, I'm just going to be a second. I need to go to the toilet very quickly. So here we, here we get to the um, body dragging. The He talks about the start where she's just pushed away. The rain comes down. Fucking rain falls in Africa and all that shit. Um, blessed rain. And it moves away, Toto style. Fucking dragging a body across the world. It's not exactly OCD, is it? Stupid. Um, on waiting punchline where he is on his hands and knees with a brush, cleaning the road. <laughs> like, I was waiting for that and slightly disappointed when it didn't happen. <laughs> Just every five seconds you see flashes of more tarmac that's bloody. It's the same fucking stretch of tarmac every time. <laughs> Looks exactly the same. Oh, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, with that, some more conversation with Virgil. Back and forth, and then we get to the the peak of the serial killings. Um, I think, yeah, you are right in saying this is the best done segment visually, definitely. It's very interesting to watch. And it's the worst segment in terms of um, uncomfortableness, tension, and uh, general horror. This uh, The casualness of it. Um, really does add an oomph and the the woman's um actions the acting uh have to look at her name at some point she does an excellent job throughout all of this yeah like especially just the scene with her feeding her dead child very good and how she answers every single moment of it so uh we have um jack dressed in <laughs> the most generic hunting gear you can imagine. And you, you learn later on down the film that he does hunt a lot. Or he used to hunt quite a lot with a few other, I, I say this in quotation marks, friends around at the, at the, like the far end of the film 
um, whether that's in use over the 12 years just to create more um, justification for his killings or not you're never really told you get the feeling that he he just does this shit outside of he, he does this shit yeah in use of killing more people I don't know it's never really said because he knows a lot about bullets clearly um, he knows hunters he knows very good shots he's hunted loads of shit around animals and stuff I don't know if it was a precursor as it often is with psychopaths into killing people or if it was um, just a happenstance you know or use as justification for killings fuck knows but either way he knows his stuff I don't think he was hunting before he started killing yeah I I don't quite get that impression it's why I was kind of hesitating yeah uh, definitely at least by then because you get the feeling that because I think the first two kills on screen are his literal first two kills then you see him getting like more into it you know more used to killing more strangling that kind of thing and then um, you have the hunting one that's a point no, because there's a string of different murders in between those two, isn't there? Well, he's, he's killed like not. 62 people. 60 people before he kills Jacqueline uh, Simple in the fourth yeah. murder, which I minus three for the fucking two kids and the mother. So you got at least 57 kills. Oh, minus the other two, sorry, for Uma Thurman and Suborn. So 55. There's 55 murders minimum. Like to fill out, yeah. Between that period, and it, it's my impression. I think you're right that the first two shown are literally the first two killings, or if not the first two, like within the first five, at least. Very early. Yeah, and then I think the hunting one is like of let's say he kills seventy people by the end of the film. The hunting one is like number fifty. There's a yeah, massive like he, fucking gap. Like, he's not wearing glasses anymore, for example. So, like, he either got contact lenses or lysic, you know, like... No oh, shit. I didn't even realise. <laughs> yeah, he grows a beard and he's a bit more gruff and a bit more... Oh, shit. I'm hesitant to use handsome because... Well, he's a murderer, but... <laughs> oh, he looks handsome. I, I can't say shit on that side. He does look... He's a good-looking guy. He's like, um, I hate to say, he's like a slightly better-looking Bruce Campbell at this point. Pushes on that side of things. Which, I mean, doesn't say much for his personality. His sophistication. No. Uh, Oh, uh, before we actually do jump on this, you are right. We've got, um, I forgot to mention about the expressions and stuff. I think it was before this. Yeah, because in between the second and third, there's like a significant length of the film. Like, um, that's where a lot of conversation between Virgil and um, Jack are. Uh, they do show a couple more murders. I mean, that's where Mr. Sophistication comes out. Yeah. Yeah, it's where that posits on. Uh, the expressions, again, honestly, and it sounds bad every time, but they're fucking funny. Like, watching him, he... <laughs> He gets happy, um, disappointed, both of them fucking hilarious to watch him mimic like a four-year-old going through this shit. 
And then he gets something that I looked it up. It's like some torture uh, picture from 1865. And then he tries yeah. to mimic that. <laughs> it's like the screaming, what is it? The screaming man, the painting. Yeah, like the Edward um, Nietzsche, Ed, Edward Munch painting. Yeah, it looked like that. Just someone having not the best of days. Um, if you're curious, he doesn't quite manage the expression. Doesn't doesn't quite get there. Oh, it's great. That, that really, I think, is, is like the, almost the pinnacle, uh, the proper epicenter of his acting there. That was fucking brilliant to not quite get that expression. Uh, <laughs> seriously, genuinely. Uh, Matt Dillon, wherever you are, mate, props. Really stunning stuff. Oh yeah, he he does a wonderful job. Is it? Is it too much to say that I think he's the best actor of, of the three films combined? Like even with What's... Kirsten Dunst thrown in there. Yeah, I'm a I'm a bit um, biased against uh, Melancholia. <laughs> I think Kirsten Dunst does give a wonderful Oscar worthy, genuinely performance, Oscar winning worthy. I think Matt Dillon's was better. He does a wonderful impression of a murderer. Hopefully. We hope impression. Yeah. And of course, as time goes on and he becomes a bit more unraveled and like the various stages of this serial killer in his life and portraying them all with equal quality it is noteworthy, it is, you know, praiseworthy. Oh, that's it. Yeah, there's there's a little death in between this. I completely forgot about it. No, I've just looked through my notes. Um, so, uh, during the expression, before the hunting, during the expression part, um, we get some talk about reeds and, um, you know, desiring to be caught, that fame aspect. Kind of... Uh, it, leaving a legacy in their own way. Psychopaths leaving a legacy to be caught and understood, known at least, remembered uh, to some extent. Um, on the note, uh, during the section, um, Fame by David Bowie plays, it's like constant throughout the film. Von Trier must fucking love Bowie. He's, he's got <laughs> Young Americans, which is my favourite Bowie track, uh, in Dogville at the end, like in the credits. Um, really good, really fucking works, and he has a Bowie track in um, Breaking the Waves. At some point, I can't remember which one. I think it was Heroes. Well, so, that's the question, actually. If you were a murderer, what would your like serial killer name be? <laughs> the first things. This is going to sound really bad. I don't think I'm stupid enough to come up with one. <laughs> that's the first step of getting caught if my goal was to be remembered like full on and the way of doing that was through killing people I think what I would do there's a scene from um, The Guard Guard, the, the Brendan Gleeson film where at the start of the film like some drug cartel kills someone else for drug related reasons and plasters on the wall fucking a bible quote to yeah. throw them off the case I think what I would do is I would kill um, across the country, kill different people, homeless mostly, and have Bible quotes and have like Azariel or um, fucking Lucifer, that kind of shit. Different methodology, 
but I'd sign it in the same way so the police would always know it's me. Uh, let, let's say fucking Azariel. Azariel. And I, I'd sign it exactly the same way every time so the police know it's me. And on my like 80th birthday, I'd come to the police with the irrefutable evidence that, yeah, it was me, and then kill myself. That's, that's how I'd do it. Not, not a minute of thought has gone into this before this conversation. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. If a series of murders occur and a bunch of Bible quotes are coming up, then you know who to blame. Fuck you, how common is that shit? Religious killings. I'm getting swatted now, like every other fucking Wednesday. Oh, come on. Religious killings, they're very open about what they do. <laughs> Religious killings nowadays is just a white dude with a rifle going into a crowd. I mean, no, the fucking, our friendship is over if, like, some nutter in Chelmsley would kill someone and puts a Bible quote, sign as Ariel. That's it, finished. There's always going to be that <laughs> niggling back of your mind thinking, oh, for fuck. I don't think anyone would take you seriously. <laughs> Oh, that would be stunning. If I go in with the guy's blood on my hands, I killed him, please believe me. Ah, fuck off. You couldn't have done this. Fuck off, kid. <laughs> Just kill hundreds, thousands of people. The police, they're sipping their coffee. Oh, that's the police for you. They are shit. What would you go with then? Uh, I don't know. Maybe a medieval torture vibe? <laughs> Call myself the executioner? Just so I can wear a suit of armour? Maybe. Yeah, you'd last about five fucking minutes. That's subtle, isn't it? Walking through plate mail, chinking. <laughs> Just a warhammer on about, the door. It's not about being subtle. This is not serious. If I just snapped and just went, you know what I'm going to do now? I'm going to kill people. I would just get in a suit of armor with like a fucking warhammer. <laughs> just quick, efficient. You know, you need to kill at least three people to be considered a serial killer. <laughs> like, you need to... The first one, fine. It's like some idiot goes up to you, says, what the fuck are you doing? And then everyone outruns you because you're in plate mail. You can run fast. Well, it's more because I'm a cripple rather than <laughs> in plate, but... <laughs> I mean, unless you go into an elderly fucking home, an old people's home, and start bashing heads in. I live next to a block of flats with only two exits. Okay, yeah, I'll I'll give you at least like five. Like the first two are a given. They they don't know what's coming. That's the the motel door chainsaw. Holy shit! They make a weird noise as they die. They make a weird yeah, and that's it. They're fucked. The next like three, sure, but eventually you're being outrun in plate mail. Someone fucking screams. You might get free there, serial killer. Fine. And then I'll blame the devil. Yeah, that doesn't work. No, it doesn't. But <laughs> it'll be fucking hilarious. <laughs> I will refuse to take the plate mail off. <laughs> Blame Tony Blair. <laughs> like graft plate mail to myself so I can't actually take it off. You know, you'd be fucking remembered. Yeah, because that's the whole point of this shit. It's it's uh it's sad how many serial killers have forgotten to time. It's just lost because there are a fair chunk of them, to be fair. There's like 50 operating. And uh, they, they try to get that, that legacy up, to build that fame. I'd say at least 50% of them. And they fail. You know, I, I know H.H. H. Holmes, the BTK, Ted Bundy, uh, Yorkshire Ripper, the London Ripper. 
But I'm sure there's like a fucking Milton Keynes ripper that I've just lost to time. No one will remember York... ever again. I forgot about the Yorkshire ripper because it does sound like some form of confectionery. <laughs> no one, no one is scary from the Yorkshire. <laughs> Who the fuck is... Just Amy, love, get in the house. <laughs> I don't get bash your house. brains in. <laughs> A Yorkshire Ripper? <laughs> <laughs> fucking... Lee fucking threatening man on God's green air. It's like if you heard of a Cornish serial killer. Doesn't happen. <laughs> Oh, fucking... Oh, I was about to say, um, West Country serial killer. You can't fucking understand them anyway. No was he done in mind, you... <laughs> fucking over everyone's head. He tries to confess, no one believes him. He's no one can fucking understand the guy. Oh, but yeah, uh, fucking second... Third killings. In this case, before we get to the... Like, the fifth ones, the, the epicenter. Um... He, after we get kind of discussion of the reeds and the, the reeds that he played in as a child being captured, at least from Virgil's perspective, which I, I lend a lot of credence to. I'm one for leaving a legacy. I, I believe that's what he was trying to attempt to do. A lot of this, uh, create an artistic license that people will remember, or at least yeah. something that will stand the test of time. Um, in his own mind, in God's mind as it were, those little crevices in the cathedral that are for God to see alone. That's what he believed he was doing at the time. Um, and he, yeah, he, he has, he's killed two people. Uh, well, one person, he's killed one person. And he's dissatisfied with the camera work. And on the way back to the motel, where he killed her, um, a woman's hitchhiking alongside the road, an elderly woman. And he basically um, rams her in the back. You know, he backs up against her. Or, no, he slams her. Yeah, he just turns around and just hits her on the road. Hit and run. Yeah. And then, uh, in his words, not fucking mine at all. I'll, I'll say happily that the other two parts were comedic. This isn't. Um, he says that it, it added an element of comedy to have the old hemorrhaging woman... Uh, and his words again, a severely hemorrhaging body in a frozen body, incredibly medical, logical um, vernacular, nothing emotive or artistic about it whatsoever. Uh, he pushes them together and like puts them in different poses, takes pictures, and it, again, in his words, it's incredibly comedic. Doesn't explain why. Doesn't give any reasoning to that. It's not. It's quite disturbing, well, I don't know. to be honest. What were they upside down? <laughs> this mutilated corpse. The absurdity of the situation is funny. Yeah, the absurdity of the situation, knowing it's fictional, is very funny. Oh yeah, and the speed up as he's carrying the bodies up to the motel room. Like genuinely, if I heard H. H. Holmes had been massively OCD and gone back and clean constantly, I would still find that funny. Like outside of it. <laughs> If it was real, this wouldn't be funny. That still would be really fucking funny. Um, you know, you know what? No, yeah. I'll, I'll grant you. This is still a little bit amusing. Occasionally, where he's he's perching them out, kind of taxidermy esque. 
Yeah, no, fair enough. Even still, when he's describing it, he, he's very unemotive in his words, where he says, um, the old woman added a certain comedic element to the proceedings. Nothing else there at all. There's no like laughs to it. It's very professor-esque, like some dusty Victorian prick who's just going over the fundamentals of comedy. Miserable. You see, the point of comedy is, of course, the timing, and uh, it's uh, it's also purely about the victim as well. Sometimes the victim can be oneself, it can be others, but the important thing is that there is a victim. And it's... Yeah, that's shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Was that Rowan Atkinson? Right, you, you haven't yep. got that. Yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can hear the voice now. It's fairly monotone. One of the funniest men who have ever lived. It's a fucking boring motherfucker when he talks about it. Yep. I don't even decry him. No. I think there has to be a victim, be that the English language in Punnage or uh, something else. But he is that is boring as shit. That's so unfunny. And when I, I talking about comedy, Louis C.K. actually fucking funny when he goes over this shit. Chris Rock and uh, Ricky Gervais, one of the least funny men to ever walk the earth, is pretty funny when talking about comedy compared to Rowan Atkinson. But yeah, um, it, it, it's all around that taking it up, placing it out. Um, there's a lot of conversation as well uh, where again, I don't know if it's justification on. Um, Jack's side, and I don't think he has to justify, or maybe he does have to justify it to himself, where he compares it to um, literature within art by basically saying that, oh, it has some relevance to this literature, therefore it is art. Uh, in particular, in this case, um, poet Blake. Mm. And I, I love Virgil's line here. Where he says, I know Blake superficially, but I'm afraid I won't escape a comprehensive tutorial. Yeah. <laughs> it's just brilliant. Um, oh, it, it's self-aware in a way that isn't annoying. He's, as I said, we're, we're Virgil at this point, going down the circles of hell, um, and Jack is annoying. Yeah, not to the, the extent that the film's annoying, but he is irritating as a character. And you, you do feel that it's it's not got um abrasive in the film. So don't don't worry about that kind of thing. Uh, but it goes through Blake's Lamb and the Tiger, which is uh interesting poetry actually. I, I went through some of it looking through interpretations and the like. Um but the the basic idea is God created uh both the tiger and the lamb. It depends on how you push on it, but the lamb, in essence, represents innocence to some extent. The tiger represents the predatory nature of nature, and fucking, you know, God creates both. The lamb born to die, all this kind of stuff. Isn't the place to look for literary analysis if you want that kind of stuff. But doesn't doesn't really fit in, as far as I'm concerned, to Jack's killings myself, and I don't think it's meant to. I, th I think it is just him grasping at straws might be how he views himself um, in the sense that he thinks he's a tiger or akin to that yeah that, uh, that, that's fair I mean viewing it as his interpretation of the proceedings yeah or it's 
like I said, trying to justify his existence, almost, how do I put this, almost in a pleading way, maybe not pleading, but desperate? I think pleading works. he He knows he's dead. He's not pleading to Virgil. He's pleading to himself, to an extent, I think. He... Maybe, but the, the 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 feeling I got from him, he knows he's dead. Spoiler. <laughs> but if it wasn't fucking obvious from before, us talking about him descending into hell. <laughs> and he knows this. I mean, straight away, he goes, can I ask, I would want to know if there's any rules to this type of thing. You know? So it's almost like he's trying to justify his works to Virgil. Yeah. No, I think that's... I think he's trying to justify his works to Virgil, not not in a sense of trying to gain heavendom or anything like that, though, but to have someone justify them back to him. In my mind, he wants someone to see the relevance of the works, to have a legacy... To have someone say, yeah, I, I liked it, or I understood it, or I see it as art. And then his life is justified. That's that's how I see him. He's not trying to get to heaven. He's, he's trying to, yeah, justify his life. To himself, through Virgil. Yeah, but back in, before that, back in reality, on Earth, he sends the pictures all into a local paper. Poor fucker in ugh, poor fucking intern who has to deal with that shit. Lo behold, the poor guy who has to bring those pictures out of the paper. He says um he repents nothing no matter how far we have to walk to Virgil as they go along. Virgil at times does say um that he's he's seen worse and I can fucking imagine like Virgil's walked everyone into hell. From what you gather, like, every other soul that has gone through here, he has walked down through the levels. Um, but, yeah, he, at the end, he does, he says something interesting, he does say that you give me something to chew on, and that Jack does have some value. I've always wondered about that, if if it is just Virgil chewing on, if humanity can drip even lower than his own expectation, or if... <laughs> He's Jack's an interesting individual in that he is just so depraved and without any merit in a way that Ted Bundy, H.H. Holmes and, and that lot weren't, in a sense. If Jack has an understanding, he has to justify his works in a manner, but he can't yeah. even justify it to himself. He's lying to himself through all of this. He's smart enough to understand that and continues anyway. It's hard to articulate properly what's wrong with him. I, I think that's what Virgil was getting to, that he really has shown him another level of, fuck me, you are the worst person I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it's understandable. Like a, a dog, a feral dog or a feral human, um, they're, they're pieces of shit, they're horrible, but they're feral, what do you expect of them? With Jack, there's almost expectation more, which makes it far worse. Not even on like Ted Bundy's level. He knows what he's doing. He's trying to justify it. Knows he's failing to justify it and continues anyway. And the cycle repents. 
repents and repeats. And then uh, we get to the, yeah, the, the worst section, the work of family, as he calls it. I mean, it's, it's interesting how we discuss this hunting before everything kind of cold, yeah, catches on. Talks about the art of hunting and culling in that there is no art in hunting and culling. And I'm not sure quite how to take that either, um, as it stands, if it's that he just sees no uh, greater purpose to just killing animals and laying them out in a, a, a story, traditional fashion. If there's just no personal epithet to it that he sees, um, or if it's that he just hasn't done it and everyone else has done it, so it's nothing personal to him, so it has no artistic value. Or if it's just part of his mask, to be fair. Again, there's there's a lot of ways to look at this. Um, this section, though, I, I believe is fully true. If any of the sections are real, I think this one is 100% real. Okay. No, I I see it as well, honestly. Um, like it, yeah. I think after it makes sense that this would be the next one he would, in bracket, show, because he's shown his like his shittest point, as in like the second one, and now he's showing like the thing he's most proud of, perhaps. I think he says it's his proudest work, at some point. Within the let me see if I actually wrote it down. No, yeah, I don't think he says anything, but I don't think I've written anything down in it. But I think he does say it's his proudest piece of work, or possibly his best work. Um, fucking talking to young kids about hunting—a real, like, beautiful moment of dramatic irony. Just to say, I really do love films that kind of play with dramatic tension, in that you know exactly what's about to happen. <laughs> Just wondering when yeah. that, that moment is. It, it's like a, a jump scare played out properly. Because this is kind of an elongated jump scare in a way, in a fashion. Um, very much akin to like the Exodus Freeze famous one, where you, you know something's going to happen and you have no idea when. And obviously, it doesn't jump you back, it doesn't push you back, but it builds up that sense of sickness, that sense of unease. Which is it's really nice just on a filmmaking outside of all the talking of Jack's personality. But yeah, I, I, I believe this is real fully. That I think the woman she's not an idiot for any of this. She's not stupid. Jack is competent through most of this. Um and giving a kid a gun he's in spent... America. He's suave actually. He's he's genuinely suave. Yeah, I can like he's a bit eccentric, I would say. <laughs> A bit, te- a bit. Um, what's the right word? A bit um, intense with the way he's talking, but not in a creepy way. Just in a he's passionate about what he's talking about way. Oh, that's what makes me believe it's real. Is he? He goes yeah. on shit like um, how the buck. You know, you fire for the vitals because that will kill it immediately. We hit the hind, and so it will move for so many miles, which is why you have a dog to go along with you. That, to me, feels so much like the jack that's moving through with Virgil um, yeah. in an attempt for justification of what he's doing. It's the same thought process he goes through constantly on that measure, which is why I think this is all real. He's, he's taking the exact same 
line of thought he would have with Virgil. He was um, trying to kill Virgil off down the uh, Undercroft, which, yeah, it, it's really fun watching. And this, this is kind of his, as you said, his peak. This is where he's the best. This is where his true personality kind of shines and he learns to use his personality to fuck with people and kill them. And like He's learned how to be a quote-unquote normal human. Yeah. Out of full. And it's, it's sickening to watch, genuinely, knowing what's about to come up. Um, it, it can't really prepare you either because this is by far the most brutal. Of the lot. Oh yeah, uh, you're you're expecting something kind of akin to the previous, um, even kind of akin to the the the. Co- I mean, the last three have been slightly comedic, in tone all the way through, even if dark, but this one it just kicks it off, horribly, um, really well. Terribly, let's use fucking get a thesaurus out. Terribly. <laughs> But yeah, it, it, to add a little bit of detail to it, it starts with them just talking about hunting um, and then it cuts to um, Jack talking to Virgil about the, well, lack of a better word, the efficacies of hunting, how you go for the mother first and then the next largest and then the baby. That's what you're meant to do, anyway. No, you go for the, um, the baby first and then go up. Because the the second can't live without the mother. Yeah, that's it. If you kill the mother first, the baby will die. If you kill the baby first, oh, yeah. the, the mother can survive. Yeah, the other way around. Which I think makes it a lot worse. <laughs> because you're then picturing... You, you kind of put two and two together. Um, well, no, yeah. you don't. You you know what's about to happen, but you realise the order that he's about to do it in. And it's, oh, fuck. <laughs> I'm about to see two children get their fucking face blown off. And then it just cuts to that exact thing of them hiding behind where it's essentially bunkers as rifle shots like fire out. Yeah, slamming into the yeah. bunker. Tense. I do ex absolutely amazing. I do seriously brilliant stuff. Um, edge of my seat, and when then the moment comes. So previously, like she's holding her youngest, she's running with him, and he says, "I won't shoot because it's not right to kill the mother at the same time," which is clearly in in the measure of art. He says at the end, "It's it's in um." Fucking oh, what would be the word? <laughs> it's in honor of uh, old hunting technique, the whole yeah ritual that he performs. He's clearly they're all going to die anyway, but yeah, he does this stuff. The mother holds the kid who won't shoot. They go behind more cover. He keeps firing off to try to scare the shit out of the little ones, and eventually the littlest one runs off and runs no more very quickly. As his leg, um, in full view through the scope, gets blown off, catapulted. Ex-child. Ex-child. Obviously, the mother runs out because you know, 
watched your son get shot. Um, uh, but the other one peeks his head out from the little bunker they were in, and he is unlived as well. He has no head to peek. No. Yeah, I, it's it, it's so well done. Just no music, no nothing. It just places you in the feeling of being in that position. Um, and then... Part, personally anyway, is that it holds the shot on the mother just fucking crying and screaming. It just anguish for like a couple minutes. <laughs> but it feels a lot longer. And with all that, um, mother screaming, crying. I for me, the hardest part was after the the picnic. Um, one of my other low favorite films of twenty sixteen, going back a bit, uh, terrified. First hour of it, it's Spanish. First hour of which um, centered around like a dead kid who dragged himself back from a cemetery and was just sitting at a table. No one knew how he got himself there. Just the dead body of a child. Um, th- this is this is harder, a lot fucking harder. It, it, again, it's it's through the mother entirely. And if I'm trying to think, what what film did we do, wherein the the mother was the quintessential part? Um, it, it's the mother that makes the horror that you kind of put yourself in her shoes and understand. You place yourself in her perspective. And gather that it is that horrific. It's not the situation she's placed in. It's the fact that it's her in the situation that makes it so bad. Can't, okay. can't remember what it was for, but for me, that it, it's her performance that really elevates it. For me, it's, it's the way she speaks, the intonation, how she looks, just every part of her, and the, the empathy you can have with her. Um, just makes everything worse. The fact that it holds on her constantly, you said earlier, like with her mourning over a dead kid. The reason that's so bad is because you, you're forced to understand what she feels. You're forced to be put in that situation and see that you know, she's mourning over a kid, which is the worst thing to, to have happen. The absolute worst thing that a person can go through losing that kid. And Watching then, their kid get killed. Yeah. And then having to do a grotesque ritual with that child at a picnic with the smug, smug and glim killer still sitting there and ordering you around to fuck with your child's dead body, to put pie in its mouth. Uh, it, It holds on every single shot, like the pie going into the mouth, drooling out the body. It's... It is the most brutal moment of the film. Like it, it's because it's not, it's not over the top. It's very well acted. It's not like ridiculous, like some of the later ones and like the house. It's like that perfect combination of film level serial killer and. That slight moment of realism with the mother, it's just brutal. <laughs> it's great, but in a horrible way. No, I think you, you 
picking onto it perfectly. It, it's the mother that brings you into it. It gives you that realization of, oh shit, yeah, this isn't. I mean, it is a film, but there's that the immersion that, oh, um, it's not just a film. This character's going through this. Um, mm. And I don't think that would be the same. It would have been the same uh, if it wasn't for the little build up beforehand. You know, when they're all on a nice little camping trip, they're all wearing matching red caps. You know, they're all like having a good old time. Yeah. If it just smashed to a woman and her kids getting shot, it wouldn't have the same emotional impact. At least personally, anyway. I, uh, most people, like, you have to build a relationship with the thing. And there was that famous study um, done, I think it was California, where they uh, they had two red balls. Uh, one they said, that the one they just put out in front of students and crushed, and one they gave a little bit of backstory to and then crushed it in front of different students. And the, the red ball with the backstory had a, a much higher level of um, emotion uh, given in response to the crushing. Is that's You know, you can empathise it then. You can sympathise with it. You see it's human to some extent. You personify it, uh, which is obviously, you know, uh, ten times more powerful when it's an actual person on screen. Did I didn't actually, to be fair, the first time I watched it, I tell a lie, um, I didn't know what he was talking about when he was talking about the numbers. I was just kind of dumbfounded. Yeah, I didn't know what he was talking about when he was talking about the numbers. I was just kind of dumbfounded when he asked her, oh, what's your favourite number? And oh, she, right, yeah. she takes a while and then just 12. And then he just, 12, that, that's, a, that's a great number. And I, I think I worked out what he was doing about as quickly as she did. Um... And then it's so much more poignant that she doesn't run. And you get the feeling that she's more doing what she thinks she has to do societally, almost. It's not instinctual. Mm. It's not because her instincts are dead as a mother. She's, she, her two kids are dead. She doesn't have any of that anymore. She doesn't have any emotion. But society tells her she has to run away from the guy that's about to shoot her, so she walks um, well within view. And she, I think it's on the count of 12. Yeah, I was going to let that sit for a minute. Yeah, that, that just one segment, I think, really pushes this film, for me, to masterclass level. I, like, I know you like it, you, you enjoy the film, um, which... Oh, nice ground one of these for me like i like melancholia I, I, antichrist's okay this for me is is fucking peak filmmaking I, I think it really is a bordering on like a 10 out of 10 this is perfection almost in crafting something and this one scene this one scene beyond anything is for me a 10 out of 10 scene now up there with um Tuco running through the graveyard in Good, the Man, the Ugly, up there with the speech um, by the replicant in Blade Runner by Rodger Hauer. This, for me, is, is just perfect, this small segment. Oh, I'm inclined to agree. It is a 
it's one of the rare times where it's not visceral. You know, it's not like gore. It's just like, ah, oh, fuck. You know, <laughs> it's just... <laughs> to me, that is more depressing. That scene is more depressing than the entirety of Melancholia. I mean, I'm full on with you. Yeah, I'm fully with you. I like I like Melancholia, but yeah, it just is. It's It takes the breath out of you. You have to sit for a moment, just in silence, and and really push for it. Um, which which is why I I like love these films, and I hate that they're thrust into gore porn tallies, into like worst horror films to watch charts. I mean, is it visceral? Is it gory? Is it brutal? Yeah. Does it deserve to be lumped in with the likes of? Fucking Fubar and Hostel, Hostel and Saw. Fuck no. Absolutely fucking not. This this justifies its existence. Like Salo, um, sort of does, but no, it, it, not even close. Human centipede, no, shouldn't be put in that same league. That kind of shit. How did Jack built far better than this kind of crap? Fucking um, a Serbian film, piece of shit. Shouldn't be anywhere near this in a ranking. Of any type, is this this justifies it? This is far better at making, at taking um, violence, at taking the worst that humanity has, and portraying that in a terrible light, in a fucking brutal way. It's the masterclass compared to that shit. Yeah, it's like the stuff like Fubar and like um, Hostel. It's almost parody of real life it's it's silly it's extreme that couldn't exist or at the very least an extreme that if it does exist it's not going to be to this point you know like people get kidnapped from hostels sure but the ludicrous situation they then find themselves in is not going to happen whereas this shit has happened a man has charmed his way into the lives of a family and just fucking killed them. And it's done in such a well-acted, well-shot, well-written way that it is just... You know, even with something like Fubar, talking about realism, because Fubar's real. Like, all the scenes in Fubar are obviously real. And you're watching people die, like, over and over again, if no one's seen it. I, as I said before, I don't recommend it to anyone. I think it should be burnt every single copy. It's just erased. It's it's got no purpose. Um, that doesn't feel real when you're watching it. it it's got no standing um, in reality just because it's almost bordering on absurdism. Through that, because it's one thing after another, after another, after another, uh, and it doesn't have the same punch. Um, part of me wishes it does. Because you, you watch people die, actual people. But it just doesn't. doesn't have that same kick. Uh, it just lacks the humanity. It lacks the context. It lacks any empathy, any sympathy. Um, and it's just uh, complete, the, the worst work to ever be made. Like, fuck the people who made it. Fuck them. Um, someone like the house that Jack built in this particular scene takes what they try to do with actual footage and makes something far, far better. Even August Underground, 
I think not not on the same emotional level, but far better than anything Fubar's ever done. Fuck that fucking film. Fuck the people who made it. Cunts. But yeah. Um, so, I, I won't... doesn't like Fubar. <laughs> I won't, yeah, I won't go in circles on it. Pushing downwards through. So, after this, we had talking about going through all the realism and stuff, being taken from the film into a more intense scenario. It, it goes a, a touch, it, it takes you out of reality again, which I think is genuinely a good thing. It breaks the tension in a terrible way. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hate to say like the term breaking the tension, but it really fucking does. And you, you're taken yeah. back into kind of the film dumb, which I, I fucking love. Like it, it does it in a brilliant way, a genius way of doing it, um, where he, uh, he uses the little child as a puppet and it puts expressions on its face. And it's yeah, it <sighs> it goes into uh, like we were saying that ludicrousness of a lot of other films, and it it breaks the tension. It goes okay, you've had the gut punch, but now we're getting into what it was before. And I, I I'm with you. I appreciate it. I appreciate that. Like. Oh, this is a film kind of deal. Yeah, I mean, it sounds weird to say that, like, a mannequin child body put in bizarre <laughs> proportions with, like, sticks for it and a, a face that looks like the one Jack tried to make, basically, about as good as a smile as Jack tried to make with the, um, the 1865 odd photo of the guy screaming. That's the equivalence. It's just terrible. Um, and then, and then hearing the juxtaposition of Jack saying that he makes expressions that look almost lifelike bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it brings you back a lot. It's brought me back, to be honest. Right now, like I was, I was kind of losing it a bit, <laughs> just kind of going in and out. And this is, this is really like brought me back some life, some luster back. It looks like the child looks like one of those old school ventriloquist dummies. Oh fuck! Only in von Trier stuff can you say that the fucking dead child is the comic relief. <laughs> oh fuck! <laughs> oh, don't clip that, please. No one clip that. Me saying the that shit. Dead... The dead child is the comic relief. No, you can clip that in monotone. With that, after all that goes forward, um, we firstly, I, I can't remember if it's after the next one or if it's after this one, but I'm going to go over it now anyway. We get the the analogy that he brings forward of the the lampposts walking from one lamppost to another, which and a lot of this is just going to be me decrying Virgil through a chunk because he basically says what the audience thinks that yeah, you're full of shit. That's that has nothing <laughs> to do with killing. That that could be an allegory for pretty much any addiction ever. And you're not special. You know, however you try to justify that, you're not special in using this. You're not special in using artists' interpretations of other things and saying that because they apply to you, you're artistic somehow. I do love these segments, though. They really kind of take you out for a moment. And they let Von Trier have fun with the, the imagery to some extent. Even the real, like the real life pictures, particularly the um, kamikazes, later on, 
Uh, they add something. I don't know what it is, but the, the, definitely this one adds a lot. The the um, lamppost imagery. I really like it. I don't know if it's just you imagining Jack formulating that, or it's it's taking away from the the rampant murder, the realism. But there's something there that I, I really do adore. Personally, I just like the every single time that Jack tries to go. Yeah, this is what I mean. Virtual just because you're a twat. <laughs> I like it because it's it's what I want to say to these fuckers. It's like you're an asshole. You're not special. You're just a douche. You're just to fucking quote myself from Walks Underground. You're just a loser. Is all you fucking yeah. are, and everyone will forget you. Which spoiler alert? At the end of the film, he falls into hell. At the bottom circle and will be forgotten. Fuck you, sophistication. That that is one interpretation of the film. Um, the the end. It's not actually in hell. It's his own mind as he's dying, and when he falls in, that's when he finally dies. I don't like it. That side of things. I like to think he is genuinely like walking through hell. So it, it adds a lot. And I don't think Jack's the type of person to push back on himself in his own psyche, and lose oh. so thoroughly. <laughs> frankly. Got way too much of an ego. Yeah, I, 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 he would school Virgil if it was him going down there. At least at the end, like Virgil would, yeah, Virgil would go through and agree with him on something. I know he said he gave him a bit to chew on, and I'm just realizing that, but I don't think that's enough at all. So, the next um, killing. Is I mean again all of these are they're very well done. Um, it's probably my second favorite of the lot actually in terms of the actual acting back and forth the uh, between the victims. It says a lot to be fair. I, the the most personal ones are the the third killing, the hunting killing, and the fourth killing with um simple Jacqueline, uh his girlfriend, yeah. and obviously the the basically the wife bordering on and the two kids that he's got. On the hunting one, and that, that element of personality gives Matt Dillon quite a lot to play with. And with the the girlfriend, there's um, a t- disparity somewhat between Jack's true personality and what he gives to her at at the start. But very quickly, he shows his true colours. Very, very mm. fucking quickly. Um, and he, I've always wondered, kind of, what the setup what the background to this was before all this, if he tried to keep up the loving demeanour up until now, or if, again, with Virgil, as he's walking down, he's kind of telling the story, kind of saying, well, we did all this phone call stuff because I did love her, when in reality, it was all the abusive stuff. And, like, that's... that's uh, He said, well, she, she was simple, so I, I got abusive after that. She deserved it. And that's that's what it kind of came into when I killed her. Before that, I was fine. Before that, I was a lovely person. But when she was annoying me, yeah, I killed her. I don't know. In my head, I'm imagining that he was abusive all the way through. Well, I believe so as well, because at one point she does just say, why are you always so mean? What I want to know is, the only context that I would like to know about that is how long they knew each other. Yeah, that would be... I mean, it could be anywhere in my head. 
from like three months to about two weeks. Because I know he was faking a limp to get more sympathy. Because uh, he straight up says that. Which again, um, again, you have a crutch. To me, it feels mechanical. <laughs> again, like he, he says, like to, to have a crutch. Um, what was you about to say? Sorry. Uh, to have a crutch, you, you look like uh, more a victim. You can't hurt anyone. That, yeah. that that to me feels like a mathematician in their head taking something on, or a psychopath, as it were, um, saying that. Not that I'm trying to <laughs> like fucking compare psychopaths and mathematicians, but. A, a, a psychopath saying, "Oh, fuck, you know, how can I be more sympathetic?" Well, crutches add plus fifty to my sympathy modifier. <laughs> Crutch. I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> oh, no, he isn't. To be fair, he's, they do look harmless. And he, he he says he goes after women at some point. For the views at home, I've cut a solid probably four jokes at this point. Um, yeah, with this uh, segment. Going on crutches up into our apartment's been I, I think between I said three months and two weeks for it. And I think he's been abusive the entire time. And either uh, I don't think he loves her for one. I think he's trying to say that she loved him through it, or trying to pretend that she loved him. And uh, with that saying that, that he loved her. I know he says to Virgil at one point that he, he, he knows he's a psychopath and doesn't admit to any of these emotions. Um, and I, I think he's right. I don't think he, he feels love at all. But I, I think he's trying oh. to say that he was so good acting that he fell in love with her or some shit. He was so good in the act that he could push on that, which is what the start is for, to try to justify himself in front of Virgil. That's why I saw it on like a third viewing, a third and second viewing, at least. Yeah, fair. Because again, I've only watched this once at current time of recording. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it it works a lot differently on a second viewing, a lot differently when you you gather, you know the endpoint. I mean, you know all the build up, um, and know the character, and as I said, at least look at it like a an unreliable narrator. <laughs> Oh, um, the viewers who've been with us for this season, um, for talking about unreliable narration, I said to Ty at one point, uh, free message, I think, on Discord, just like rewatching through bad taste, and, and said, yeah. what was it? If you look at it in the guise of unreliable narration from the, um, the team, from from the team of exterminators and just imagine that they aren't aliens, they're just farmers again. It works worryingly well. <laughs> just imagine they're just shooting farmers the entire time. Fucking brilliant. Oh. And it, it like takes out all the fucking tree shit as well. If you don't view it as a comedy, just they're shooting farms and pretending, oh, fuck me. I mean, yeah, uh, with this, go, going into the apartment, um, he gets on the phone, he talks to her uh, because she doesn't want to look at his face which again tells me that he is incredibly abusive he's a horrible fucking person but she can't even bear to look at him during all of this and his his demeanour doesn't like within a, a couple minutes it changes from you know yeah I'm happy to sit on the phone, I'm happy to talk with you on this to oh scream to your neighbours, they won't do shit for you 
Which um that that part by the way I believe is fully true as well. Like people won't do anything for you in this world. <laughs> not to not to subtle like innocent minds here, not to Sally anything, but uh you can scream all you want, no one's gonna do shit for you. I can't help but feel like a single scream, yeah. Because that could be anything. But the fucking constant screaming that is heard there. Not not one person calls the police. Really? Not they yell out the window. Yeah, I hate... actually to be fair, I'll be brutally honest, if I heard two people yelling blue murder and going, Oh help, help, there's someone here I would probably think they're pissed and having a fucking around. Yeah, there was a study done to show that like there's a fire put in front and a girl like dying um, actress uh, in front of like a massive apartment block and something like fucking out of about 400 residents or something like that, no one called the police. That's not a single fucking soul. I know, I know you like to think someone would, but genuinely in this modern world, someone fucking filmed it though. Which is worse, a <laughs> hundred times worse than not doing anything. Fuck you. Uh, there's been a lot of shit pushed out there study-wise that's depressing, frankly, that no one wants to help anyone in this day and age. Yeah, it's the, it's the group mentality. It's not even this day and age, it's just human psychology. Um, it's the... What is it? It's basically the amount of people... The more people there are, the less likely anyone will do something. Um, as as there are, like a herd mentality, if one person does something, then mo- more people would join in and help. Um, but it just requires that one person. But the more and more people there are, the more you think, or even subconsciously, oh, I don't need to do something, someone else will. So that, you know, the apartment complex of 500 people, oh, someone will call the police. Like the way I just said, someone will probably call the police. So I don't need to, don't want to waste time. And then that will end up with no one will call the police. So basically what I'm saying is the people listening to this, do it. (laughs) If you see someone getting mugged, help them. Don't wait for other people. They will back you up after. (laughs) Be, Be Spartacus. Be the Spartacus people. Because I, I, I don't think it's a lack of compassion with people. I, I think it's a... I think it's a fear, honestly. A subconscious... Yeah. That if, if I go forward and I'm the only one with this person, I'm fucked. I think, I think that's the fear. Pushing forward. You know what, I'm not a psychologist, I don't know. But it, it's a, it, it is something that happens... Um, I'm lucky to not experienced it personally. When I was mugged, I was on my own in the dark, so no one could help me. Yay! Innocence lucky. retained. Yay! <laughs> when I was mugged, I ended up going around the corner, um, covered in duck shit because I fell in the canal, and went into a dojo, a karate dojo, and a seven-year-old black belt proceeded to phone the police for me. Just to emasculate me a little bit further. Uh, that was that was oh, beautiful. Dear. Yeah, <laughs> it was a wonderful day. I lost my Galaxy A21, which cost me about £90, and I replaced. So don't weep for me. 
Um, but yeah, with with this stuff, jumping back in, uh, Jacqueline, uh, called Simple by Jack, she, she finds out that it's Mr. Sophistication. She says as much. Yeah, she actually works it out. Which, again, leads me to believe that these weren't the interactions fully, because I don't think if I was her, if I if I was even remotely like on the line of his sophistication, I wouldn't let him in my fucking apartment. There's a, there's a lot of back and forth, like he's down on the ground and she lets him back in because he, he pretends to be like down his luck and, oh, look, I'll, I'll love you properly. There's, there's a lot of stuff within this. There's, there's a lot of shit. Yeah, with all the screaming and him magic markering her tits for later use, which is, I think, I suppose it's up for debate, really. But beside the child, probably the most overt use of um, gore in the whole film, I think. It is off screen, and I'll be brutally honest, it is used for comedic effect. Yeah. I it's I'd, I actually did giggle a little, <laughs> I hate to say. Because at one point, so to get a, a little bit further in, because it is getting a bit long in the tooth, I'll admit. Um, he kills her by cutting off her tits. Brutal, obviously. Um, but then what he does with one of them is that he takes he basically tacks it onto the front of a policeman's window <laughs> because the policeman gave him a ticket earlier. Well, it's just the one of them. But the that... other he uses for um, productive means. He forges into a, into a... wallet. <laughs> oh, that's... I shouldn't laugh at that. <laughs> a tit wallet. That shouldn't be funny. A tit... No, that's fucking hilarious. I refuse to believe that. <laughs> A really shitly made purse of a tit. Uh, he he talks to Virgil on a side. I do want to mention this, saying that art um, is to be seen as mattering less than morals, in that that what humanity should strive for. And um, so I, I I don't agree on that measure. I think that art is intrinsically placed within morals because it's from humanity. But art does matter more than anything else. From my own perspective, there's there's your fucking take of the week to disparage me with through email. Art is more important than um, engineering, more important than maths, more important than anything. Art uh, is what we should value more than anything else, as it's the, the most human thing out there. It's the only thing that should surpass us. Hey ho, I'll leave that out there for people to disagree with going forward. Um, and it, I think Jack not understanding. The connection of humanity and art and morals and art, for me at least, uh, describes why he uh, he can't build an artistic house. So he, he fails over and over again to build his house. He demolishes it constantly. You could say it's because he's OCD. I, I don't think it is. I think it's because you truly do, as Virgil said, need to love and have feeling to be able to create proper art. In the same way that I don't think like AI could ever create art. I think you need to make mistakes to make art. You need to be attempting something with truth to, to properly make art that's worth pushing through. That's not just bottom-of-the-barrel crap or a horrific mirror 
bizarro style um, in terms of what Jack makes out of his own house, the divine material, in the words of Virgil. Uh, I mean, so the final section, Alive, uh, not really too much to jump on. He uses um, inspiration from SS officers, which is never a good idea. Whatever you do, if you ever say, um, in honor of the SS, just stop. <laughs> just stop doing it. Just take a look at your life and shoot yourself. He uh, decides to execute as many people at once with a full metal jacket bullet. Um, and through various shenanigans and chicanery on the part of a arms dealer. Yeah, so through various chicanery, various problems, he finds out he's in it a full metal jacket. Is shenanigans. It really is. It's, it's like a, a fucking... Uh, more of a wise sketch that gone really fucking off the wall. <laughs> yeah, he finds it isn't the right box. He has to fucking um, go to a friend's to collect it, and the friend accuses him of robbery, uh, which yeah. you have to wonder, like, from, from where? From what? What? <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. It is like okay. a proper Morkham and Weiss. Yep. Yeah. That's Jack's reaction, just like, what? Ha! <laughs> 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 um, which, again, like the dramatic irony kind of builds up because we know what's about to happen fully because we know he's in hell. Um, and he, he's got to build that house. So he, everyone knows what's coming. Poor little, um, oh, fuck, SP. Guy's name written down, gets stabbed in the fucking throat. This very nice elderly man gets very brutally attacked and dies. Yeah, it doesn't help that they kind of they act like friends. So he's probably like a hunting buddy, I would imagine, is the idea I get. Because he's got a fuckload of ammunition in his caravan. Like a disturbing amount of ammunition. <laughs> yeah, and then... Um, like the worst police officer in the world that gets shot in the face. Is it just he yeah. saunters in? Oh, maybe this is a guy killed wearing a dressing gown and goes, "Oh, hello, mate. You must be the man." And then just gets fucking shot. Call this my bias against police officers, but I again fully believe that's a possibility. <laughs> I've got personal reasons. Just I can hate them. It's shot. Yeah. Uh, in, with all that culminating to the end uh, everyone's shot with a full metal jacket all the victims who are freezing to death little by little and uh, Jack uh, built, builds the house that Jack built they don't actually get shot though don't they oh you can still see them in the background as he's building the house oh shit yeah jump the gun so to speak okay. Luckiest bastards in the film, I'll say that. <laughs> oh, because the police are following him back. Of course. The he... police catch up with He's got... Because they think he's done the robbery and proven wildly wrong. <laughs> that must have been in for a real fucking... That, that's going to need some psychological help after all this shit. Need to be brought Yeah, back. imagine the... you're tracking down someone you just thought has like robbed a bank or something. You go into a fridge freezer and then all of a sudden there's fucking like 70 corpses. Did you find the jewelry robbed, Frank? No. 
Did the man... Was that where he robbed? Was it the morgue? <laughs> no, nah, the morgue. Oh, no. I mean, I said it was a Mork of a Wise sketch. We're turning it into a Mork of a Wise sketch. It's not helped by his final creation. The house that Jack built looks fucking stupid. <laughs> I, it's like the, the fucking... If an Eskimo became a serial killer, it's ridiculous. Fucking Virgil had to dip his head to get in. It's not even got a proper door. Um, but, yeah, kind of in a reverse way with the, the child dying, um, we're taken from the ridiculousness of the corpse igloo into the reality of hell after that. And we kind of push back into the last 20 minutes, which, actually, I think besides the hunting segment, it's my favourite segment of the film. And the last little trek through hell. I actually disagree. I don't like the end. All right. I personally believe... Well, I don't. it's not that I don't like it, it's fine. But it's basically just putting a visual... Because before the end, the conversations between Jack and Virgil are in the dark, like you can't see shit, right? And it just ends up with, like, pictures of random shit on the screen, if yeah. there is anything. Um, but in the last 20 minutes, they basically redo all the dialogue from their discussions before. Um, well, that, that's unfair. They, they but, redo about four lines. Yeah, and the rest of it is visual. But I would have preferred it, personally, if it's literally just the whole. You hear Virgil going, are you coming, Jack? Jack goes down, and then you hear the line from the very beginning. The, um, can I ask questions? And then that's the end of the film. See, I'm half with you. I, I think they would have done well to go for the, are you coming? Um, can I ask questions? And then skip directly to the end bit with the final pin and tell. Literally yeah, maybe. Cut yeah. all the way down. Um, to be fair, I think before that is preamble. Like 15 minutes can be cut with fairies. But I, mm. I really like that last segment where Jack tries to climb over to, to the exit, to heaven. His arrogance overcomes him. I, I, I get that, but... It's one of those, like, well, yeah, that's what he's going to do. That's that's obvious. Like, it's, it's, I just, it's too obvious for me. I think it's more, I need the comeuppance after all he's done. Well, he's going to hell. <laughs> that's comeuppance. I, I, we all know he's hell. <laughs> I need to see it. Part of me, I need to, to be able to go over it. I need to be able to see him falling into the lowest circle, into fire. I need to not just see that he's going into hell, not just see him say, um, it's, it's not even the lowest circle, it's, it's that he says, what are the rules, can I speak that? I need to be able to see his face go from smug satisfaction or even like his standard visage and um, articulation of, I'm smart, I have control of the situation, to being completely out of control and fucked. 
which he only is in the exact last scene. You only get a feeling that he's out of his depth entirely when he's falling into hell. In the lowest circle, he's fucked. And he knows it. I think I needed that. That that, and when he looks out onto the fields of heaven and you see him like, does he tear up? Close to, as close as he, he comes. Look, he looks devastated, but I can't remember if he has like a tear, like the sexy Hollywood cry, you know, of the single tear. Well done. It's what it's what should have happened. I don't want it to ugly cry or some shit in that moment. No, I needed that, and I needed him falling into hell, and him him having that um, that smug satisfaction just wiped off his face. <laughs> so necessary, I think, just because of how miserable the film is up until this point, um, and how horrible of a character Jack is. You need that comeuppance. Which, you don't need 20 minutes, I'll give you that. You definitely don't need 20 minutes for it. You could have skipped a good chunk of that, of the walk through hell. Uh, but the heaven scene was good. A lunking, like they're just going down a <laughs> cave with some water. It's like, okay, this, this, is, a, this is kind of cool, representation of hell. But, um... Um, okay. But no, <laughs> like, yeah, these are lines. Right. Yeah. So, with that, before it hits six hours and someone has a go at me, is that, yeah, <laughs> just for context where we end up editing this down to, we're at five hours, 48 minutes, and actually give it a second, five hours, 49 minutes, yay. Um, in terms of recommendation, putting this to a close, uh, me personally, the stats that I'll jump tie after, um, Recommend How to Jack Belt Full Pelt, Melancholia as well, absolutely, especially to Lars von Trier fans, and Antichrist. Um, <laughs> if you're really into that weird side of horror and you've, you've got 90 minutes to kill and you want some, some nice casual view, no, if, if you want to you push in something a bit strange and you want to see more of Lars von Trier's content, sure, why not? Um, but just know that I didn't I, I wasn't blown away uh, Ty, in terms of the three films uh, I I share a similar opinion about uh, Antichrist um, it is definitely um, uh, what's the word over, over um, you know where something is not as good as people say it is um, overrated Overrated. There it is. I think that's my word of the day. Unfortunately, Antichrist. Uh, from what, from everything I've heard about it before I watched it, was like, oh, it's so depressing. Oh, it's really good. Or oh, it's gonna haunt you. And oh, bloody, 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 blah. And it's really just two shots that are bad. The ball, the you know, coming blood and the clip snapping and they're fairly quick uh beyond that it's a fairly decently acted film so i i guess i'd recommend it but it is overrated melancholia is overrated as shit i mean fuck we just i just shat on it for ages so if you don't know my opinion on it (laughs) 
yeah. really listen. But I, I, I would still recommend watching it, actually. Honestly, because it is a beautiful film and well acted. And I feel like other people would probably get more joy from the film than I did. Well, I certainly did, at least. Exactly. And it's definitely, I, I definitely see it as a personal problem with the film rather than, no, it's just a shit film. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not for, um, I'm not artsy fartsy enough to like the film. It's basically, and how's that Jack built? It is just a good film. Like I, it is quite tense at moments. Um, Jack isn't like lauded. He is just a sad nerd, and it is portrayed that way as well. So I, I like that aspect to it. It's funny. It's surprisingly funny. <laughs> like. I laughed more times than I probably should have. So yeah, I would recommend um I would recommend all three because they are interesting films. And I'll leave it at that. I suppose it can be difficult in this case to recommend like films outside of the narrative. But I mean, for me I've I've seen a couple of the others. Dogville, at least, especially in terms of Lars von Trier stuff. I'll push forward. Um in in, in terms of I suppose other directors um, that do oh, similar kind of attempts at character studies. You know what? Here's one. Uh, Pan's Labyrinth. There's your recommendation. Outside of these lot. Pan's Labyrinth, uh, something of the same kind of vein, that might be better than Antichrist and Melancholia in having a character study of one person um, and then dealing with trauma. Or them dealing with the scenario. Galmiro del Toro is a good comparison, honestly, in terms of like vibe. Yeah, I do. I think he has slight more of a handle on how to write um, believable characters. In fact, he definitely does. I mean, Pan's Labyrinth is one of the most beautiful films of all time. (laughs) You know what? I'm going to go out on a real limb. Is is me being like a real fucking idiot? And, and grabbing at grasping at straws, seriously grasping at straws. Um, in the, the similar vein to a woman dealing with depression, a woman dealing with uh, existential crises, in the vein that child dying and witches and stuff, Totoro, <laughs> in showing how two people deal with fucked up situations <laughs> just through a different lens. There's, there's your stupid fucking. Grasping at straw recommendation of the week. Very different vibe. Uh... Little, yeah, just a bit. You got anything tight? Yeah. Some of this. Honestly, no. Um, uh, I've got some, basically just other horror that I would recommend. But this isn't really. It's not like much that I've seen, for both good and bad. Uh, if you want a good representation of. Uh, People in just the shittest situation. The Scottish one. No, train spotting. Train spotting, that was it. Yeah, of just a bleak situation um, and people who will never be able to get out of it. Train spotting. Nice. Yeah. Wrist I... nail on one that is just pathetically <laughs> awful situation. 
What's the point, actually? Um, I completely forgot. Manchester by the Sea. If you want a film about depression, I think it's done better than Melancholia. Similar laws of acting as well. Really good. And Ty, I fucking recommend you watch it as well. Like Manchester by the Sea, brilliant film. Genuinely depressing. And, and hard to watch if you've gone through the same kind of thing that he has. Uh, but either way, uh, before we hit the six-hour mark in the recording, well, I'll end it there. I've had a lot of fun. Gone through a lot of shit recently. Four, four fucking episodes of Autor crap to push through on some artistic license. And next week, next time, we have Murder at Bloodfart Lake, which, <laughs> thank God, go back to what I know. Bland shit no one's heard of with no Rotten Tomatoes reviews whatsoever that I can just take the piss out of for 90 minutes. Halla fucking Louia. <laughs> oh, you're going you're gonna to regret this. I've shown you stuff that you can add to your repertoire. You're now going to watch fucking Bloodfart Lake 1 and 2. You'd be miserable. I am looking forward to it. <laughs> have a good one thanks for listening and as always if you have any opinions on how we're wrong please send us emails to semicircularfilm at gmail.com be as abusive as you want use me as your uh, punching bag I I can't take it but I'm anonymous and you won't feel a thing so do it (laughs) and I'll find you very specific set of skills in internet reviewing and Working at stores. Purses. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to combine Christ with uh, making a new purse. <laughs> oh. so, uh, bye. Have a good one. See you next week. <laughs>